Welcome, y'all. I'm Deeg. This is Deeg Chats. I'm here today with Mighty Teapot, the return of Teapot. Welcome back to the program, my friend. Thanks for having me. I have returned once again. The return of the king of the Guild Wars 2 streaming category. Yeah, that's that's me. You got my yeah. crown. It's yeah. invisible, but it's there. You can, you know, you can trust me on that. Your invisible crown. Yeah, I think I can barely see the outline. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's think, Teapot. Um, you and I last spoke last year in August. I should say last spoke, first spoke. It was our first time really getting to know each other. And we had a great... I went back and watched a lot of it. I think I'd call it like a grieving session almost. We were grieving over Guild Wars 2 last August, my friend, you and me. Here, I actually wrote down a few quotes uh, because, I, because I think that you have gone through quite a bit of an arc since our conversation, and I want to talk through that. But here, here's where I'm coming from. Here's the last time you and I touched base. Here's some quotes from Teapot. Out of the mouth of Teapot. <clears throat> Except Guild Wars 2 for what it is, not what it should be. I don't think Guild Wars 2 will divert from its path. This is one tree I can't chop down. The community is irrelevant. The ship has sailed on trying to organize stuff. If you ever stop, the wheels just fall off and it becomes a horrible, soul-crushing grind. Guild Wars 2 is the biggest waste of potential in the gaming industry. I bring all these up because that was the tone of the last time you and I talked. And things have happened since. Would you say that your attitude has changed since the last time we spoke, my friend? You know, I think there has been some really good news for the game. But I think I would actually still stand by almost all of those things. I think I would stand <sighs> by almost everything there. All right. Um, because I do think that there is still a huge problem with uh, the community in the game, not being very self-moving. I think that is still true. Okay. Uh, I, I, I mean, obviously, th this is very much in its time. When it comes to, like the ship has sailed on this stuff and the way the game is going to develop, I mm. would probably actually still say, the, yeah, I think the game is going to have some new life breathed into it. Uh, but I still think, yeah, like a lot of people are looking at Guild Wars 2 and looking at the good news we've got, right, with, regard to, with regards to the game director, the expansion. Yeah. Very fun, very exciting people news. Look at this stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pe people look at this and they think that the game is suddenly going to cure cancer, right? Mm. Um, or that it's going to be like the greatest thing ever. Realistically, th there are a lot of problems with Guild Wars 2 that aren't going to be resolved by the expansion. And I don't mm -hmm. want to, you know, I, and I, I know I, um, I don't want to go back to the tone of the original one too much because <laughs> I would say that there is, there's a lot more reason to be positive about the future yeah. of the game. Back then I was very like stone cold realism about the game. Okay. But, I do think it is worth noting that the game is not really going to completely shift, right? Like it's going to be different and the game is going to evolve. And, and I love to see the new leadership direction that we're seeing mm -hmm. um, from the developers. But I, I, I still think that, yeah, like a lot of that stuff is, is still true. Right? Or, or even maybe most of it is still true um, because a lot of that was like in, in the last podcast, we were, we were talking a lot about the approach to the game. Uh, rather than yeah. the game itself, because this, this, mm -hmm. this, this is how I, in a way, started enjoying the game again, actually, was that I stopped thinking about what the game, the way the game was going, right? Uh -huh. And I stopped thinking uh -huh. about what the game could be or what it should be, okay. right? And I started going like, okay, how can I enjoy the game? Mm -hmm. What can I do? 
-hmm. Like, what, what am I able to do? You know, can I fix some of these problems that mm -hmm. the game has, like, you know, internally? And it turns out that, yes, I, I think I can actually, or, or well, at least I've been trying. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's possible to solve these things. So, yeah, like, I know that, that it was obviously, you know, like, that there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of melodrama, right? And, you know, we're, 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 we're on a podcast, we're talking publicly. You know, we want to be, you know, we want to make it sound interesting. We don't want to make it sound like boring or, you know, it's, it's fun. We're talking for fun. Here. Everything's fine. There's yeah, no problems I, I would, to fix. Conversation yeah, over. Yeah. But I, yeah, I would say a lot of that stuff still applies um, outside of the fact that I actually do think that um, there is a potential that we could see some long term change. Like the recent mm -hmm. news uh, with uh, Josh Davis Grouch uh, coming yeah. back and Colin coming back right. uh, and their new leadership approach. I think there is definitely um, there, there is definitely some potential that things could change big time. However, I think it is actually worth noting um, that you this is very much in my opinion this is a huge wait and see i think we need to see after the expansion because again i don't want to i don't want to get into it a little bit too much but we've got a long wait now and there's not going to be much content yes. um between yes. now and the expansion and also the cracks are already starting to show and this thing that you know i'll actually i'll definitely hand this back over to you to direct the conversation right now actually um but i think there's one thing that is super super important to actually notice um is that already we have seen PvP completely decay into oblivion, hmm. being stuck with a horrific matter, one of the kind of worst matters of really? PvP for a very long time. Uh, you know, they they did they did some frequent balance changes and tweaks for a few weeks, mm -hmm. but unfortunately that has now dried up, and there has not been anything for a while. And we've had the last few months have uh, basically since the May eleventh patch. Like the May eleventh patch had right. some very significant bad influences for PvP, hmm. and those have not been addressed. Uh, since that patch, which is very unfortunate. Okay. So yeah, silver linings, uh, potentially bright horizons, but also some shadows being cast. Um, yeah. Which is, I suppose, in some ways, is, is a major improvement from, from where we were, where it was only easy to see shadows for a little while. But let's, let's talk about some of the things that have changed. Um, but actually, before... Before I, I kind of take us through a chronology, which I think might be kind of fun to do, um, because I want to, we've kind of, this is our thesis, right? Now I want to back it up and we're going to build the tension and we're going to get back there. And it's going to be really fun. Um, but you said something really interesting I want to unpack a little bit. Um, you said, I've, I've been thinking about this because you said this last time we talked about stopping trying to enjoy the game for what it could be and try to en enjoy it for what it is. I think that's a massive act of self-awareness. And like, uh, if I can just expand on that for a second, and you can tell me if, if you agree. Um, it's a massive act of self-awareness to approach something that has a meaning to you and reevaluate the meaning, that meaning. Um, you know, humans kind of exist in a world of meaning. If we see a hammer, we don't see a stick with a piece of metal at the end. What we see is something to hit something with, right? We see things for what, they, what they're used for and what they could be. We see things for their potential. That's how our minds work. And it's very natural when we're engaging in an experience, not to just be in the moment, but to see where it's going. And to take that idea of where it's going and wrench it back into something else, I think that's really hard. I wonder if you could talk me through how that worked for you. So... It, it I mean, well, like we, we're going to get the depressing stuff out of the way. I mean, ultimately, okay. th like this was, I mean, <laughs> like the reason I ended up coming to this conclusion was because I realized that it was either that or quit the game. Mm, okay. Um, was, was the, the thing, 
right? You know, like, uh, it, it, you know, and this this is really very, you know, I'm going to give you some more quotes here, but like, to be it. honest, you know, like, I, you know, I, I'm at the stage in Guild Wars 2 where I, I actually don't really care, like, what happens. Like, you know, even if the expansion bombs, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter to me, really. <laughs> I know I'm going to enjoy the game anyway because of what I'm doing in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm doing with, you know, my stream and with my community and what I'm trying to do. I, I'm a man on a mission right now, um, trying to elicit this positive change within the Guild Wars 2 community. So I, I have completely disconnected from how you know is the game good right or, or like is the game perfect no the game's not perfect uh -huh. and i think this, this is um th this is something that i think i i think every player should kind of get their head around and for <laughs> every mmo this is not a guild wars 2 problem i actually think ironically this is a this you see this more in guild wars 2 because the game actually has been so good for so long <laughs> that when the game stumbles a bit people don't know what to do whereas if you look at something like world of warcraft the game has had so many bumpy sections that people are kind of used to it right so people <laughs> don't tend to struggle with it so much and the community in that game is much more robust as well right like you know um compared to guild wars 2 like there, there's a lot less um there's a, there's a bit more coordination cohesion in that community compared to Guild Wars 2. And Guild Wars 2, is, it, it feels a bit more like, you know, it's, it's like some, you know, some Mad Max stuff, you know. It's uh, every man for himself uh, in, in the Guild Wars 2 community. And I think that, um, I think every player should approach it this way because, like, this is my take on MMOs. MMOs are just, they aren't good, right? Um, you know, like, MMOs are are games that no matter what the developers do, they'll never be enough, right? Mm -hmm. There is no way that they can develop enough content for you to play this game every day. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Blizzard can't do it. Uh, Square can't do it with Final Fantasy. Uh, even old school RuneScape, even they can't do it. Um, you know, even uh, even in that game, which obviously is much easier to develop for, right? It's a, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, not to say it's, it's a bad game. It's a simpler game graphically, right? You know, like it, it's, it's not as intensive to develop content for that game because of the very nature of that game. Mm -hmm. And no MMO can do this, right? And therefore, there are going to be huge sections of downtime, okay? The quality of the content may not be exactly what you want it to be. And ultimately, the only way you can enjoy playing MMOs long-term is if you, one, you have to actually like the game and not just like rewards. And two, uh, you also have to like the people that you're playing with and have people to play with that you actually like, right? And I think this is kind of the thing that has struck the Guild Wars 2 community the most because so many people play the game solo. And actually, I would actually say this is a blight on the modern MMO industry in general, actually, um, because MMOs over time have become more solo-focused, right? <laughs> if you look at, say, I mean, the, this is a very extreme example, but a very, well, you know, a, appropriate example. If you look at classic World of Warcraft compared right. to a modern MMO, uh, in classic World of Warcraft, there is no LFG system. You have to talk to other people to get do this. There yes. are quests that cannot be done solo and you have involve elite mobs, elite monsters that you <laughs> cannot do on your own. Mm -hmm. uh, and even some basic quests might require more than one player to do effectively. To do a raid, if you're not in a guild, uh, it's going to be significantly more annoying to get items, get loot, and even get in a group. This is particularly true in vanilla, uh, less so in Burning Crusade. Mm -hmm. uh, Burning Crusade is a lot more puggable, I think. But in classic World of Warcraft, you need to be in a guild of, fi of 40, right? 40 players are needed to do this raid. And then you compare this to uh, modern games. Right. Uh, modern World of Warcraft, there is the looking for raid system. Uh, you have the auto dungeon finder, right? You mm -hmm. have difficulty settings to accommodate different players. And as the games have become more accessible, they have essentially become less community oriented. Mm -hmm. And this means that players, when they're on their own, they go, as soon as I've run out of content, they go, well, what am I supposed to do now? 
because they've run out of content. They've, they've completed all the content and they go, well, I've beaten the game. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is this kind of this is like the MMO paradox in a way like this. It, MMOs have transformed into something where the players were the content and they've turned into essentially bad single player games where the content is the content and not the players. The players become irrelevant. And this is kind of one of the longstanding issues with, with Guild Wars 2, I think, has, has always been this, right? Like, you know, I mean, there's a very topical thing going on right now, of course, with, with the marionette. The marionette is uh, an event where you are forced to rely on other players. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It, it, it's been a bit rough, you know? <laughs> it's a bit tough it's a bit tricky Mm. and a lot of players are struggling with it because they're just not used to dealing with us and they're also not used to failing either right a lot of players are incredibly frustrating you know i I was streaming yesterday for for a long time i did a lot of marionette runs Uh and the player base is very frustrated with this i had a lot of people coming in chat and they were like oh this you know i cannot tolerate this i can't handle this Mm. because they're losing they're doing an open world event that is failing it's not mm-hmm. dying for, it's fighting back. Like the monster is fighting back. Uh-huh. And this is something that I think you had in these previous, you know, these kind of older games mm-hmm. where you have to run on the players and you might not win. You, you, you might lose. Uh, and that's going to vanish in a lot of more modern titles. And this means that, you know, players only really care about the rewards as opposed to the actual experience itself, mm-hmm. which is where you start to encounter difficulties. And this is the thing that I, I think you know, it, it's kind of like you, you've got to get away from this mentality that the content is the most important thing in the game. The mm-hmm. most important thing in Guild Wars 2 is the players. And this is something that I'm trying to refocus on uh, with the Hardstuck project. And, you know, you don't, do you want, if, it, and you don't, the thing is, you don't have to take my word for it. You might say, oh, teapot, you know, that this sounds like some hocus pocus magic stuff. You don't have to take my word for it uh, because there's a great example of this in Guild Wars 2, actually. World versus World. Mm. World versus World is by far the most neglected game mode. Um, or, you know, easily, not even close. Yeah, um, it is a game mode that the developers have done their best to make the player base quit. Um, with balance over time, no content. Uh, you know, uh, you know, abuse of the systems being left in there. Uh, even griefers in GBG being left completely unpunished for a very long time. Which, to be, I want to be very fair. They have actually rectified this and even added a really good you know, uh, certainly a work in progress GVG system for the players, but that took a long time. And alliances, of course, have been shelved and now are confirmed. But again, you know, World vs. World has been neglected for a very long time in Guild Wars 2. Damage has been done. But well, n- no, no, it hasn't actually. Th- th- oh. This is the thing, right? It hasn't been done because the community is still actually very, very vibrant and alive. But like, there are a lot of incredibly old Why would that be? Play the game. Why are they right? still there well, in this neglected well, game mode? Yeah, that's a great, and that's a great, and that's that's the question. And the and the answer is is the evidence I was talking about, right? It's because that game mode is player driven. The content there isn't the developers adding a new map or adding you know a, a new thing, a new feature. The content there is the players, mm-hmm. and this means that these guilds make their own content, and that's what needs to happen in all MMOs, uh, in all game modes, right? Like you know, and this is why stuff like speedrunning is so important uh, yeah. because guess what? Do you know who hasn't quit the game in the PVE scene? Yeah, that's right. Snow crows quantify, right? Uh, uh, the guilds uh, that actually make their own content and find meaning in the game as and you know play as a group of you know a, a big entity and, and compete mm-hmm. against other players and interact with other players. These are the guilds that don't quit. Mm-hmm. Right? These are the players that keep playing, uh, and this is something that I think the broader Guild Wars Two community needs to be aware. Like you know, if you can transform kind of the mundane into something special uh, with the power of community, then I think that's super cool, right? If you, if you can have this very communal experience where everyone's doing meta events, it doesn't have to be like high end, by the way. It doesn't have to be like GVG or 
raid speedruns or fractal speedruns. You yeah. can be like, just meet up with your friends every day and do some open world events, right? And yeah. chat with people and, and, and log on and, and have some fun and mm -hmm. socialize with people. Like that's the real key thing here. And that's exactly what happens to be conveniently missing from most players experience in Guild Wars 2. Mm -hmm. Most players experiences of social interaction will be someone yelling panic when the Octovine's about to fail. And that's as far mm -hmm. as it will go. Or someone like, you know, flaming them for like dying in the marionette, right? Like <laughs> You know, I wondered how marionette was going to be balanced. It's, it's interesting watching the community reaction to it. And you already, you already covered it, of course. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Oh, no, that's, that's kind of my, there's my opening monologue for quotes to mine. Oh, that's beautiful. No. So you're speaking to like um, a community-driven MMO ethos that is dear to my own heart and I have a lot of empathy for. So um, I guess a useful question, a useful place to take this could be, Teapot, if I am a Guild Wars 2 gamer and I feel like I finished the game and I'm frustrated and feel like I don't have anywhere else to go, anything else to do, how do I go from being someone who takes the game for what it's giving me and instead takes the game for what I make it, make the experience that I want? How do you take that next step as a gamer? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is, I think it's actually very easy. Um, okay. You know, in, in today's morning, we have so many tools to do this. Uh, and, it, and it's very easy to engage as much or as little as you want, particularly in Guild Wars 2. Like, Guild Wars 2 is a game that does this quite well, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing is, it, it does it so well that most players just don't do, you know, engage whatsoever. But I think this is very doable. I mean, like, you join a community, and it doesn't have to be mine. Obviously, I'm going to say, yeah, join mine because mine's the best. But no, join, do, do whatever you want. Like, it, it doesn't even have to be a guild. It can be a group of three players, like three friends that you just found, right? Mm -hmm. Just do fractals every day. Or, like, join a raid static. Mm -hmm. or join a community guild of some kind. Uh, and then if you take that step, that one step, you're going to have, your, you, in my opinion, you're going to find yourself having a lot more fun. Uh, and you're also going to extend your enjoyment of the game and, and allow yourself to play the game more. Because I think what a lot of players, the, the underlying issue here is that they say, I want to play this game every day because they're very invested, right? And, and this is like the core issue. They say, right, I want to play the game every day. And the reason I say that players want this is because otherwise you just quit, right? You just mm. quit because, you know, you, you know, if you're not enjoying something, why would you continue? Well, the reason uh -huh. it could be varied, right? It might be sunk cost fallacy or maybe you just have like a lot of, you know, nostalgia for the game and like what it once was. And these are all valid reasons to want to continue playing as well, to be clear. Like that's a valid reason. Um, but at the end of the day, players want to play Guild Wars 2 or they want to play WoW or they want to play RuneScape or they want to play Final Fantasy. And, and they, they have this game that they've picked. They have a lot of emotional attachment to it and they yeah. want to play it. Mm -hmm. it's part of their identity and exactly right they want to play the game and if they want to play the game then that's why they need to do this to look for this solution because this will allow them you need to look for tools that will allow you to enjoy the game mm -hmm. because no matter what game you play you're going to know all of its flaws after like a thousand two thousand hours mm -hmm. right you know right now you know this, this is something that i'm very cynical about this actually um because a lot of uh, players from from wow and now and, and well guild wars soon then wow now went to play final fantasy Right. And they're going, wow, this game is so good. This game is so amazing. Oh my goodness me. That game is literally wow with a different aesthetic. Okay. That's the hard truth. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, because they're both good games. Like Final Fantasy is a great game. And wow is a great game at its core. These are both great games. But the thing is, is that obviously when you go to a new game, that's kind of a similar experience, you're going to look at it and go, like, oh, wow, this is great. You know, I'm really enjoying this. This is amazing. Because it's basically more of mm -hmm. what you want. It's more of what you want, but you don't have to deal with the delays, right? Everyone who's playing Final Fantasy right now, 
they haven't experienced the fact that you get like one or two ultimates a year, which is the hardest content. They haven't, um, they haven't experienced the drought that they're now experiencing um, because the expansion was delayed because of COVID, right? Mm -hmm. They haven't experienced that yet. And essentially, they, they haven't, they're, they're experiencing all of the good because all the good's been bottled up, right? Like when you go to a new MMO, you've got an amount of content that is disgusting. Yeah. Right? Think of a new player. Think of a new player playing Guild Wars 2. Oh, man. They're playing the core game. They're playing Living Story Season 1, what's left of it. <laughs> Living Story Season 2, right? Then they're playing HOT. Then they're playing Living Story Season 3. Then they're playing Path of Fire. Then they're playing Living Story Season 4. Then they're playing Ice Brood Saga. Like, just off the back of that, I mean, how many hours is that before you've even done the content? And bear in mind, while you're doing the content, the idea of waiting for content, the idea of not having anything to do, the idea of not progressing is impossible to even conceive. Mm -hmm. you, you can't imagine that, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can't do that, right? And this is why I say to, to really kind of settle and understand what it means to play an MMO, you have to play a game for such a long time because these games are huge, right? These games are massive. They're, they're yeah. absolutely gargantuan. Like compare, I mean, I, I always like to point this out actually, you know, um, I, I like to think of, you know, comparing Guild Wars 2 to even something like a racing game. Mm -hmm. I think of a racing game, you know, this is a game that's dedicated to racing around a track and speed running. Guild Wars 2 has that with Beatles, yeah. right? We, we have these different vehicles, like these mounts, these Griffin, Skyscale, Raptor, right? Like our game has your game in it. Right, you know what I mean, right? And think about PvP. Think about Conquest. That PvP could easily be its own game. Oh, easily. Yeah. Conquest. Think about League of Legends. League has one map, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Summoner's Rift. Of course, you do have some other games like ARAM, of course. Um, but Guild Wars Two has League in it in the form of Conquest, mm. right? And of course, League of Legends has a huge amount of champions, different amount of champions, right? So th there is obviously more of that. I get there. what you're saying, but, but it's course, the idea of the game mode, the way of playing. Yeah. Yeah, the, the idea of what it is, like the cons the concepts within Guild Wars is huge. So mm -hmm. I'm very cynical when people say this is the best game ever made, right? Oh, wow, this is so much better than Guild Wars 2 or so much better than this or so much better than that. Because in my opinion, they've kind of missed the point. Like th the reason why the game is so cool is because it's a new experience and it's giving them what they want, right? And it feels good and fresh and amazing. But the mm -hmm. thing is, oh, you, you got to bear in mind, like a lot of the people who quit these games, like quitting WoW or quitting Guild Wars 2, you're in like... <laughs> 10,000 hours, right? Okay, call me when you're 10,000 hours into Final Fantasy, uh -huh. right? Okay, like then uh -huh. we can talk, right? And I, I want to be super clear here. I'm not actually besmirching, I'm not saying, I'm not besmirching Final Fantasy or, or WoW or, or oh, Guild yeah. Wars 2 or any of these games. Like that's what I'm trying to get at here is that playing an MMO, if you just rely on content, it is futile no matter what game it is because you will always burn it faster than the devs mm. can make it. And Let's talk about um, Retail World of Warcraft right now. Right now, actually, this is a great time to talk Let's about do it because the, the new raid just came out, uh, Sanctuary right. Domination. And there was a long wait for this too. It was a long wait, um, yes. longer than a lot of people were hoping for, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and it will be full cleared by the top guilds, uh, yeah, the new raid. It will be gone yeah. uh, in probably a week or two. I think the World you know, First uh, Race is happening right now. Yeah, Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, they're on it right now. And that content, which took a long time, I believe it was around a six-month wait, actually, for that patch, if I recall mm -hmm. correctly. Quite a hefty wait um, for this patch. And it's going to be burned in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, different guilds will experience it at a different pace, right? You know, like yes. some guilds will take a month or two to clear mm -hmm. it. Maybe even three months, maybe even four months to clear Mythic fully. And that's true. 
But the thing is, at the baseline, players will have experienced all of that content very quickly, right? And of course, most players won't even play on the hardest difficulty. They'll play yeah. on uh, LFR or normal, and they've done it, right? The, the story is complete. It is done, right? I mean, to and add to that, to the next patch. I think even more players than that won't ever experience the raid at all. Mm. Yeah, That's they, they may the not even truth. play yeah, if they don't want you. Yeah. yeah, they may not even go for that. Uh, and w what I'm trying to get at here with all this, with this slightly, slightly, uh, you know, <laughs> tangential thing here, mm -hmm. is that... I think that all these players who are kind of moving to other games, right? They are they are attributing the they are attributing their enjoyment to, to the wrong reason, right? They're they're saying that oh wow, you know this is it's because the game is better or it's you know the game is being developed in a better way. Whereas mm. in reality, all these games are good, right? They're all good games. It's mm. just the the only difference is that you haven't done all the content in one of them. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that if you continuously go around in this approach, in a way you're kind of doomed to make the same mistake. Like you're you're doomed just to burn out over and over again, because eventually you're going to have all the rewards. You're going to have done all of it. You're going to have beaten all the content. And it's just gone, and it's over, and the journey's over. And I think this is the the, the approach that needs to happen here for all players and all players who are moving around is instead go right. What can I do? Do I want to keep playing the game or do I want to go play something else? Because you can MMO hop. I think that's fine. Yep. Um, but I think uh, I think that if you if you go into this with the wrong approach, then you're the same thing is going to happen to you later on, right? Like the exact mm -hmm. same place you were in with Guild Wars 2 or WoW will happen to you in whatever MMO you go to. You're going to reach the end of the journey and not know what to do. Absolutely. Yeah, by just hopping to a new game rather than trying to... Um bring something of yourself into the experience, right? To make it what you, to make it what, what matters to you. If you don't do that, if you just hop to a new one, you're kind of kicking the can down the road and you just got to deal with it yeah. in six months or a year and a half or however long it takes you to burn through, you know, four expansions for another game. Um, so what you're talking about, Teapot, sounds a lot to me like this. It's like taking responsibility for for making the experience that you want. I think I've caught you on stream a few times calling out your viewers for leaning on video games, and specifically Guild Wars 2, for their enjoyment, for their fulfillment, for their satisfaction, for their validation. And I've seen you exhibit some frustration, and you can tell me if this is fair, about saying no. Like, if you don't want that, don't do that. Do what you want. Do you want this thing to be in the game? Then make it happen. If you want you know, a, a parade around Divinity's Reach that happens once a day, C call up some friends and make it happen. Don't wait for the developers to put an event notification in there for you to do it. Make the experience you want. And that's one, that's that's a message that I really love myself because that's, I mean, what I'm doing with the podcast is essentially that. Um, I was a passive yeah. Guild Wars 2 gamer like the one you're describing and it wasn't enough. And so now I do content like this and suddenly the game is a lot more I have much different perspective on it. I feel like I'm bringing what I want into the experience. Uh, anyway, jump in. Yeah, no, this is definitely fair. Um, I, I am, I do experience a lot of frustration with this because again, I, I view people as, I view this as people kind of dooming themselves, hmm. right? You know, the alternative is, is that, you, you know, look, hear the ticking of the clock, right? It's only a matter of time until you're going to stop enjoying it. Right. Like, that's what I see. I okay. see all these people, they go, they're in the chat and, and they say stuff like, oh, you know, I don't enjoy the game because there's no content. There's nothing to do. Right. Blah, blah, blah. I wish I could enjoy the game, but you know, like there's, there's nothing that can be done. And right. it's like, well, you know, there is, there's plenty you can do. And they say, oh yeah, you know, I just pug raids. 
I clear them and then I log out of the game. It's mm -hmm. like, well, that doesn't sound like much fun at all, does it? Right? Like, of course it's not going to be fun, right? But then, you know, you need, to, you need to look at it and go, okay, like, what could I actually be doing? You know, mm -hmm. could I play with friends? Could I join a community? Could I actually try and change things, right? Because people say that raids are dead. Oh, yeah, raids are dead content. Well, how about we get more people playing raids? Or raids are too easy. Great. Do them with low amounts of players or even better, do it with new players. Because mm -hmm. trust me, playing with new players in Guild Wars 2, like, that, that is, that's where the real content is. That's the challenge, uh -huh. okay? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay um you know be a part of something like make something happen right just do it um you know it doesn't take a lot uh to actually in my opinion improve your enjoyment of the game but mm -hmm. players just kind of sit in their routines and do the exact same thing and expect arena net to cater to their every whim and then also experience something to change because of this well nothing's ever going to change if you do the exact same thing every mm -hmm. single day that's just not how it works mm -hmm. that just doesn't make any sense like it, it's completely insane um to expect you know arena net to completely bend uh, to say the whims of a veteran player when the veteran scene just is essentially kind of um, withering, right? Okay, like it, it's essentially withering away. So unless we actually are able to create this demand for this content, then why would they ever change, right? Like if the raid scene, if the PvP scene, raid scene, world versus world scene, if it's slowly dwindling, then why on earth would a reader ever change their policy regarding it? Mm -hmm. Right, like that, that's what I see here because arena, and, and this makes I, I think this is the thing that, that people you know also need to wake up because you you can criticize arena, and I've criticized arena, and I think there's a lot of fair criticisms mm -hmm. of arena that you, you can make, but ultimately, I think that we as the community have to also you know get uh, kind of respect arena for what it is. Arena is a business, and they make content for uh, their players, and they want content that loads of players can enjoy and loads of players want to enjoy and want to get engaged with. And if no one's playing raids, then ArenaNet shouldn't make raids, okay? Because that is their job, right? Their job is to make a game that lots of people like, right? And if lots of people don't like raids or don't want to play raids, then they shouldn't make raids. Now, obviously, like as a player who's into raids, I wish they would, of course, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but ultimately I have to respect the fact that they need to make money, right? And they are a, you know, ultimately like as the audience changes and the demographics change, then so too will the game, <laughs> right? And I think a lot of players, um, the, you know, funny enough, the players who tend to complain about this a lot are actually the players who are, they kind of live in a bit of an echo chamber. They live in their own uh, bubble and they believe that their concerns are the concerns of the majority of the player mm -hmm. base. In reality, the opposite is true. The reality of the situation is that um, players who care about raids are the extreme minority, mm -hmm. right? And therefore, you know, like people say, oh, ArenaNet should listen to us, listen to us. Well, you know, I, I often bring up a comparison to democracy, right? You know, like because this is kind of like the, you know, it is a bit of a tyranny of the majority thing. It's kind of the downside of democracy. The downside of democracy is that sometimes you don't win. Uh, <laughs> and that's what's going on here, right? If 90% of the player base don't want raids and 10% do mm -hmm. well what does the 10% have to do does the 10% need to shout louder right mm -hmm. or do they need to actually convince the 90% that raids might not be so bad mm -hmm. do they maybe need to actually help those 90% engage with raids because what it seems to be me is is that the players who kind of want change in the game one refuse to enact any kind of action to help the community who's not really interested in that content get into it they also uh, engage in 
you know, often fairly toxic behaviors. And we'll say, right. like, oh, you know, these casuals need to get good. Like these players are idiots, right? Oh, never community versus community negativity. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll they'll just start fighting. But the thing is, like, to, to me, I don't exactly. And here's the thing, okay? Because there is a there is a part of me that doesn't exactly disagree with that. Right. You know, I'm a player who does think, yeah, you should work for stuff, right? You know, you, you know, challenge should be part of the game. Okay? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, what's the alternative? Like the, the alternative is just die on this hill and say, you know, oh yeah, game should be hard. And then you can just play, you can play your one souls game a year and then that's it, right? You'll never get anything like this. Like welcome to 2021, right? This is the year of the mobile game. This is in fact, well, no, let, let's say let, this is the decade. Okay. One of, uh, doomed us all when they invented yeah. the iPhone, right? Yeah, this has been going this way like, for a little while. You know, and, and I think that a lot of players, they think that they're kind of like fighting a war against mm-hmm. the casuals, mm-hmm. but they're not. You've been occupied by the cat. It's over. It's over. The like, war is over. The- you you lost. lost. Yeah, it's <laughs> over. You lost. It's over. Right? You, you know, you're like this crazy guy, like, you know, shouting how, oh, yeah, the Raiders will rise again, right? Like, uh, well, this is long gone. This uh-huh. is ancient history, right? You know what I mean? Like, this is game over. And this is why I think that, you know, if you are a Raider, if you are a PvP, if you are a world versus world player, don't fight this because you've already lost um, and you need to actually start thinking about, okay, how can we actually improve the situation? Yeah. And this is, the, I think this is the key fact that players are missing here. They're missing this insight that, that we are not the ones who are kind of holding the cards here, right? That we're the ones who need to actually make the compromises and actually try yep. and improve the situation. Because if we don't, it's only going one way, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if, um, you know, I, I think there probably will be one more raid that gets released uh, at some point. If it doesn't go well, it will probably be the last one. And this is this is a part of this, and certainly fueled by the expansion, is why I created and, and why I'm on you know, so fervently tryharding this mission. Is because, in my opinion, this this really is it. Uh, it's not for Guild Wars two, but this is it for the hardcore scene. When I say hardcore scene, I mean PvP, world versus world, and race, right. and, and hardcore PvP, end game PvP. Yeah, this is the last stand. We are really last standing this. Mm-hmm. And if we don't reach out to the broader community and say, hey, yeah, you guys are welcome here and we'll help you. We'll give you builds that will help you play and we'll give you easier options and strategies that you can uh, use to clear this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we will um, uh, welcome you into our community and we'll make it accessible and we'll make it easier, right? Um, if we don't do this, then how could we ever expect ArenaNet or no, no, not even reading it. How could we ever expect things to change if we aren't willing to change the state of play, right? If we just Boom. leave the variables right as there. they are right now, mm-hmm. right? If if we're going to just leave stuff as it is, then why would anything ever change from its current trajectory, right? Yeah, the, the raid scene is dwindling, right? Yeah, PvP is dwindling. So if we don't change anything, then why would that ever change, right? You know, if if you just leave a ball rolling down a hill. What's going to happen? What do you expect? I mean, it's going to roll down the hill, and mm-hmm. you know you need to put your foot in front of it to stop it rolling down the hill, or even you know kick it back up the hill. And this is kind of what I was getting at last. I mean, last time when I said that you know, if you stop organizing stuff, then it just dies immediately. This uh-huh. is true, and it's kind of still true. Uh, I'm trying to change that, but it's 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 still true. And it's yeah. the thing that I think, in my opinion, the Guild Wars Two community really lacks. And again, I, look, I, I want to be super coachy because I, I, I actually wait. Hang on. Hello, hello, viewers. If you and hello, viewers and listeners on the podcast, hello. you guys have made it this far. 
right? You may well be thinking that, wow, this is very, very doom and gloom. I want to be very clear. I am actually one really enjoying playing the game right now and streaming the game um, with what I'm doing and, you know, trying to organize this community. And I actually feel very positive. Um, I'm very happy with the progress I've been making um, with uh, doing some of these these missions, these things that I'm trying to organize. I'm having a great time. It's just that I, I have got into an incredibly pragmatic mindset and mm -hmm. I view all these issues within the community and I go, right, we have to fix this. Right, we have you know. I'm looking. Yeah, these are problems. These are big problems, and we mm -hmm. need to fix them now. They mm -hmm. need to be fixed. Yeah, the first step towards actually working towards a better future is to recognize the present, know where you are, name the issues, be realistic, don't delude yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, if you, if there are a few things you pointed out there that I want to I want to kind of signal boost. Mm -hmm. Number one, the casual Leviathan um, that's out there that we never hear from. But whose, but whose metrics and whose data actually drives the entire direction of this industry. You know, uh, the fact that raiders are in a embattled minority. Um, there actually is a question I have for you about the rating thing. It's an idea that I've heard, and I wonder how you feel about it. Um, and it, it's a suggestion of, um, it's kind of a retort to the idea of, well, if people aren't playing raids, why should they make them? This is a, a retort that I've heard. I'm curious what your take on it is. And it's that... Um, Yes, it may be okay to have content in the game that is not played by many if it is still consumed by them indirectly. Because if you create high-level Apex content that keeps streamers and creators busy, the, the, the knock-on effect of having more creator involvement and interest will have a, an effect through social media that will amplify the profile of the game, make more people find it, make more people excited to engage with it. And maybe they'll find raids or whatever that content is. Maybe they won't, but it'll make it, it'll be worth the investment in that content, not because of who is directly playing it in the game, but because of a broader effect. What do you think of that idea? I mean, that's, th this is true. This is valuable, extremely valuable. Okay. Um, the, the great example of this is once again, uh, with stuff like Final Fantasy and World of Warcraft, I think. Um, if you look at the content creation scene there, like I think it is a huge part of it. When you have these massive streamers taking a look at it, uh, yeah, that is a big deal. When you have Asmongold trying it with his gang, that is mm -hmm. massive. Yeah, that is absolutely huge. And I think that raid content is indeed good for this, but I think this is something that ArenaNet is not necessarily concerned with. And I guess they've just made the trade-off and they just think that it isn't really worth it. Uh, that's not their niche in the market. I guess they don't want to directly compete with these other games. Because if they do say, yeah, we're going to be a raiding game, that puts them head-to-head -head with incredibly established games like World of Warcraft and Final Fantasy. Yeah, it's and a tough game to win. That's not what Guild Wars 2 is. Mm. That's not Guild Wars 2. Guild Wars 2 is this very PVX, right? You know, there's different game modes in Guild Wars 2, right? Whereas Final Fantasy and WoW are certainly more PvE focused. Like the, the, the end game is raids. That isn't the case in Guild Wars 2. Mm. Right? In Guild Wars 2, it's PvP. It's world versus world. Uh, it's raids if you want, practice if you want, or you can just do open world, or you can just do mm -hmm. nothing, right? Like, you know, like Guild Wars 2 is a very wide open game. And I think they don't want to confuse, I don't think they want to kind of dilute the identity of their own product um, because of that. Uh, so that's kind of like the way the way I see it and why they might not want to compete there. I think they actually could. I think the raids in here are very good. But yeah. other than that, I guess that trade just isn't really worth it. Like Guild Wars 2 is not, you know, a number one streaming game right now. It isn't. It isn't there. So it's kind of like, would they go for raid content and high-end aspirational content to gamble on that? Mm -hmm. um, probably not. And it is also worth noting that um, I imagine one of the really big things on why these other games make this type of content is because it is actually accessible in these other games. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if you look at stuff like 
uh, while in Final Fantasy, yeah, like they have easy settings. They have mm-hmm. easy modes, right? Whereas in Guild Wars 2, yeah, uh, you don't. And if you don't understand the game, you will never beat this content, right? You will never win. Like if you don't get over the skill, uh, you know, floor, right, essentially for a raid, you will never kill it, ever. It's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is kind of a big problem because, yeah, of course, when the new raid wing comes out, there's loads of, uh, you know, Twitch viewers, people are excited, right, all this kind of stuff. But on the other hand, a very, very small amount of people are going to be able to engage with that content. Uh, so it may not be worth it. But I agree with that sentiment. I think that sentiment is true, right? Like, it is true. Just generally speaking. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, yeah, aspirational mm-hmm. content I think is really good, and I think Guild Wars Two's lack of it and lack of promotion of it certainly is um, certainly is a problem um, for the game and mm-hmm. the way the game is marketed and the way the game is. But this has been more of a. It's kind of like that ship sailed a while ago, right? I'm not saying they couldn't, you know, get a new ship and sail it again, but this is a mistake that Guild Wars Two kind of made a lot they tried to do the pv the pvp esports thing but they that kind of blew up in their face so they kind of had some of that going on there but Mm -hmm. i don't think they ever quite executed it quite as they would have liked Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i spent a little bit of time learning about the pvp scene especially when it was kind of thriving and uh when the pro league was going um very different time and i think it's interesting to look back at the history of where that was and when it kind of petered off Looking back at the history of the the endgame PvE scene, I, I think back to Heart of Thorns, right? And they announced raids, and um, at the time, I, as someone who was coming to Guild Wars 2 fairly freshly, but someone who had played Guild Wars 1, so I was familiar with the franchise, I thought that was pretty exciting. Like, it got the old-school MMO, like, it, it got the, the original WoW vanilla raid leader in me excited. Like, yeah, yeah, baby, let's go. Let's turn it up to 11. Let, let's let's hit it hard. Um, mm-hmm. And then that that kind of raids didn't go where I might have hoped they could. Um, I think that there's a conversation to be had about leadership and what leadership change means. And this is fast forwarding way further in the conversation than I was, than I was hoping for us to be this far into it. But um, I think back to that period of Guild Wars... Um, this started roughly in my mind when, when Maiko assumed game directorship, when he expanded his role from being just the president, president of the company to also the game director. And I see a lot of things starting to change about approach to end game, um, and, uh, approach to social media around that time. Does that match so, with your recollection? Is that a fair characterization in your mind? Uh, uh, you know, it, 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 kind of, like, or do you just I not want to speculate? A, All right. Well, ArenaNet has always been this company that they sometimes they they innovate for the sake of innovation, right? Uh, and they well they didn't ever approve of difficulty settings because it splits the player base, right? And as a sure. result of this, they tried to make raids one size fits all is what they tried to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the pinnacle of this is actually Wing Seven, the Key of Adashim, right? The final wing. And this was a really interesting wing. Because it's actually a really nicely designed one. You know, like the bosses are kind of fun, they're kind of cool, right? And in fact, Sabir and Adina are excellent uh, from a design point of view. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that not many people actually like Wing 7 that much. Why is that? Um, and we're talking about hardcore players and we're talking about casual players. Hmm. It's a great question. And the question is, the answer is 
because it's, it's even though it's a very easy wing. Um, actually, no, let me, let me explain it like this. Because it's far too easy for people who know what they're doing, and it's far too hard for people who don't. That's mm. why. And in my opinion, Wing 7 is the ultimate evidence that you cannot do one size fits all. It mm. does not work. It is. It will inevitably. And they did this with strikes, right? They repeated the same mistake with strikes. By the way, mm-hmm. um, you know how they tried to do the difficulty ramp with strikes. You know, you have the you know the easier ones, right? Um, you know, you have the, the the harder ones, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, this doesn't work because most people, again, strikes are way too easy for people who want a challenge, and they're way too hard for people who are inexperienced and don't really care about getting good at the game. And mm-hmm. I, I think this has probably been one of the top mistakes that Arena has made over the course of their development cycle is that they essentially do far more work than any other game developer hmm. okay uh when world of warcraft release a raid they release 10 bosses and basically everyone can play them yeah okay well when arena Net release a raid okay um or, or a strike mission they end up releasing it for one particular audience right so when a raid comes out realistically only raiders can really experience that mm-hmm. when strike missions came out it didn't really appease the raiders. It only really appeased um, the more casual audience, right? Who kind of wanted something a bit more accessible. So you can see how you have these different blocks of players in right. the community, right? You have, you know, you have these, you know, these different blocks. And the thing is, is that ArenaNet targets one of them at a time, right? They say, okay, uh, I, you know, we're going to do something now for the hardcore players and make a raid. Okay, now we're going to do something for the more casual players. But the thing is, is that other games companies do this all in one go, right? They say, okay, right, we're going to release all of this. It's going to be sufficiently accessible that basically anyone can play through it, mm-hmm. um, more or less-ish, right? And therefore, they kind of like double their value up. They double mm. the value there. Um, and this is something that just does not work because they end up trying to make it work for everyone and it ends up working for no one, yeah. unfortunately. I think one uh, of the... That's exactly what happened with Wing 7 and with Strikes, right? They, mm-hmm. they were like, okay, we're going to make this bridge, but then no one's happy because it's way too hard for people who are still, you know, don't care about being good at the game. Mm-hmm. And it's ridiculously easy for anyone who knows what their buttons do. Yeah. So they and, made content that appeals to absolutely no one, essentially. And people who have been burned on raids in the past don't know that the new raid might be for, it might be for them. Um, one mm-hmm. of the things that strikes me about this problem, Teapot, is uh, looking at like um, WoW retail. So like for me, I know that for the level of engagement I want to have with with the raids in WoW retail, um, that I'm probably going to top out at clearing heroic. I'm probably not going to put in the time to do mythic raiding. And that just has to do with the amount of energy I'm willing to put into that specific game when raids are current. Um, so I have this knowledge whenever I approach a new patch to say, oh, you know, what do I have to do to, to play the heroic content? You know, what item level do I need to have? Um, what dailies do I need to be thinking about doing? Where are my friends at? Who's playing w- what levels? Who, who's going to do Mythic? Who's just going to do LFR and punch out? Or who's not playing this patch? That kind of thing. So there's this kind of communication that, that is possible to have because expectations have been set at a meta level about the kinds of investment that are needed at the different, at different points of the content. It's kind of like, in a way, the content for WoW, and this could be a dig, depending on how you look at it, is on rails from an expectation perspective. If you're going to engage with some part of the game, at least the classic game modes, thinking about dungeons, battlegrounds, arenas, raids, thinking about those at at the end of the game, you can have a um, 
you can have a sort of um, like a rating, like uh, what's your what's the, the 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 golf term handicap? You know your handicap, and you're going to play to your handicap. Um, with Guild Wars, um, like you say, uh, it's not just the fact that the last raid wing might be a problem in terms of not serving one audience or another very well. But there's a, just this, a generic kind of question about, well, if I'm this kind of player and I have this much energy and interest to put into the game, what is going to reward this interest? And it's hard to know. Well, it, it's hard to know. And also, this is the bizarre thing about Guild Wars 2, because I think a lot of people look at Guild Wars 2 as a very, you know, a very casual, friendly game. Mm -hmm. a very accessible game and in some aspects this is true but in other aspects this is not true okay uh, like raids are very inaccessible and i know a lot of people and this is kind of the problem we were talking about in the previous the previous uh, segment right like a lot of people go oh don't be ridiculous teapot raids are so easy and this is a problem right this if is you think that raids are easy then you're yeah. part of the problem yeah. Right? Well, I wouldn't say you're part of the problem. You're just kind of under a slight misapprehension. Well, it's, a, it's a failure yeah, to, to perceive the, the abilities of the mm -hmm. average player. It's a failure to yes. understand the problem that you're actually we're actually dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, like, th this is a thing that you see across the entire game. And I would actually even argue that the same thing is true with fractals. Like, fractals, to me, the, this is, uh, you know, epitomized with the... Agony resistant system, a bizarre oh, system for Guild Wars Two, in my opinion. I so agree because you have this, you, you have this idea of oh, if you want to play a character in Fractals, you need to buy infusions for this entire character, mm -hmm. and you need ascended gear in order to even play this game mode. Yeah. Now, in and of itself, that's not a big deal, right? That you know that isn't crazy. It's not that hard to get even for a you know a relatively entry level player getting ascended gear. Yeah, not that bad. Okay. But the thing is, is that you've got to do that for every character. So if I'm playing, say, my Firebrand and I want to play my Rev, my Rev Renegade, then I've got to gear an entire new character, buy mm -hmm. Agony for that character, right? And then nuke a bunch of gold, and then it's going to take me a while to get that back um, with that investment, right? This is so weird for Guild Wars 2, particularly seeing as like raids and strike missions don't require um, Ascended Gear. This is where it gets really funky in my yeah. the game is very The, the game is very um, confusing in this respect. And there are a lot of like big accessibility window uh, kind of things that really stick out to me. Uh, and raids, again, like they are honestly brutal. If you compare raids to anything, um, outside of raids it's not even close like mm. fractals are a, even even if you look at tier four fractals tier four fractals are a complete joke compared to raids okay um they they really really are they are huh. so much easier so like it's not just about like the difficulty ramp it's just that there's not even anything that will get you anywhere near to this uh, mm -hmm. and there's no like easy way to approach it because again it's 10 player content right it's going to require a lot of wiping to get that i mean it, this is a fun story actually the first raid i did in guild wars 2 was one of course when it came out, and i raided with a group there it was called the um oh what, what were they called it was like black lion um Oh man, wow! I'm I actually I cannot believe that I can't remember the name of the guild right now. But anyway, um, yeah, it was it was like a black line themed guild or something, kind of like a you know a, a group of just people who were some streamers and stuff like that who were streaming. Okay. And we played with a wide assortment of people, and uh, yeah, it took us a full nearly a week to kill a Veil Guardian, just Veil Guardian Ooh. for the first time. Yeah, and. This this was super interesting to me because you know you you realize that wow yeah like that was probably the closest thing I had to a regular player's experience in raids like that kind of first time was probably how most players experience raids a lot of the time because mm -hmm. it took such a long time to kill that 
Uh, and now, obviously, yeah, you know, things have moved on a bit. You know, raids just did a lot better. There's been a lot of power creep. Still, I think yeah. a lot of players have a similar experience where they might play for hours and hours and hours and not kill it. Um, and I think that's very frustrating for a lot of players. And I think if that isn't inaccessible, then then what is, right? That is quite inaccessible, I think, um, for, you know, the majority of players. Like, that's very difficult mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. for most players to get into. And I think that, you know, you need, we need to recognize that. And I think a reading net also needs to recognize this and and try and fix this because i i kind of get the allure of not wanting to have difficulty settings because it simplifies your game and can give a more uniform experience but the problem with this is that you know we're we're dealing with such a huge variety of of skill levels and interests within the game right that it's not it's just I just don't think it's going to work uh and and you end up just making everyone really mad uh, by going in this direction yeah, I know that design for any game, there's always a phase where you have to cut things. You have this idea for how how a new system or a new, a new piece of content can exist. And typically what ends up being manifested within the actual game client is a shaved down version of the original idea. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, where I was going with that is not too interesting. Forget that. Oh, Forget that. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting. <laughs> no, like I thought, I thought that's something interesting, interesting to say, but I really don't. But actually, there's another thing I want to ask you about. <laughs> Let's redirect that. Uh, so talking again about, I really want to relate back to what I was saying about knowing knowing that I'm a heroic raider in World of Warcraft and the value of that and how easy that makes it for me to understand how to engage with stuff. Um, there's this, there's this. maybe it's a problem, maybe it's an opportunity. I'm, I'm open to different ways of describing it. Um, but I had to, I talked to, um, to one of the devs a few weeks ago um, and a conversation arose as a result of that about the difficulty ladder in Guild Wars 2, about what the rungs on the ladder are and what could be the rungs from open world content and living, and living story content all the way up through incorporating things like world versus world and PvP, which would be near the top, obviously. The hardest thing to do is to fight another player. And where does rating fit within that? Where do fractals fit within that? And where... If you are a player who's wanting to take bigger and bigger bites of the experience, how could you be led through that? And where are the biggest gaps in terms of the rungs? Where do you think the biggest gaps are? You know, this is weird. This is going to be, this actually might be an insanely uh, unusual answer, but I, I actually think it's the first rung. Uh, in fact, uh-huh. it's the, in fact, I think it's the only relevant one. I think it's the only important rung that, that, it, that isn't there as the first one. Uh, I think the Describe only it. reason why players, um, yeah, sure. Like the only reason why players have any difficulty with Guild Wars Two is because they fundamentally don't understand the game. Okay, right. Uh, and, and why is I think that? this is is because the game is complicated and it's a hard game. Guild Wars Guild Wars uh-huh. Two is a hard game, very hard game. I think. What makes it um, hard? Uh, the combat system is complicated. Let's talk about that. And the way it works is is weird. So I think that if you if there's anything that you want to do, if there's anything you want to try and fix, uh, it's a way to help players understand the very basics of the game. Mm-hmm. How does dodging work? How uh, do boons work? How does DPS work in this game? Mm-hmm. And what about reviving? Uh, you know, what about positioning? Like that is what re- people really struggle with. Yeah, uh, you boons. Know, like you'll, you'll see the importance. That, I mean, just turn on, just turn on um, Arc DPS and go in open world. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the the game is very skill based. You'll see players in open world who are using abilities, but using those abilities makes them worse, right? And and this this sounds very very harsh and maybe a little bit toxic, but it's true. Like um, a lot of players who use skills 
end up with lower DPS because they use the skills wrong. Uh -huh. I think this is a very kind of counterintuitive thing about Guild Wars 2, is that sometimes abilities are only good if you use them well. I, I was actually, I recently started playing with a fairly new player, and he was trying to play Power Chronomancer. Okay. And he was uh, using Continuum Split to reset all his cooldowns. Right. Right, uh, to do his rotation. A complicated and mechanic, let's the, be honest. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, when he stopped doing Continuum Split, his DPS doubled. <laughs> he was okay. splitting was his DPS. He was, yeah. He was, he was using the ability so poorly that that one ability was halving his damage. Huh. And you'll see this across the board. Huh. Players in open world are doing far worse than auto-attack DPS. Yeah. Okay, far worse than auto-attack DPS. And... This is because they just don't understand how the combat system works. Mm -hmm. And like the, the analogy I always give on this stuff is like, it, it's kind of, it, it's, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a different analogy here, but okay. I always say something like, you know, it's, it's like trying to, it's like trying to do algebra without understanding how addition works, right? Like yeah. trying, trying to teach like a player, a raid or a fractal uh -huh. or, or, uh -huh. or, or even a strike mission or even a dragon response mission or even the twisted marionette without them understanding how the combat system works. It's complete nonsense, mm. right? Like the player will not be able to comprehend what you're talking about. How's right? this they for a metaphor? See if this describes mm -hmm. it to you. It's kind of like knowing how to drive a sedan how to write and turn signal, how to drive in city traffic, and getting behind the, the wheel of a high-performance racing car. Um, in, in a way, yeah. I mean, uh, although I would say that's a, a little bit too generous. Again, I'm not, I'm not kind of like trying to roast, roast more casual players here, but no, they, they, don't, they don't even know how to like ride a bike or walk, right? You know, it's, it's just that <laughs> there's... all the crib. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're all right, baby, baby, drive they're, this they're, race car. Their arms around. Yeah, and they just, yeah. just go, yeah, drive. Because I think and that, yeah, like... There's loads of buttons and dials everywhere, and it just makes no sense. From other MMO experiences I've had, like, it's just it's just harder to play badly than it is in Guild Wars 2. And it isn't just the combat system, it's also the gear system. It's a lot easier to gear badly, I feel like, too. Um, if you look at, yeah. at gear in, like, in modern World of Warcraft, like, it is so on rails. It is very hard to make bad gear choices. Mm. But with Guild Wars 2, I think make it, it's 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 the default is to make bad gear choices because it's very difficult to know what actual, how you should use the combat system to get success and how the gear interacts with the combat system. Unless you're going outside the game to all these tools and the like 80% of players will never do that. This is correct. And I think, yeah, you've hit the nail right on the head there. Um, in Guild Wars 2, it let the game lets you be catastrophically bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can, it can, and look, this is something that, um, uh, Mike Z said, uh, a while back when he was still at the company, uh, he said that, yeah, like in, if you're looking at player skill, like top players are doing it 10 times more damage than your average player. That's a number. Right? 10 times yeah, man. more damage. Right. And, and when you put that in perspective, like then you realize where the, where the rung is missing in my mm -hmm. opinion. Right. Cause when you go, oh, wait. 10 times less damage. Well, just imagine every raid you've ever done. Mm -hmm. Imagine Veil Guardian, even Mercer Overseer. Okay. Okay. And then think, what if you had 10 times less DPS? What if the <laughs> fight took 10 times longer? I'd still be in there. So, you know, maybe if, you know, you're killing Veil Guardian, you're doing, and maybe Veil Guardian takes you, say, five minutes. Let's say it's a five-minute boss kill. Yeah. You know, normal yeah. time. Okay. 
What if it was 50 minutes? Even those like low mans don't take that long. No. Even a solo doesn't take that long sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. A duo takes, a duo is quite fast. A solo, I think, takes around 50 minutes, I think, uh, to, uh, to two hours. It's like, it's like an hour to two hours to, is to solo it. And okay. this is a big problem, mm-hmm. okay? Because all of a sudden, then you can say, oh, this is how you do this. This is how that mechanic works, right? Stand there, do this, do that. None of that is in even, you're not, you, you can't even begin to have that conversation mm-hmm. because that boss has got an eight minute enrage timer and you're going to kill it in 50. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, so you can't even talk. You, there is no point in saying, go in the green circle, stand here, don't get teleported. That is meaningless gibberish at that right. point. When Mechanics don't stage. matter. It means nothing. If you can't get over um, that initial hump, of this is how you heal, this is how you apply boons, this is how you do DPS, this is how you attack, this is how you defend, this is how you survive, then anything like, oh, this mechanic, this, that, whatever, it is completely irrelevant, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it means nothing. And this is actually one of the reasons why I kind of stopped doing raid guides, because I just came to this realization that they were useless, um, because who's watching them, right? Like, who is going to actually get value out of these raid guides. Because the real problem is that people can't even use the raid guide, right? They don't Mm -hmm. know how to apply the information there. The information won't help people. Like uh, when you, when you say, oh yeah, this is how you do this encounter. You, you are, you are not helping people who actually need help. You're Mm -hmm. you're basically helping people. You're you're speeding up people who are already going to do it is what you're doing. Right? Mm-hmm. Like when you say, oh yeah, do this, do that, you're just saying, you're just basically accelerating people, but you aren't helping people Preaching who are to the choir. cut out. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. And what, what we need to be doing, this is my opinion, and to be clear, mm-hmm. I actually do value raid guides and I do want to have one for every boss. I do want to get that done, actually. I'm kind of working on it. So I know that sounds a bit weird now that I said that, but I'm also like very aggressively attacking, in my opinion, the far greater issue, which, which is, is the fact that most players, which is that most players cannot engage with 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 the game they don't know where to begin they have no baseline from which to jump right they don't have this start point the right? missing wrong lost and th- this is but the, by the way i don't want to i'm not i'm not I, I i'm trying to avoid sounding condescending here as well because it, it look the it, this is kind of like you know what you know if you're trying to learn like say a foreign language or something right um you know or, or you're trying to just, you know, have a conversation in a foreign language. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the language, it's impossible, right? right? You can't go to Germany and start just speaking to someone who, you know, you can't just say, hey, I'm just going to, you know, I've never speak, spoken German before. Don't know how the language works whatsoever. I don't understand the grammar. I don't understand the syntax, right? Uh, and you just go over there and just start talk, trying to talk to people. It's just not going to work, right? I know so exactly you what you that, mean. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, like, th- this is the thing, right? You know, you, you know, if you people don't have this kind of like baseline knowledge of how this stuff works it's just mm-hmm. nothing you can do is really going to get them past that you mm-hmm. need to have this baseline understanding and then you can move on from that point you need to you know if people know what boons are then suddenly it's way easier to do stuff if people know how stats work and what gears are or how gear works then all of a sudden it's way easier to get to this point but mm-hmm. if you don't have that there's nothing you can do and again this is not really even you know it, it doesn't say anything about the player in particular. It's just that if you lack knowledge, you can't do something, right? If you don't understand how to solve a mathematics problem, it's not because you're necessarily like, you know, a big dum-dum or you're just an incompetent, an incompetent mathematician. It's because you don't know how to solve the problem. 
Mm. Right. Uh, and then, then if someone explains it to you, or if you learn how to solve it, then you can. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the, this is the core issue, in my opinion. The core issue is that players just do not have the ability to solve the problem. And they don't understand how to understand. They don't know how to learn. They don't even know how to begin looking at it, right? It's kind of like one of those things, you know, when you're in, I don't know, like you're, you're doing something, a very complicated project, and there's just so much out there that you're like, oh, what do I even, where do I even begin, right? Like, where right. do you even start with this? Right. And like, that is, I, I'm, and the thing is, I, I'm, hundred percent sure that almost everyone watching it and everyone that I'm, that I'm talking about can actually has a similar situation that they've experienced. I'm sure that almost everyone has a skill that they have that maybe they're, they're very good at a certain sport or they, or maybe they do speak a language or they, uh, or they, uh, are, you know, a developer, a programmer, or mm -hmm. they, you know, are, are good at art, right? They can draw something or play an instrument, right? You know, they've probably been in a situation where they've been looking at someone else try to do it and go like, oh my goodness, like what is going on here? Like, what are you doing? Uh, you know, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, you're dealing with someone at work who's got, hasn't got a bloody clue. Right. Uh -huh. And you think like, what is going on here? Like, it's the exact <laughs> same thing with Guild Wars too. Right. You know, it's the exact same thing. Uh, you know, if you're, you know, you, if people don't know what they're doing, then there's just so much to go over before you can get them to the point where they're able to do it on their own. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a point well made. Let me ask you a question. Have you heard of Planetside 2? Yes. For those who haven't, it's like world versus world with guns. It's an easy way to think about it. And tanks and airplanes. Um, it's a game that I love. And it's a game with a very small following, like 2,000 daily active players. Um, it's a game that I've tried to get friends into in the past. And me being competent and I think a decent communicator, I've done a good job of helping my friends know how to approach the game give them the knowledge they need to have success within the game. In my experience, though, pretty much all of my friends bounce off the game. Not because they don't know how to be successful, because they don't care about being successful. So I guess the question I want to ask you, Teapot, is where do you think this audience of people who are out there who will make a different decision about Guild Wars 2 is because of having more knowledge about how combat and gear and all uh -oh. that stuff works? Uh-oh. 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 Now... <laughs> This, this is where the ultimate Duma pill, red pill is about to drop here because oh. you're absolutely right. The, this is the reality and you can scream, you can shout, but this is reality and there's no way around it. Yeah. Most people don't care. Uh, and most people never will care. Uh, I can make all the guides I want, explain everything that I want. It, realistically, I'm never going to get a large majority of people because people just don't care and that's fine <laughs> by the way mm -hmm. um you know think think you know again and i would encourage the audience to to do this for themselves because i i see someone in the chat saying they just admit that most people are bad well every person that you're calling bad right now right they're probably better than you at something mm. right if that's a skill in real life or another game right maybe they play guild wars you very casually but they're an excellent league of legends player for mm. example right and they're far better than you at league um they would say the same thing about you Right? Or they could say the same thing about you, not that they necessarily would. And this is because in your life, you choose what you want to put effort into. Yep. And you don't want to put effort into everything because you, you don't, ha you, you can't. You won't be that, useful right? anything you if you yeah. try that. Yeah. yeah, you know, you, you can't invest all your time into, into everything. Mm -hmm. right? It's not going to work. And the, the reason I advocate for trying to help, because th this is my, my overall philosophy, this is the, the philosophy of Teapot here, is that I don't really worry about things that are outside of my control. Mm -hmm. And the real solution is the solution that every other MMO has come up with, right? Is to limit bad choices that you could make. And also 
uh, difficulty settings so that the content becomes accessible. Mm. Uh, for example, you know, like stuff like looking for aid, easy mode, right? You know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, if you look at a lot of these games, I mean, like the great examples is stuff like Celeste, right? Celeste is an incredibly customizable game. With, How's with it work? I don't know. Works. I don't know much about it. Right? Okay. Uh, well, you can tweak almost everything, like from the mm. game speed uh, to like, you know, like almost everything can be changed, right? Okay. Like it's very, okay. very customizable. And obviously you can't do that in an MMO. But what you can do uh, is that you can add different difficulties to the point where it's essentially kind of like playing a very simple version of the game, right? Mm. And this can apply to very challenging games too, actually, because, um, you know, I, I got into a lot of debates about stuff like Dark Souls and, and Sekiro having difficulty options and how it wouldn't really negatively impact the game mm -hmm. and, and the game that's in a way kind of in a similar genre to this is a game called fury hmm. right, which is not exactly like these games it's a bit more of like a kind of a bullet hell simulator okay. um, but it's very much designed to be a challenging it, it is a game that is built from the core up as a challenging experience okay okay it is a hard game okay uh and uh but it has an incredibly easy mode. It's called Promenade Mode, which is basically you can just play through the story. Right? Uh -huh. You can play through it. This is a very, very hard game. It still is very challenging for those who want a challenge if they want to play it on the hardest difficulty setting. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also has a lot of accessibility. And every other game except Guild Wars 2 has figured this out. Mm -hmm. right? um, I think that ArenaNet probably are clued into this by now. I would certainly hope so anyway. I'm but, yeah, every, astonished that you know, they weren't. Yeah. The only way to do this is to add uh, easy mode and options for players who don't care. Because if you don't, then you're just not going to get value out of content. World of Warcraft realizes this. Final Fantasy realizes this. Everyone realizes this, right? Uh, it's just that Guild Wars 2 hasn't implemented it yet. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason I say make guides and like do this stuff, because even if we can help 1%, that's more than zero, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that if we don't, then we are kind of in a way setting ourselves up for failure. Like, you know, suppose that, suppose that I really do a great job, right? Okay. I mean, uh, suppose that I do a really good job because I hope I do, right? You know, and this is kind of like going into the hard stuck stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I'm running a community called Hard Suck right now. We aim right. to help players learn the game and get into raids and PvP and all that stuff. Let, let's suppose that I can generate a community of, let's say, 10,000 players who okay. are now raiding, PvPing, playing World versus World. Awesome. Yeah, that would be unbelievably significant because yeah. let me tell you this, guys. Okay, the amount of players who raid probably is <laughs> isn't that much higher than that, and the number of people who PvP is definitely not that much. Certainly at a high level, is definitely not that much higher than that. And it, the same thing with World versus World too, right? These communities are small, and this is kind of what I love about um, Guild Wars Two, and in a way, what I love about our uh, position and why I'm so optimistic actually, Dig, mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. because we have so much power, right? Like if I'm streaming, okay, um, for say 500 viewers, yep. those 500 people there, right? That is a size, that's a lot of people, right? So we have this unprecedented influence over the community. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, it's true that I can't add difficulty sayings to the game. It's true that I can't resolve the issues around some of the accessibility, like making gear a bit easier to understand or adding a tutorial. But what I can do is help people. And what I can do is make sure that we, the community, are upholding our side of the deal, our side of the bargain, which is that yeah. we need to maintain some of the stuff. I also think there are a few things that can't be fixed in the community uh, by ArenaNet. For example, kill proof, uh, gatekeeping. These are things that only we can fix in the community. Um, but yeah, yeah, like the, 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 so just kind of actually kind of come full circle and actually address what you actually ask. Cause I know I kind of went on a bit of a tangent there, but mm -hmm. 
the people who um, the people who will you know kind of want to learn and will improve. I actually think that's a fairly small segment, but mm -hmm. it's the only segment that I can actually directly affect. Yes. I can't affect people who don't want to learn. Okay, I can't make them want to. And by the way, that's fair, right? For example, I have absolutely um, you know uh, no interest right uh, in in playing Candy Crush. Okay, and oh, I have no interest in being good at that game. Right? Okay. Okay. And, that, that's fine right like who cares right mm -hmm. oh great you know i have no interest in that yeah. um and it's the same thing with guild wars too if if a player says i don't care about being good fine great right mm -hmm. and you know that that's fine there's nothing wrong with that yep uh, and yeah those players they that's who arena net can target like arena net can fix stuff they can uh add these difficulty settings they can add story mode they can add better accessibility to the game mm -hmm. but the players that we can target uh we can't reach those guys so we have to do what we can right so it, it's certainly true that yeah like there might not be hordes of these players who just kind of want to learn in fact i think there there aren't um but the mm -hmm. thing is is that, that that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and it also doesn't mean um that we are powerless and i think a lot of people um th they find it a convenient excuse Right? right, they go. Oh, you know, nothing we can do because players don't want to learn. Right, I th I think that's the easy option. That's the coward's way out. Right, mm -hmm. like that is the that's something that it's like. Oh, nothing I can do, so it's not my problem anymore. Well, okay, you know, maybe if you want to give up that uh, that easy, then you can do that, I guess. But realistically. I don't think that's really true. I actually think that we, I think as a community in a small game like Guild Wars 2, we have an unprecedented amount of influence over the community because of how small it is. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. Um, I've seen the the tone of community conversation conversation shift around pieces of content people have made around certain announcements. Um, when you're in a smaller pond, you can make a bigger splash. Um, and I think too about what you're talking about in terms of like kind of like a model for interacting, um, a model for being an end game player in a community like like Guild Wars is or really any any video game, let's say. Um, and one of the things I really appreciate about you, Teapot, is that you model this attitude of agency. You model this attitude of the people who play in the game, they are not the product. The product is what the player makes. It's, what, it's, it's, about, it's not about consuming reality as it arrives to you. It's about making reality as you arrive to it. And it's, it advocates for a certain sort of almost humanity a certain respect, a self-respect that I think my hope is that we would all have for ourselves and how we spend our own time. How miserable an existence if your entire day, if, if all, the, all the hours that we put in the MMOs, if the only thing we got out of that was a little bit of comfort and to experience content being drip-fed into our eyeballs, how sad would that be compared to spending, say, one-tenth of that time? sad. Well, to me it is. This is my take. Yeah. I think it's sad. I think, mm -hmm. I think to me, what becomes interesting about MMOs is that they are actual virtual worlds. And mm -hmm. they have so much space for player agency because there's so many different things to do. As you pointed out, there are so many ways to have an effect. You're hitting the end game stuff, but there's a whole bunch of stuff people do that, has, that, that doesn't have any overlap with what you're doing. I think about like the music guilds that are out there. I think about the guilds that are organizing dry top runs like a couple times a week. Like there is way more stuff to do than even even you can fit into the, I don't know how many hundreds of hours you streamed last month. Absurd amount of time. And I'm really taken aback 
But the true opportunity, in my opinion, curious what you think, um, isn't what content is allowed for by the game. It's the content that is allowed for by the capacity of the human playing it. The content that we're engaging in right now, you and me, Teapot, I'm enjoying myself. I hope you are too. But this is not content oh, that terrible. was given to <laughs> Get me off. Get me out of here. Chat, get me out of here. <laughs> but this this is not an experience that was engineered for us. No one made this happen other than you and me. And this is something that I get a lot of value and meaning out of. I'm not saying everyone needs to make a podcast. Not everyone needs needs to be an endgame raider and make instructional videos or stream a thousand hours a week like Teapot does. But the point is, find something of yourself in the experience and find a way to develop it. This is something I'm a major advocate of. I think it's the only way to start with video games and then find a level of satisfaction. Because um, otherwise, I think the alternative is the route that you kind of pointed towards earlier, where you're just, you're burning through content, you're burning through content, you're burning through content, and then you end up being nowhere because all you're doing is taking what's given to you. The alternative is, is that the game will have a shelf life for you. Exactly. Yeah. Like eventually you'll quit. Um, and, and again, that's, that's not necessarily a problem. Like if you're okay with that, then you're okay with that. Right. Like that's, that's kind of okay. Like if you, if you mm. know, but if you want to keep playing the game all the time, then I guess it's not, but no, I, I, I do agree with that. Um, yeah, like, you know, I think MMOs, the whole point of them is like the content that you make for yourself, right? That is rather the point of the, uh, of the experience. Mm -hmm is that it does give you a lot of freedom. And you know, I think what, what I do find, you know, what I do find sad in the idea that you you, you kind of portrayed there, like yeah. is, is exactly that. Like is the fact that people will just kind of give up on their own agency within the game and view themselves as like essentially completely at the mercy of the developer. Right. Which I just don't think is true. I uh -huh. don't think it's true at all actually. Um, and in fact, I think that, yeah, I think looking at MMOs uh, as something that the developer makes content and then that's it, right? I think that, yeah, that is a, that is, in my opinion, the wrong way to look at an MMORPG. That's okay. not the right way to go about it. What's the alternative in your mind? Oh, no. I mean, no, I, I, no I, maybe I didn't express myself quite correctly. No, I'm agreeing with you. I, I think the alternative is essentially quitting the game. Like, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm agreeing with you on this. Yeah. Like, I, I think that if you don't, if you don't want to kind of take a hand in the community, eventually, yeah, you just aren't going to want to play anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, because you're just going to run out of content. There will be nothing left for you mm -hmm. uh, in the game. And again, not that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just, I think that is the reality. Uh, and I think that I would really encourage players, you know, what you're talking about there with agency, like this is the really important thing. Because I think a lot, a big, I think a big part of certainly my frustration, so this could be me projecting a little bit, but certainly mm -hmm. a lot of frustration that I think a lot of players experience is because they do feel powerless. They feel like the game isn't what they want it to be and it never will be. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage people to say, okay, Maybe that is true, because that might be true. Yep. Um, and even with the expansion, maybe that might be true. This case is what I was, we were talking about right at the start of the podcast. Maybe that yep. won't be the case. Maybe mm -hmm. it will, never will be. But that doesn't mean that there aren't things that you can change. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that um, you know, there, are, there aren't things that you can do to enjoy the game. Because the whole point of the game is interacting with other people. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you're, not, if you're not willing to kind of change your approach then yeah, I mean, it, you probably will not, you know, your experience in the game is not going to change significantly. Like, mm -hmm. uh, this is like the ultimate, again, this is the ultimate um, reality check here, I think. Like, if anyone here in the chat um, seriously thinks that the game releasing like five new maps with the expansion and nine new elite specs is going to revolutionize your experience of the game, I'm sorry, you're laughing, right? Like, that's not going to happen. Um, the, uh, you know, ha having new content is great. 
it's mm -hmm. going to be awesome. But is that really going to actually fundamentally change your perspective on the game? No, of course not. Uh, it absolutely isn't. Like, even if they add in like loads of really cool new features, it won't actually change it, right? Yeah, you know, I think that I think that you can describe a lot of behavior, weird, bad, questionable behavior, by a simple question of incentives. What are the what are the base incentives that people have to behave in different ways? And with MMOs, I mean, you, that's 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 written right on the wall. Daily quests, weekly quests. Um, resets, um, cosmetic rewards, gear rewards. Teapot, you still there? Your video's frozen. Teapot, how's it going, chat? Teapot, he is taking a nap. Teapot has deactivated. <laughs> what a great frame. Teapot ran out of energy. Brimstar, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if I want to believe that. I think my worldview would shatter. Charges battery. <laughs> A moment of self-care and reflection. There it is, Sarah. I love it. <laughs> okay, well, here it is. Uh, I was going to propose a short break here anyway, so we'll go ahead and take it take it sooner than I planned. Uh, we'll be back hopefully soon, hopefully with some more teapot. This is a really fun. Um, I hope you all are having fun too. And uh, yeah, be right back with more. I just got uh, my internet died. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a great yeah. moment because you had your eyes closed and everyone was like, ah, oh, teapot is recharging. Moment for reflection. <laughs> we all took a moment to reflect. Mm. Yes. <laughs> well, yes, hello. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the stream once again, guys. Just starting now. No interruption there. Nothing weird. <laughs> Sorry, uh, nothing yes. happened. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. indeed. I have returned. I am back. Oh, but yes, uh, where were we? <laughs> oh, we were talking about... Okay, I, I remember. I was going to make... A point that I'm pretty sure is pretty smart. We'll see if we'll see if I'm correct about that assessment. Um, uh, it's about player behavior and agency, uh, kind of the flavor we've been going down for a little bit. The point I was going to make is that, um, you know, I think we can explain a lot of behavior everywhere, not just in games, but everywhere, by pursuit of simple incentives. And most people are kind of consumed by the incentives that are around them. I'm incentivized to do X, Y, Z. It's why we go for fast food instead of healthy food, because fast food is we're massively incentivized to do because it's cheaper and it tastes amazing. Um, and uh, there's this great scene from Dune. Have you read Dune, Mighty Teapot? No, I haven't. Well, if you like sci-fi, you should. It's a great book. But in case you don't, let me tell you about one scene I really love. Um, it's a scene, it's the scene of the Gom Jabbar. The Gom Jabbar, the high-handed enemy. What is the Gom Jabbar? Well, let me explain. Essentially, what is happening in this scene is you have a boy, the protagonist of the, of, of the novel, Paul Atreides. He's kind of like a prince for a noble house. He's been groomed for leadership and combat, and he's kind of like a, and his mom's kind of like a ninja wizard, part of this ninja wizard order called the Bene Gesserit, and she's been training him. He's kind of like, like, like a boy badass, right? Mm -hmm. And this old woman, this crone, comes in from off planet, the reverend mother. And his mother, who is, is the biggest badass he's ever known, is terrified of this woman, this crone. Well, why? She's just an old woman. Turns out this is the person who trained his mother, and she's there to test Paul with the Gom Jabbar. The way this test works, Teapot, it's a test of overcoming your instincts with the power of your awareness. And the way the test works is there's a box. So the Reverend Mother approaches Paul and presents him the box as a hole in one side. Paul asks the woman, I mean, the woman tells Paul, the Reverend Mother tells Paul, put your hand in the box. And he asks her what's in it. Pain. He puts his hand in, 
starts feeling tingles. And before his, he starts feeling the pain, the, the, the crone whips a needle out from a ring, puts it right up against his neck, tells him not to move. There's a deadly poison in the needle, and if he so much as flinches, he'll be dead before he can react. The woman is testing Paul to see if he can endure the pain to save his life. He does, of course. Paul's a badass. And I love that scene because it describes the importance of the ability to overcome incentive with awareness. And I think what we're describing about approaching Guild Wars 2 neatly fits this metaphor. How do you overcome the incentives of following around daily quests, of doing the things for the rewards, going for the easy incentives, the junk food of the experience? How do you overcome the basic expedient of pain aversion that comes from the quick dopamine drips in order to do something that requires more awareness, requires more investment, requires more of yourself to come out? Well, this is, I mean, this is, this is the problem, right? Like, this is the really hard thing. It's very difficult to do this, uh, I think, uh, because the, the, the thing is with this is that you're going to have to essentially do something that might initially seem you know, almost futile, right? And, and this is like the double problem with Guild Wars 2, in my opinion. Like, Guild Wars 2 is kind of at the state where if you want to set something up like this and you want to kind of do this, there are not that many people who are kind of used to this sort of thing or even aware of the concept. So it's mm -hmm. doubly difficult to set it up because people are not used to dealing with it. And as a result of that, you know, you, it, it's a very, very uphill battle to get people to engage with this. I think mm -hmm. the real thing is, is that you just need a few people to kind of lead the way uh, and kind of show show people like, you know, oh yeah, you know, it's good. And you, you need to kind of, you, you need to demonstrate that it's possible. Okay, and you know, to, to talk about- um, Proof of concept. Something here. Mm -hmm. it, exactly, proof of concept. You have, to, you have to prove the concept here. And a really big thing that happened with this was actually in PVP, actually. Hmm. Um, so, um, so there were, there were, for a long time, rank 55 dragons were very, very dominant, right? Uh, okay. And an incredibly strong team. And there were a lot of dominant teams that would win the monthly automated tournament basically every time, right? Mm -hmm. And there was this new team that arrived, and, and now they're probably the, one of the more legendary teams that the game's ever seen. It's, they're called the French Worms, or mm. the Lakers now. They kind of have a slightly different name. Okay. And this team showed people that the gods can bleed, right? Okay, essentially. Ooh. And... It's the same thing uh, with this. Like if you want to get people, um, if you want to get people excited about uh, about Guild Wars Two and about being involved in the community, you have to demonstrate that it works, uh, and you have to demonstrate that it is more fun to go about the game this way, and that you you can do this, you can access this content, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you if you try and if you put in the work, then it is going to give you um, a result. You you have to demonstrate to people that the uh, reward is going to be worth the effort, because ultimately, like what we're talking about now is not not really different um it's not really different actually to to anything else in the game you know if you are you know let's say you you know you're doing an open world map if you're doing that open world map like what, what's actually going into that well you know you're mm -hmm. wagering your time against the reward right you're saying okay i'm going to say spend an hour doing this matter event i'm going to spend an hour doing drizzlewood coast That's and it's right. going to get me it's going to get me some gold, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to get gold. I'm going to get materials. And that's the deal. Now, th this is where things do get a little bit tricky because now we're not talking about a reward in the game. We're talking about something that might help you enjoy the game as a whole better. That's and right. the deal that we're offering here is we're saying, okay, like if, um, if you put in some time here, uh, then all of a sudden, 
like you'll be able to enjoy the game a little bit better and you have mm -hmm. to prove to people that's a good deal like you've got to say okay this is actually a good deal so that's the way you go about doing it. it's very very difficult and i can't really give you a complete answer yet i'll tell you when i've done it uh, yeah how do no, you seriously, I, I, I think this is a really this is something that i think a lot of um games struggle with these days right mm -hmm. like why is it that world of warcraft is having difficulty maintaining its player base why is it that people are looking for a new experience why is that well mm -hmm. it's because people aren't enjoying these games in the same way that they used to yeah it's just not happening the audience has become more sophisticated are, they're ready for a more sophisticated offering yeah and you know like you know what what uh it, it's just not good enough anymore these days right you have mm -hmm. to you have to do you've got to do a bit more a lot of the time uh yeah and as a result of that you know like the player base is you know is, is very demanding now right they're very very demanding indeed and you have to find a way to you know to make people engage with the game in a way that they'll enjoy it yeah. It's very difficult to convince people to actually at least try something new because, uh, you know, again, they, they kind of, again, they don't really want to put effort in. And this idea that well, there's know, a risk in order to enjoy, yeah. well, there's a risk. Yeah, there's a risk that you're just wasting your time. And it's, it also is about effort, though, I think. I think a lot of players don't necessarily want to put effort into the game to get enjoyment out. People view games as something that you just play for fun, right? But the idea that you might have to put work into the game um, in order to enjoy the game, I think is a bit of an alien concept, maybe even an unappealing concept, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And this, I think this is very, uh, you know, th this is very, very true. Uh, if you consider the difficulty stuff, for example, you know, like a lot of players just don't, again, like they don't really want to be good at the game. They don't, they're not really concerned about being the good at the game and they don't mm -hmm. want to put effort in. They just want to get the reward out of the game. It's essentially the same deal here. Like the, the, the offering that, you know, like I'm presenting is that, yeah, if you, if you kind of work at it a little bit, uh, you can change your environment in the game and change the way you engage sufficiently that you can pretty much survive any content drought. Now, that I, mean, I imagine that sounds pretty good to a lot of people, but maybe they just don't exactly believe me, or they just can't be bothered. They're too indifferent, right? I think um, mm -hmm. one of the biggest problems with a lot of uh, with a lot of gamers is just apathy, really, right? Like they just don't really care, um, and that's obviously a bit of a problem. Yeah, a few thoughts kind of come to mind. One is that the idea of risk. And that, you know, doing doing this thing that's harder requires energy and they might not get the energy return. They might not get out what they put in. And that that comes, I think that, that that idea comes from a failure to recognize the risk of behaving the way you're already behaving. The risk of just doing dailies, the risk of just doing the easy things. Because everything you do has some level of risk to it. Every single thing you do has an energy cost to it, whether you're aware of it or not. And there is a risk in not pursuing things that are harder. There is a risk in not taking chances. What's the thing they say about people who are on their deathbeds? That they never talk about regret of doing things. It's always about regret of not having done things. Regret of not having chased the rabbit, you know? Yeah. I don't know. And I think that, that's, that's, that's a great, well, I think this is a good point here, actually, because the thing is with, with the, the whole idea of like kind of putting in effort to enjoy the game, you're offering a, you're, you're, you're saying you need to do some very, very real work. It's completely different to something you've ever done before. And it's going to be very, very difficult. And you're saying, and maybe it will work out, right? Whereas they can That's right. There's no guarantees. And, and it, there's no guarantees. And the thing is, what they're doing right now, they already know what's going to happen, right? It's like a step into the unknown. as it The were, devil you know. The stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Another way of looking at it, too, I think, is um, if you... I think that there are ways of conceiving, not just the games we play, but the world that surrounds those games and everything we do as as sort of games at different different levels of breadth. 
um, roughly, I think it, it might be fair to conceive of of a game as any kind of uh, undertaking that can be um, internally conceptualized as having um, inputs by a person and varying outputs based on those inputs. I do this, I get this result. I do that, it gets that result. Um, and one of the things that I have found useful in, in playing games and choosing games is trying to ask myself, what skills are these different experiences testing? I look at you, Tipa, and I think that the skills that are being tested for you when you engage with Guild Wars 2 are very different than almost anyone else who's playing it. And it comes from, and, and you've said as much yourself. Like, I, I, I think for you, playing the game is not, is, it's kind of like breathing for you. It's not something you need to put really any effort into. For you, the effort is creating the community. It's creating the movement. It's it's making it's it, it's making the. Uh, I mean, I already said it. Making the community. I can think of another way to say it that was more epic. Um, and essentially, um, the skill that you're now testing when you do that is very different, and it's a skill that's more broadly useful, and many other undertakings that you might you might do inside and outside of gamings. So. There is some utility in being figuring out how to do rotations, right? Rotations are things that are that happen in a lot of different games. You have certain abilities with different cooldowns, and you rotate through those to have an inefficient output. That's useful in a lot of different games to understand not just specific rotations, but how to how to follow rotations, and then at a higher level than that, how to create rotations. That's much harder, obviously. But when we take the time to engage with games on our own terms. For you, community building. For me, podcasts. When you do that, what you do is you actually start playing a different game. And it's a game that has inputs and outputs that reward skills that have different levels of usefulness. And those skills end up becoming part of our identity. Whatever game you're playing, whether it's sitting on the couch watching The Office, whether it's being an entrepreneur and running businesses, whether it's being a streamer, being a game developer, a mother, whatever it is, you will have different outputs that that take root and take a home inside of your identity. And the folly that I hope we all don't fall into is being unaware of the things that we've taken on. And with game with with gamers, I think that gaming is one of those things where people are most likely to fall into identity that they didn't choose co consciously because these experiences are so tailored to capture us. Gaming, social media, those these things are kind of cousins. And that's why I like the message that you preach about agency and why I'm not letting this topic go and why I love it so much too, because I see it not just as a tool for enjoying a game, Guild Wars 2, I see it as a tool for approaching life in general. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the, the real key thing with approaching, with approaching games is to an extent, taking responsibility for your own engagement, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the real key with enjoying games is that you have to be engaged. If you're not engaged, then you aren't going to be enjoying it pretty much. That, that's the way I see it. Like, you know, if you aren't engaged, then there's nothing you can do. And there is a certain point where you have to say, okay, right, uh, I need to take, to take responsibility for being engaged. Mm -hmm. I need to be the one who's going to drive that engagement because you know, like no, no matter how good something is, if, if you do it, you know, if you do it thousands and thousands of times, it's not going to be good anymore. It's just not going to be good. Yeah. And humans need to progress. We need to continue to adapt. When we're not doing that, we feel bad. It's just part of the way we work. And that's fine to acknowledge. Okay. 
Well, unless you have anything to add to that, Tipa, I think we've scraped the bottom of that topic. A great topic that I love, by the way. And maybe what we can do is move on to some lighter fare. Um, I want to talk to you about some of the greatest hits of the last year of Guild Wars 2 and get your get your compressed takes on them. Would you be cool with that? Yeah. Hit me right. while you go. All right, brother. Number one, DRMs. Dragon response missions. Number one, why did they come about? Are they good? And will we see more? Um... They came about because they needed to come up with something that was repeatable. Like, and oh, that, that's an interesting story. So, dragon response missions, like, why do they even exist? They exist yeah. for the same reason that strikes exist. They exist because ArenaNet was experimenting a bit because they knew the Ice Brood saga was going to be a bit of a mess. So, why not do some crazy stuff anyway? Um, and they wanted to respond to a very popular complaint about the story and about Guild Wars 2 is that it has no replayability. Because it doesn't. Guild Wars 2 has ridiculously low replayability, which is mm -hmm. insane for an MMO, but it does. Um, they typically have story and replayability separated, which is, that's another, I mean, you could talk for hours about what a catastrophic decision that was, but mm -hmm. um, they tried to address that. That's why they exist. Uh, did they go well? Um, I would actually say yes. I know it's a bit of a hot take, but yeah, I think, I think strikes and dragon response missions are... Not the best execution, but the design idea there, the concept mm -hmm. and the way they actually turned out, I think was really good. Will we see more? You're going to see more strike missions. You won't see more dragon response missions, but I think what you will see is you will see the same design philosophy applied to future content. I would love that. I love how repeatable that content is. I love that because just from the ground up, how it's kind of pretty clear that it's designed with multiplayer in mind. Like it seems like it's a thing you should be doing with people. A lot of the set piece story content in the game, you can play with others, but it kind of can feel weird to do so. Or like it's not really intended, like it's a tacked on thing. The story is about the commander. It's about you, the party leader. Um, DRMs, they, they're this great, like to me, like throwback to kind of old school MMO principles for, of uh, the content are the players. And yeah, you can play it solo, but I... I, I, I like your take on them. I, I resonate with it myself. Um, I guess one of the questions I have is, and this is speculation, is that is the repeatability of, let me formulate this question properly. Permit me a moment. To suggest that we'll see more repeatability in future story content, to me means that that repeatability is something that would benefit the casual Leviathan the non-speaking, non-communicating, no content watching, no Reddit posting, casual Leviathan. And do you think that's true? Yes. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, like ultimately, you know, casual players want stuff to do as well. And if the content is replayable, that's a win for everyone. There, there it is. Okay. And is it your impression that end gamers, raiders, PVPers, the people who want this high octane content enjoy DRMs or are engaging with them? A lot of players were put off by them, and I, you know, there's a, you know what, I, I have amazing data on this because huh. um, there, there was a dragon response mission tournament recently, right? And the, the community the response thing, I saw that. How'd it go? Yeah, uh, it went really well, and the winner of the tournament said that when we first started practicing, we thought, wow, this is complete garbage content. This is trash because they'd never, they didn't know anything about it, right? Mm -hmm. And they said, actually, once we started getting into it, we started realizing there's a lot of fun to be had here and the optimizing was a lot of fun. 
So I think a lot of people mm. were turned off to it, but that was because of the general atmosphere around the game. Like people were like, no matter what arena did, they were going to hate it. I think because people got into a very unreasonable state of mind, and they were mm. incapable of looking at it objectively. So they wrote it off completely because it was story content and it wasn't quite polished, and people ignored the actual design. They they looked at they looked at exactly what it is rather than like, is it well designed or not? And the thing is, is if it looks pretty, right, that's good for the day one, right? But at the end of the day, the design is what's going to carry the content over the coming months. And I think the Dragon Response Vision Taunt revealed that, yeah, actually they are they are actually pretty damn good, um, particularly seeing as they were very, very rushed. Are there a lot of problems? Yes. But is the design philosophy there? Yes, it is. Hell yeah. I'd love to see more as well. Okay. Anything else you want to say on that topic? Well, I think... Um, uh, uh, they, you, you won't see DRMs ever again. In fact, they basically said this, um, but they will probably have something similar to this with another name because this yeah. was the thing that we talked about earlier. The big mistake with ArenaNet is that they make content for one audience at a time, right? So they make story content, then they make a repeatable raid, then they make a fractal. What they should be doing is what they're doing with strikes, but they do it all at the same time, right? So you've got a strike mission, which is a boss from the story. So you've got story content, replayable instance content, right? And then you could even have a challenge mark on top of that. And you could do all of that in one patch, as opposed to having separate patches for all of them. This has been the fundamental mistake that Arena's been making, mm. uh, in my opinion. And now if they change that, then all of a sudden you've essentially multiplied your content by five. Right. You know, like all of a sudden, instead of having to have a patch for every single different type of player, you don't because everyone gets something out of every patch. This also addresses this animosity in the community where a lot of people are very unhappy with feeling that their game modes being neglected or, or their they as a player is being are being neglected because obviously mm -hmm. when there's a story patch and there's nothing for raiders that feels bad uh, when there's a raid and you know you're a story player then that feels bad right but what if you can have all of it in one go with something for everyone in every patch all mm -hmm. of a sudden you have a lot less frustration a lot less animosity and you've essentially multiplied your content like by you know several times over uh, mm -hmm. because the content is being repurposed and used for all audiences at no real cost to the developer. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. And Ballistic in the chat just said something I like too. Take it a step further, add enough to it to make a raid with CMs too. I could imagine a world, and it's a lovely fantasy, but it could be great to see manifested in reality, where the story content actually has rungs that start all the way from single-player casual, go up to like DRM difficulty, and then go up to it like like fractal difficulty and then up to raid difficulty and just have the same content that delivers the story also be raids also be also have cms have secret bosses have caves you can knock down to do hard content you know have it all be the same content for all these different audiences um a similar kind of way i mean maybe wow does that i'm not sure if it's a proper comparison but i think that would be super cool yeah i i'm, I'm inclined to agree i mean I don't think, I mean, the, the only thing there, just to nitpick a bit, I okay. I, I think this entire idea of like the ladder, I, I think this entire idea of the ladder is a bit, it's a bit idealistic. I, I think people, they get to where they, they get to where they're comfortable and they just stay there forever. I don't yeah, really think, I, I don't really think you. players really ladder that much. I, I think, you know, if players are going to get good, they're going to get good, right? Like if, if someone's going to be a raider, they're going to be a raider and it doesn't really matter what's going to, there's, mm -hmm. no, there's no mm -hmm. obstacle that you could put. There's nothing you could put in their way, right? I, I've seen a lot of players who, even though they haven't been very good at the game, right? They just got good at the game no matter what. And even mm -hmm. though, yeah, Guild Wars 2 is a bit of an obscure, it is a bit of, um, you know, it can be confusing. It, it does obfuscate a bit with how to actually be good at the game. They just okay. keep trying and they keep going. And to be honest, I don't really think that, I don't really think that anything will really push that one way or another. I think Guild Wars 2 stuck with this. I mean, like, it is... um. 
it is a, a real tricky game because Guild Wars 2 was always supposed to be a PvP game. Always. And anyone... It, I, this is one of the things that actually annoys me the most um, about the dialogue I sometimes see online about Guild Wars 2. Mm-hmm. A lot of people tend to... Pre- like to pretend that Guild Wars 2 has always been a casual oriented PVE game. Mm-hmm. This is not true. Guild Wars 2 is built from the ground up as a PVP hardcore experience. The developers wanted to make the game hard. They made it hard on purpose. Now they mm-hmm. changed their audience, but the thing is like the bones of the game are still there, right? Like the actual like foundation of the game is still there. And this means that I don't think unless you significantly rework Guild Wars 2, like you ever really um you ever really get away from this thing where a lot of players are going to get stuck. And again, it's not really necessarily even a problem too. I mean, look, if, if you look at a game, if you look at competitive games, like competitive games are, demonstrate this very well in my opinion. Okay. Because you can look at a game like StarCraft or, or League and players will be in bronze forever. Mm-hmm. And they'll never get out. In fact, yeah, if you look the- at a game, yeah, if you look at a game like StarCraft, most players are kind of in gold or platinum. Mm-hmm. And they'll never get out ever yeah um, I, and I read a critique clear, of that is games. very bad right that's very bad okay? yeah i read oh, a critique yeah, of games like those where the the way that the that rank tends to work is people kind of tend to accept a narrative of you should indefinitely progress in rank like that's the way the game the game kind of presents that as your progression but the reality is what you say is most people it's not a ladder that you climb to the top it's like an elevator and you get off on your floor and because going to a higher floor in a competitive game means putting in a lot more time and a lot more energy into the experience. And it's okay to want to enjoy a competitive experience at the level of investment. It's like playing pickup basketball with your coworkers versus joining a professional league versus being in the NBA. It, all forms of the game are, are useful to some people. Um, and it's okay to not want to play basketball without wanting to be in the NBA. Of course. Yeah. So the elevator, rather than the ladder. Yeah, very much so. And uh, well, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, you don't, you know, it's the, the game is not about, uh, well, I mean, it is about getting better to an extent, right? It is a skill-based game. That is the intention of the game. But it, it, it's all about the trade-off of how much effort do you want to put in, right? How much effort are you willing to put in at, to the point where it becomes worth it or not worth it? And everyone has a different, you know, different value, which they just don't care enough to get better anymore. Uh, and for most players, it's very low, <laughs> Yeah, and an interesting dynamic, too, is the fact that the game itself can change your level of investment. Like, if a game really inspires you, you can you can suddenly get want to get off on a higher floor in the elevator. You can be inspired to want to punch up higher than you, than you otherwise would. So it's not just necessarily a question of, okay, I'm playing this game and I've made this decision of what I'm going to do. It's not really like that. That's not the way people actually play, I don't think. They play and... They hope to be inspired. They want to buy in. And if a game is well done, it will offer levels of reward and progression for everybody. People who want to play 24 hours a day versus people who want to play, you know, an hour every every, every few months. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that when you say the game inspires you, I think a big part of that is actually the community. And this is where the mm. aspirational stuff comes in. Yep. Right, I don't think it's I don't think it's arena. I think it's actually the players. Like you know, for example, when I ran raid tournaments and PvP tournaments, mm-hmm. loads of people say, "Wow, you know, you know, I saw that. I was like, wow, I want to get into raiding. Hell yeah, or, I'm going to start playing PvP." And you know, I think I think this is where one thing that it is a bit of a self fulfilling prophecy. But I think you need to have this that very very forward facing 
um, like high-end community in your game to inspire people. I think you really want to have a strong and well-respected and well-behaved high-end community to inspire the player base. Uh, and I think this is something that if you look at if you look at games like wow, I mean, look, you can go on stream right now. It'll be like I think it's live right now. It is, yeah. You can watch these top guilds in WoW like stream their progression uh-huh. uh, and go for worlds first. I think this is great. Like this is what really gets people hyped, right? Like, yeah, people love this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like I think of other games too. Like another game that I see this happen with is Quake Champions. Um, I have some friends who are in the arena scene. Uh, Actually, one of my friends just disqualified for a relegation match in August. That if he wins, he will become part of the Quake Pro League. Very exciting. Um, but that's a game where it has so much more attention as a spectator sport than it does as an actual game people want to play. But every single time a big event happens, the level of players surge. People, people are constantly reading their environment for clues of things that could be meaningful to them, that could capture their interest. That they want to be a that they want to see something in the world. And they want to make that part of their identity. And when you see one of your raid tournaments, one of your com- the community response tournament, all these things, people see the stuff and they see you and that they uh, people who are involved and the competitors. I really agree that it's it's hard to overestimate the importance of the interest of those people. And while I do think that the idea that content should be made just for creators to inspire others is a bit reductive. It's one of those things that you can't leave out of the argument. I think World of Warcraft has really benefited from that because I think just like Guild Wars 2, World of Warcraft, at least the retail game, um, is a game where most people don't play raids or do dungeons. Most people just make characters. They go into the world. Maybe they do some transmog stuff. They're not there to... They're playing the game solo. And I don't think that all the time and energy that WoW, that Blizzard puts into the rating and dungeon and PvP content is necessarily rewarded by participation in that content, not the way you would think. Um, and But the fact that they do that means that there's an enormous creator scene that's concerned with that stuff. And that's all kind of separate from the question of um, why are players not thrilled with it at the moment because there hasn't been enough variation or iteration or whatever. But uh, I, I tend to think that man does not live on bread alone. Oh. It, it, it it's kind of I think that's kind of a complicated question with with this one I think um mm. like why 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 is it that it's like this with Guild Wars too I mean there there are numerous reasons I think uh, you know sometimes you know, the the game just isn't doesn't get enough content releases like the game is too easy uh, as well for good players uh, the game the competitive gamers don't really have a lot of attention but it's honestly like it's just like a at this point it's just like a vicious cycle right like the game like if if you want to really get down to brass tacks it's just because like there's no, there's no money in it right um like you players can't really um players in a way can't really afford to do this stuff uh because it's just it's a huge time investment to do this sort of thing mm-hmm. right um and it's very difficult to do it and if you're going to actually try and build the competitive scene in Guild Wars 2, it's going to cost you thousands of hours and you probably won't get paid. <laughs> and, and that means you've really got to be very invested in it or very stupid. Uh, and like that is, um, <laughs> well, I'm both of them, so we're all good there. But uh, this, this is a big problem because it means that you just end up with the scene. The scene is small um, because nobody really invests in it. 
and nobody invests in it because the scene is small, right? So it just spirals off into nothingness. So it has to be a completely grassroots movement built from the absolute ground up to make it work. And that's where you come in. Hopefully. <laughs> All right. All right, man. Well, let's pivot to that a little bit. You know, when we last spoke, Teapot, back in August of last year, um, you were, I think you were in Delusional Elitists. Now mm-hmm. you're one of the execs of Hardstuck. Can you walk me through how Hardstuck came about and what it is? I mean, I just changed the name. Like, I mean, basically, Delusional Elitists is, is, is fundamentally the same thing. Um, so the, the di- thing is here that I just, the name wasn't really good. I thought it was a bit... A bit, it was a bit too charged. A little too trolly. The language it was being used there. Yeah, a little, little on the troll side. So, uh-huh. yeah, I just thought I'd better change that pretty much. Okay. What was the goal there? How did it come just about? It's a rebrand. Though, the reason it, uh-huh. Yeah. But why did it come about? Like, the entire concept of it is because pretty much. What is the concept much, of like, it? Like, I, I can be honest. I just, I just didn't want to quit the game, right? Uh, <laughs> you needed uh, a so vessel. A, a vessel to pour all of your passion into. Yeah, pretty much. I wanted to improve the game, and I figured that this something like this is necessary, doesn't exist, and has always needed to exist. What is uh, it? And what is Hardstuck? Hardstuck is a community guild that aims to drive engagement uh, of the player base across all game modes. That is it's- the goal of Hardstuck. That is the thing, right? And it's to provide a very centralized platform for all players to engage and have a very social medium uh, mm-hmm. throughout the entire game like that's the goal and it's focused on and also content, provide uh right not not necessarily like it's focused right. on all areas of the game it's mm. focused on everything really uh and it's also heavily invested in actually developing events and things to be exciting like one of our big right. goals is we want players to be excited to log into the game and they want to be excited knowing that something is going to happen in the game if that's a tournament if that is a fashion contest right or anything or just log into the game to do like a you know like a group activity with the guild like some uh-huh. kind of you know some kind of speed run of an open world boss mm-hmm. uh, you know like doing a, a big community thing where we're going to you know help people get raids or you know, play pvp together all that kind of stuff or play world versus world we want to bring mm-hmm. the excitement back of actually being part of a community in guild wars 2 which i think has really been lost over the years mm. and Okay. So I was anticipating a complex response about why this is needed, but you made it very simple for us by just saying, I made the thing I wanted, which is something I really respect. <laughs> because, that, because that's the answer, right? And, I, I, you know, there are, there are deeper motivations there. I do really uh-huh. want to help the game, right? And I do think it is necessary. And the reason I think it's necessary is because I think that there are problems that can't be addressed by Arena. And I do think that certain things about the game will never be fixed unless we intervene. But mm-hmm. realistically, the ultimate motivation is I wanted something to do, right? That would occupy my time and engage me. Uh, mm-hmm. Essentially, what hard suck is, is me practicing what I preach. Mm. Yeah, and there's a lot of power in that and a lot for people to see and latch on to. What I love about Hardstuck from my limited experience uh, with it is it it's a place for people who want to engage it's a place for people who are looking to find to manifest their agency it seems like there's opportunity everywhere within hardstuck to make things happen to create events and you are really encouraging people to as we say make make the game you want to see when people see 
tournaments being organized, giveaways being organized, all these pieces of content that are there within the game, but they're, they're, they're created by the community. What you're, you're doing is not just, not just giving content to people who, um, who want it, but you're also setting an example, um, an example that I really appreciate. It's really comforting for me to see a community like Hardstuck emerge um, the same way it's comforting for me to see, I don't know, maybe this is just me opening my eyes, but it seems like there's a podcast scene for Guild Wars 2 that's kind of really bubbled up recently. I'm seeing Jebro's podcast with Lightbringers, and it's been going on for a little while. There are a few others like Talking Skrit, um, and Xandria, uh, Z- is that her name? Um, new to the game has been doing her podcast thing too. There's, when you see people out there doing the next level thing, it it sends a signal that 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 the foundation upon which that that work is based is a stable one and it's worthwhile to get invested in um but anyway so hardstuck very cool um i know you did community month in june which was an effort to do what what was the point of community month well i i guess there there were a few motivations behind that one i wanted to see if i could do it um okay. two uh i wanted to see how effective it could be to really be you know in the trenches basically like you know really get people excited and properly engage uh, with the community and try and get people motivated to try and stuff and get into the game and start playing um and i just also wanted to kind of in a way say yeah okay this is happening i'm very committed right this is serious i'm not going to stop doing it it's not just like a meme or a joke right you know this is Uh is a very serious thing uh i am doing I, I wanted just exactly that, yeah. I wanted to just prove to everyone, all right, or you know, make a bit of a statement that, yeah, this is reality. Uh, it's going to happen, and I'm not going to give up doing it. And I'm going to do exactly what I said I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So during the the community month, you were streaming. Was it every single day? Every day except Wednesdays. How hard is that to do? It was actually easier than I thought. Huh? Do tell. Uh, I was actually expecting it to be very difficult to do. Um, to actually stream 12 hours every day. Uh, and it wasn't easy, but it was surprisingly, I wasn't as tired as I thought I was going to be, mm-hmm. which was nice. How much were you streaming before that? About five to six hours a day. Okay. So you, you doubled your output. And we, did, did you add on more days per week or was it the same amount of days per week? Yeah, same number of days. Okay. So it's just, just more hours per day. Yeah, and uh, is that hard to negotiate with your IRL responsibilities and juggle that? What was that like? Um, it, I mean, I basically just ditched all of them um, for that month. I'm fortunate. I'm very flexible with, with the way my time can be assigned. So That's nice. I kind of got away with it. Um, but yeah, like back to normal now, but yeah, I just ditched them for that month. But it would have been impossible. There's no way I could have, you know, 12 hours is just, you know, I barely had enough time to sleep and eat. Okay, like yeah. running and other stuff there would not have been a possibility really. Yeah. You throw a lot of events during that time too. What were some of the events that stood out to you as, as being most most successful? The events that were most successful. Well, I, I ran uh, during that. The, the probably most successful one would definitely be the PvP tournament. We ran a PvP tournament that was um, essentially like no path of fire specs allowed. Oh, now, interesting. Well. And why would you exclude the, exclude those specs? Because path of fire was probably the biggest act of harm Arena ever did to their game. Oh shit. Why is that? <laughs> because, because the Path of Fire was an expansion that they did not think about PvP or world versus world 
Or honestly, mm. even PVE in any way when designing the elite specializations. Ah, okay. Uh, the What's the result of that? Of some of the, uh, well, it, it was the complete... Um, it was the complete dissolving of the integrity of all three game modes, in my opinion. Um, you, you see it more; the most pronounced is in World vs. World and PvP, but actually in PvE as well. If you compare, like, how ridiculously overpowered um, something like Scourges or Firebrand is compared to the uh, Heart of Thorns elite specializations, mm. then it's not even it's not even close, right? Like, it's it's not even in the same. Same ballpark, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even close. Uh, and I, it's, I'm not even talking about DPS. Fun fact: I mean, like the damage per second in uh, on some of the builds in Heart of Thorns was was insane, like, absolutely crazy with how much DPS it would, the, the, some of these builds would do. Uh-huh. But it's more like the design space has expanded hugely. Like right. Scourge does absurd damage and is a hard carry. Firebrand mm-hmm. does great damage and has ages and has protection and has stability, right? And can give quickness yeah. and can heal at the same time. Roll right? creep. Yeah. And, uh, like all of this stuff, like, you know, across the entire board, they like got completely power corrupt to insanity. I mean, you know, if you compare how good heal Tempest is now to how it wasn't HRT, it's, it's ridiculous. Like how strong these builds are and Mm. in PVP skirt, I mean, firebrand was so, so oppressive that they had to literally make the durations on the boons one second to make (laughs) it not disgustingly oppressive in pvp mirage they had to nerf all the numbers a thousand times over and then remove a whole dodge roll not to make it absurdly oppressive scourge they had to devastate um the damage on it and crush it and it's still oppressive right Mm. like these things have been nerfed and nerfed and nerfed and nerfed and nerfed every single time and every single time in pvp world versus world and pve it doesn't matter how hard they get nerfed the design on them like what they do is so powerful um, that no matter what you do here, the damage is is completely irrevocable in my opinion. Like, and that's why we removed mm. Path of Fire because Path of Fire just just demolished the integrity of every game mode. And um, the, the best example of this is the one that I always give is is Samarog, uh, okay. the third boss of um, of Wing Four, right. and in particular the challenge mode. The challenge mode used to be incredibly difficult. It was probably okay. the hardest encounter in the game, hmm. uh, and the reason for this is because it required you to tank the boss effectively. Your DPS players had to position well, and you had to do good damage at the same time. It was it was a fight where that would if anything went wrong, it could be difficult to recover from. Okay, uh, and now. You have Heal Necromancer and 10 target stability in Aegis from Firebrand. And th- this means that the fight is a joke, right? Like, it's actually one of the easiest fights to just cheese your way through now because of how huh. insanely abusive some of the builds you can play are in PV. And this is the same thing. And, you know, it- it's really interesting, actually. This is a-, a-, a conversation I'd love to have with the devs. Like, mm. the devs need to be so careful in my opinion with design because it's getting to the point actually and i would this is a strong statement but i'll definitely make it it's getting to the point where because of how ridiculously strong the players are it's almost impossible to make a challenging encounter like it's actually hard to design an encounter that Mm. isn't just pure bs right like yeah sure if you can make you could make like a boss that's got like a one second animation that one shots you but that's kind of that's not fun right that's a very Mm -hmm. unfun mechanic Mm -hmm. right no downside just one shots you yeah that would be hard but the trouble is if you don't do that heal necro will just revive you right and and that's where you're at right now um for example um on kadeem kadeem has a break bar Mm -hmm. and if you don't break his bar it one shots you Okay. okay but the thing is if you have a heal necro in the group the heal necro will survive and revive everyone and I do this all the time on my stream. And uh-huh. there are so many situations where you should wipe 
but you just won't. So you just turn your brain off and, and play the right? class. Do your well, rotations. It's not necessarily about turning your brain off. It, it, in fact, Hail Necro is kind of one of the builds that people are really bad at because it's quite a skill-based thing to play effectively. Oh, really? Okay. And it, 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 it requires a lot of knowledge of how the encounters work to be effective. Mm. But that's kind of not the point. We're talking about balance here, not about like skill balance. We're talking about like how strong is the build, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is that these builds that Arena are releasing is just so strong that designing an encounter that can actually deal with that is impossible. Right, great example, right? So let's, let's talk about Mythic WoW. Mythic yep. WoW is hard. I think yep. everyone would agree with that. Yep. But would it be hard if you could revive five players every 10 seconds? <laughs> no. No. No, it wouldn't. Now, you know, if, you know, if I go on to Limit Stream or Method Stream or Echo Stream right now, and I say, hi, guys, well, you know, why aren't you just reviving everyone every five seconds? They're going to go, well, that will be stupid and ridiculously overpowered, right? Mm. Or, like, why aren't you ignoring all of these knockbacks by using 10 target stability that you can use every 30 seconds? Mm -hmm. Or why aren't you using DPS classes that have a shield that doubles your HP? Mm -hmm. Well, they'd say, because our game is not ridiculously imbalanced and completely <laughs> skewed in the direction of the player. That's what they'd say. Man. And, and I think this is the thing that the players have to watch out for, um, is that if they go down this road of kind of power creeping everything, mm -hmm. then, then the bosses can't win. Okay? Like, they just can't win. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of where, what, what we're dealing with right now. There are some encounters that they are so hard countered by the player that there is no difficulty. Like the second that you understand what your abilities do, they can't fight back anymore. Uh -huh. And that's a problem <laughs> in my opinion, because I know that people want challenging content and they want engaging content, but you can't have that if your player has too much agency. Like if you look at games like WoW and Final Fantasy, what you'll notice is, is that you, you know, there's a lot of, you get punished for failing a lot uh, and you can't spam your abilities. And this is another problem. Okay, this is a, a huge issue. I mean, this is you could do a whole podcast on this, to be honest, but mm. Guild Wars 2 is a PvP game. So it's mm. not designed around long cooldowns, right? PvP right. games don't have long cooldowns, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if you look at, say, ultimate abilities in, in MOBAs, they're not like super long, right? They're not like a two-minute cooldown. It's going to be like, like 30 seconds. You know, 90 seconds. Yeah, mm. 30 seconds, 6 seconds, 90 seconds. It won't be like super long. Like there are some, you know, summoner skills, uh, skills in League are a bit like this, but again, it's like quite uncommon to have like very long cooldowns in PvP games. Uh, and particularly in Guild Wars 2. Guild Wars 2 is supposed to be a very, um, it's supposed to be a very, very high action, high tempo game. Yeah, it's the and combat the system is, right there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And this is why PvE in a way doesn't work super well with Guild Wars 2, because it's just so hard because because pve in a way requires the player to you know it will kind of require um the player to not have that much autonomy and players have so much autonomy with dodge rolling uh and all this kind of thing yeah, what, it just becomes so hard to actually like handle this what you're describing to me is that the only thing that can really challenge a guild wars 2 player is another guild wars 2 player well yes but that's not a good thing hmm I, uh, I right think... now, yeah. If you if you if you want to really if you want to really make um, a challenge for yourself here, then yeah, you have to yeah you you do have to to an extent um, do your own thing, mm -hmm. right? But that's not good, right? Because in my opinion, if the game says if you want to have fun, you need to basically play badly or suboptimally to get there. That's just bad design. Uh, I don't think you should ever be forced to play badly or incorrectly uh, in order to enjoy the game. Right. 
to nerf yourself in order to have an enjoyable yeah, experience. Exactly. It should never, you should never have to, yeah, exactly right. You should never have to nerf yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, to enjoy the game. I don't think that's correct. Right. Yeah. I think about like um, the scaling system built into the early, early game maps for Guild Wars 2, where the game scales you down. That same thing could be duplicated in another game that doesn't have scaling by just like taking out a bunch of your gear and boom. I'm like, I have level 20 effectiveness because I'm wearing level 20 gear and I'm not using all my high-level abilities. But that's not fun. And so rather than, than put players in the, position, in the position of doing that, there's a system in place that just scales you down automatically. Um, so yeah, that kind of is a problem that needs to be solved on, not by the community, but by the game itself. Well, let's think about this, Teapot. Um, I'm hearing the scale of the problem. I didn't know it was this bad. So I'm glad I asked you about this. If... Going into End of Dragons with the prospect of a new elite spec for every single spec, uh, every single profession, um, what would you hope to see change in both in terms of adjusting the current specs and in terms of the future specs that could nudge this all in a direction that you think would be better? The drawbacks should be more significant and the design space should be not too wide. Uh, and they should avoid abilities that are very very spammy and do multiple things abilities should probably be fairly simple uh and do like one or two things not that mm -hmm. many things they should have cooldowns yeah. so if you fail them if you don't get value of them you get punished for mm -hmm. doing this uh and all that sort of thing can you give me like a concrete example or two sure um so <laughs> a, a bit of a th this is like a very here's an example of a very bloated skill okay right so if you look at warhorn five Warhorn 5 is on um, on Ranger, right? Okay. It used to just give, it used to give uh, might, fury, and swiftness to allies. Fine. Okay. Now, they now what's happened with this? Well, now uh, it gives might, fury, and swiftness, but more of it. And okay. it also applies weakness, and it also dazes as well. So okay. it has like a crazy amount of bloat attached to it. Yep. And then if you can, com let's compare Core Guardian to Firebrand. Core Guardian. F1, passive burning, get some burn when you use it. Okay, F2, get a bit of regen, heal, remove conditions when you mm. use it. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it, they actually power crap that. It used to not remove condies, but they actually buffed that because it was too weak. Mm -hmm. um, then third skill, passively get an Aegis every 40 seconds. Nice. And then you also get an Aegis, one Aegis when you, one Aegis when you use it. Yep. Compare that to Firebrand. F1, gain five skills that are all really good. F2, gain five skills that are really, really good. F3, gain three skill, five skills that are also really good. Uh, you have a reflect resistance field. Uh, you have stability, age, you, and the fifth skill there gives you extra toughness, ages, stability, right? Uh, and protection all on one skill. You have a taunt on that as well. You have a CC that gives you an ages. Mm -hmm. uh, so it gives you um, resolution. Uh, two. The second skill has cleanse, AoE healing, boons, boon conversion, healing modifier. First skill gives you damage, uh, AoE weakness, CC, pulsing AoE damage, and a massive damage spike buff that you give to allies. Mm -hmm. So compare that to the core guardian skills. That's what can't happen. That level of bloat can't happen. The best, the the. Do you want to know the, the best designed elite spec in the game? Which Reaper, uh, okay. because you have the exact same number of buttons as core. It's just mm -hmm. different. Right, so core necromancer is very heavily range focused. Right, yeah. we have skills that are about control, about um, you know, uh, 
uh, being at range, pressuring your opponent, slowly grinding people down. Reaper mm -hmm. is all out aggression. You have a strong downside because your shroud degenerates faster. Mm -hmm. All of your abilities are now incredibly melee focused and power damage oriented, not condition damage oriented. Mm -hmm. But it's about it's about um, again, it's about getting in there, getting in melee. Uh, you know, like chaining your opponent, like chilling them, slowing them, and catching up to them, and then destroying them. But you mm -hmm. have the concrete weakness that you'd no longer have access to range pressure while in shroud, and you degenerate faster. Right. Reaper is an example of an extremely well designed elite specialization most elite specializations add on as opposed to side grading you this is what can't happen because it happened with path of fire but with because with hot they did this a lot a lot of things got power crept a lot mm -hmm. design crept mm -hmm. and then they had to one-up themselves right with path of fire and that's how you wind up in the mess we're in here and and then um, the the nightmare is is, is, is the end of dragons then ones up path of fire and we have this ridiculous exactly. power ca cascade and then you're in serious trouble <laughs> Then we can kill the dragons once and for yeah, all. Because we're, yeah, then we're fully OP. Because we're more powerful than the elder dragons. <laughs> exactly. Um, do I'm trying to remember? Um, based on what you just said, it sounds like this didn't happen. But I, th I thought I remembered that there there being some kind of a rebalancing, maybe a slight nerfing of the Heart of Thorn specs before Path of Fire came out. Is that a thing that happened, or am I imagining that? Oh yeah, that definitely. Yeah, that, no, that definitely happened. Um, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So there's reason uh, to expect that we'll we'll see a round of balancing on the existing elite specs before End of Dragons drops. You think that, that, that um, that's a reasonable expectation? They, they've they've kind of been doing this already, right? Mm. They they have they have they have slowly started doing this, right? Over time, mm -hmm. uh, like as time goes on, they are actually addressing this. this. Is something that CMC was kind of been brought on to deal with. But yeah, they have started to do this over time. So I'm not sure if they'll do like a drastic like nerf because the HDM was pretty drastic, right? They they like really slammed it pretty hard. Right. Um, so with this time, I mean, this time I'm hoping they don't do they they won't do it so drastically. But honestly, I wouldn't mind it either, right? Because I think yeah. it has to happen one way or another. Uh, but I I kind of prefer to see them. I don't want to see them just like make the path of aspects and everything else really really bad, mm -hmm. right? Like they should still be good. Um, just make sure that the and a dragon's one's going to stand on their own merit and are well designed. Yeah. Uh, and then you can make adjustments as and when you need to. They're probably going to come out very, very overpowered. And that's actually fine. I don't actually yeah. mind that. Um, it, it's um, it's just that as long as it, the issues with them just get addressed, then it's not a problem. Uh -huh. Bring them out strong and nerf them. And maybe that was the idea with the Path of Fire specs. And they just never got nerfed hard enough. Possibly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll watch out for that. I'm I'm excited about what I what I really hope will be a healing support warrior elite spec for my warrior. That's what I really want to oh. see happen. Yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, 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 definitely staying tuned. Um, okay, anything else you want to say about that topic, man? Um, no, I think I've got, I'm just, we just about did that one. Yeah, great, great. All right. Um, I'm asking myself if I want to go down this road with you. I have a feeling we'll agree. Um, and I have a feeling that I might make, make, I might annoy some people with this opinion, but I'm curious what you think. I'm not sure if it's just because I've just started noticing this or if this is really a Guild Wars 2 thing, but man, I see a lot of giveaways happening in this in this community. And I'm not sure I like it. Giveaways giveaways are an interesting one. Um, because it's a very easy way to get viewers because of the way the community is. And there's nothing wrong with giveaways. I think if you want to give back to community, I think that's fine. Uh, but <laughs> I think a lot of people do use giveaways as a substitute for actually having substantive content. That's true. 
And I do think it harms the scene. Like uh, overall, I think like having like a huge amount of giveaway spam and having a lot of streamers who are give who are just giveaway streamers. Like the only thing they do is do giveaways. Basically, I think that is very harmful. I think it's harmful to the scene. It's harmful to the what Guild Wars Two content creation is. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think it is unhealthy. Like you can do giveaways, but I think it's very important to. Um, Balance to actually it? have content to back it up and balance it. I get it. it. I think it's also very harmful to the the the, the low end scene because the you know the the entry level scene on streaming, people will look what the big guys are doing, and if everyone's like spamming giveaways, and they're going to think that's the way to succeed, and you end yeah. up with even less content. And also, giveaways are incredibly oppressive. Um, if if you if you are trying to compete with people who are richer than you, you will lose, um, which I think is very very scary. Actually, I don't, and that I think giveaways should be things that should be kind of kept relatively minimal for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I appreciate your perspective on suggesting that they're okay, but they need to be as in all things, isn't all good things taken done in moderation. Um, I, I, I think the overall impression that that tends to get created on moments where I feel like I'm seeing a lot of giveaways is kind of like a, it makes the guild, the guild wars two content seems seem kind of like a back alley it makes it seem kind of sleazy. Like people are there to get their hit, to get their fix, um, rather than to engage in something, rather than to learn something, be inspired. It's all about gimme, gimme, gimme. And uh, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. And also because it's a great refutation of a principle you and I were talking about earlier with the agency about being the change you want to see in the game. And there's no greater denial of agency than giving your attention with the hope of getting a random reward back gambling your time away with the hope of a payout i get that this is going to be a different people are going to have different opinions about what their time is worth depending on where they are in life what they're doing people who are working a full-time job and supporting a family are going to have a different opinion about what their time is worth than people who are in college sailing by without any issue and have tons of discretionary time or any other given situation right but i worry about the health of this community with regard to giveaways with the amount that I've seen. Um, and I am afraid that this is gonna be an unpopular opinion. That's gonna make me unpopular to say, but I am the kind of person where if I see too much giveaway content coming from specific channels, it's a signal to me to ignore that person, to ignore that content. That, oh, this is just, this is just someone who's engaging in triviality, who's, bar who's, who's in engaging in gambling in a way, attention gambling. And, uh, it's almost like it's almost like going to a to a, an, an Italian place that'll also sell you uh, chicken tenders and French fries if you want it. It's like, man, be the thing you are. Well, I, I think it, it ultimately boils down to the same thing as the players. Making content in Guild Wars Two is difficult because the game doesn't really provide it. Like, if you want to make content in Guild Wars, you're going to have to put a lot of effort in. Um, you know, you're going to have to organize events. You're going to have to come up with ideas that are going to be entertaining. If you don't do that, you've got zero content because ultimately Guild Wars 2 is not a game that has a lot of content that's very good um, for streaming, really. Unless you're, you know, maybe playing PvP is like the one exception for this. So you're going to have to put a lot of effort in. And that means that what do you do if you want views? Well, you know, you can get giveaways and, and that's a very easy way to do it because again, the game is very reward driven, very currency driven. So it's just, it's just the easy option. That people will go for. Um, I mean, yeah, it's. I would encourage people to not do it um, because ultimately it means that the second you know the second that you stop doing giveaways, you your relevance is gone, right? And you are no longer a relevant streamer in any way. 
Uh, but I don't think it's really necessarily... It, 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 okay, it, it's kind of like bots, you know? Because hmm. I, I, I I've really got into it like a lot of the time with bots. Okay. Um, yeah, because I've debated my chat about this, and, and hmm. I always go back and forth with them. Because they always go, oh, yeah, the bots are terrible. They're ruining PvP. Well, okay. the only reason they're ruining PvP is because there aren't enough people playing PvP. Because okay. if the bots were, you know, if, if there were loads of people playing, then you'd never really encounter them that very often. The only reason you encounter bots a fair bit in Guild Wars 2 is because no one's playing, right? Like, there's just not enough people playing the game. Um, so the bots don't get diluted by the player base, essentially. I see, I see. And, um, and... I, I think that it's the exact same thing with giveaways. Like if there was actually lo if there were loads of really good content creators making content, and the giveaway streamers will be irrelevant. Um, you know, they they just wouldn't be relevant. Hmm. I'll think about that. I'll and players would just be forced that. to compete. So I don't when when I see giveaways, I'm not like I don't really think that. Oh yeah, these people are making the scene worse. I just view it as a symptom of the scene being bad. Mm -hmm. So I think that the if you want to kind of address uh, if you know giveaway streams. It's more like a symptom rather than the cause. Interesting. Interesting. I really appreciate that perspective. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, the other dimension of it that I'm also interested in too, and maybe you have an opinion about this too, is from the perspective of not a giveaway pro provider, but a giveaway consumer. Someone who gives their follows, their likes, their subscriptions, their follows, um, their time in, in exchange for the potential of a giveaway. Um, I think there's an argument that I heard from another popular creator that, yeah, giveaways aren't great and they don't feel good, but they're worthwhile because it, 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 it is accurate to say that 90% of the people you attract with a giveaway are not going to engage with your content, but the 10% make it worth it. Um, and I'm trying to decide if that's a good business or if that's, eh, I need to think about this some more teapot, but it strikes me as somewhat immoral. I think that there are lines that, when it comes to playing with people's base incentives that we all understand that if you give people an incentive that is too difficult to deny, it's not their fault for falling for it. It's your fault for giving it. And I guess the whole point of view that I started this point with was to talk about the, the giveaway consumer rather than the giveaway giver. I guess the thing I just wanted to say is, well, where there's, do no, you, where there, do there's you no such thing chain? as a... Where, where, do you, where do you stop that chain, though? Go, because uh, if... Because you, you're 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 putting the responsibility here onto the giveaway runner, right? I think you're it's on both sides. If you give, it, it, it will no 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 no. Because it, 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 no, let, let me explain. So yeah, you're saying point. that you know the, the you know you think it's somewhat immoral to basically give this incentive like of of you know, like of this giveaway that people can't resist it, right? They can't resist the giveaway. Yep. Um, or something like that. But the thing is, the person running the giveaway is incentivized by the way the system works and the way the game works. So they're being essentially it's the same thing with them. Right? Does that make it immoral? Does that make it immoral that the game is the way it is? Is it the moral to is market cigarettes to children? Is it moral um, to market I mean, alcohol to children? We do well, draw lines uh, as a society about well, what you 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 draw the line there. But I think the the line there, I don't I don't think those things things are really analogous because I don't really view hmm. giveaways as necessarily being harmful to the viewer. I, I don't gambling? Think that's really what's going on there. It's it literally gambling. gambling. It's, no, it's no, it's not gambling. Gambling would imply that you'd be paying. Um, mm. or, you know, or, or risking something. You're not risking anything. So, so if you're um, not it, if you're not paying with currency, if you're paying with your time and your attention, then it's different. Well, I mean, you're you're watching a stream. Um, you know, you're not. Uh, you know, like you don't. Ha you know, you're just watching a stream. There, really. I don't okay. necessarily think that's necessarily a bad thing, or or, or even the same thing. There. Uh, yeah. I just think that I'm. Um, you know, like you know, I can completely understand 
why streamers would go for this, right? And why people do a lot of giveaways. It's because it works. It's effective. It's very effective, mm -hmm, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, it's kind of like, well, that's just the way it is, right? Like, um, And I think what you can do here uh, is you want to just, you know, show people a, a better way to make content. I also think that, you know, I also think that, giveaways only go so far i think you know if you if you are going to be like a you know a kind of giveaway streamer type or whatever you are essentially kind of locking yourself in yeah you'll only it's get a ceiling with that I, I think there is a big ceiling on giveaways you know there's a reason why like the the really big streamers like who, who stream on twitch or on youtube they aren't um you know they aren't giveaway streamers right like you know there are plenty of big streamers who don't do this in fact there aren't that many big i don't think i could really think of any like big giveaway streamers okay but there will always be there, there will always be this dynamic right um and i i don't think it's necessarily fair to um to say what certain streamers are doing or content creators are doing is immoral because it just works right like you know this is the real world right you know like you know you can have a code of ethics if you want that's fair and you could you can abstain from certain behaviors but i don't think that means that you can really impose that on other people right i mean there was this big like um you know there was this big thing about the just chatting streamers right um like on twitch i view this as kind of the same thing right giveaways just chatting like the hot tough stuff right i view this as the same thing a lot of people was like oh my goodness someone think of the children right okay well these like, these hot tub streamers are gonna you know fill our with filthy thoughts and goodness me well it's kind of like well you know these people are just making money right they're just making you know they're making ends meet that's what they're doing um and i do view it the same thing with giveaways i think that the answer to the, the way to respond to this is not necessarily saying um we need to make these people stop if you want to get rid of giveaway streamers you should be saying i'm going to be better than you yeah so i i agree with your retort that gambling is not the right word um i don't think i can agree with your argument that it's just people making money and it works and that justifies it there are tons of ways that we culturally and at a society level um deny access to things that work because we've considered them societally immoral um, and one of those things is access of things that are too difficult to control to children and who plays yeah, but, games but why, Keepa? why 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 is that why do we do that why do we say not market cigarettes and alcohol to children because they don't understand the ramifications of those things and they can be very very damaging if you aren't aware and in fact well they, they you know if, if you are in you know they can cause real life harm uh -huh. what harm what harm does entering a giveaway have to say a child in a video game i guess this is a great challenge let me think about this for a second i guess the only harm would be to their psyche I mean, yeah, there's a, a slight time investment, but the damage to their psyche of agreeing that they can benefit by doing, by giving someone something else that they want, um, that their value can be defined in that way. You're sort of entering into a sort of social contract, which suggests that, um, which suggests that, I have to think through this harder, Teapot. Well, I guess what I'm is, trying to do again, here in general I'm, I'm, is I have a sense, right? I have a sense that there's something wrong with this, and I'm trying to pin down and find the language to explain why. I think what, what might be at the heart of it for me, for me, is, is again, this, this sense that I have that it is morally admirable to try to form your identity and bring it into the world. 
and I tend to see the acceptance of random outcome for your efforts to be a sort of baseline denial of that pursuit. It's kind of a philosophical objection, I think. Well, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I would just look at this and go, this, this seems a bit like a bit of overthinking probably. And that it's I love overthinking, T-Pop. What do you think we're here for, my friend? No, I hear you, though. I well, hear you. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm a very pragmatic person. I, and, okay. uh, you know, in, instead of, uh, I, I, th I think that, you know, instead of like just getting rid of this, why don't we just provide something better? Yeah. Right. Uh, because yep. I don't, I don't Be the really change, think that giveaways right? are necessarily, I don't think they're just necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. right? I don't think they really do any, do any damage. I don't, cause yeah, I guess I would just, um, I would just, uh, refute, or rather, they you know, kind of like deny this idea that um, there's any kind of like psychological psychological damage, right, to, to people who like okay. enter in giveaway. I okay. don't think that's really true. I, I don't think people are like, oh, you know, my worth is completely determined by randomness now. Like, no, I mean, I, I just don't think that that's the way people react. I, I think when someone's typing exclamation mark giveaway in a chat, I don't think it's that deep. I think they're like, ooh, free stuff, pog, right? Like that, and that's as far as it goes. <laughs> Well, maybe it's just part of my personality because when I see that, you know what I do? I usually leave the stream because I don't want to be a part of it. It it bothers me, and maybe that's just a part. Maybe maybe I was damaged as a child. Who fucking knows? I don't know. Chat, do you have any theories about armchair psychology, Deke? What's going on inside my head? I'm trying to figure it out, but I think that might be a I signal. Mean, it's time to move on to the next. Sorry, yeah. To go be, ahead. To be clear, like um, I, I would consider. But by the way, actually, like um, and and this is this is this is something that is about me. Okay, I'm a very pedantic person when it comes to why, right? Um, you know, it, it, this the way I view this is that I view this as even if you have the right answer, why you have that answer is important, right? So if, you know, if you do a math test and you get the right answer, but you have the wrong Show your reasoning, work. right? You, you get zero, right? You get no, yeah. you get no points. No, you're right. And that's what's going on. I've got to make my case I, if I'm going to make this argument. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's not about making the case. I actually agree with you. I think that giveaways are actually damaging, but I just think that oh. I, I don't. I don't think the reasoning is is is. Uh, I don't agree with your reasoning. I yeah, agree it's not your, quite your, there. Your, I'm still working on it. Yeah. No, I mean, what what I mean is, is that I, I think there is a good reason to be uh, to be anti giveaway, uh, and that is because I think it. If you have everyone spamming giveaways, that's what the Guild Wars Two Twitch scene is becomes right. If you have like that is an aggregate effect. Yeah. Two, uh, if the content of Guild Wars 2 and what content creators make is essentially, if it boils down to like nothing but giveaways, that is essentially a bad look, in my opinion. And it's also a really big deterrent for new creators because if everyone's running giveaways, new creators can't compete with that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, look, I, and I will, I will say this right now. If I wanted to, I could crush every single giveaway creator um, <sighs> on YouTube and Twitch. It would yeah. be easy. Yeah. Um, because I have an income that is far greater than even like the big giveaway people it's not even close Cheaper. right they would get destroyed i mean look i mean we did this right you know for, for community month i gave away a legendary weapon every day nice okay yeah and, and honestly i could have kept doing that right mm -hmm. and probably never stopped if i really mm -hmm. wanted to now i want to run events and like you know have prize pools so i'm not going to do that but the thing is is that that I will completely own this as well. There are some aspects of that that in a way are like, wow, that's a big ouchie for anyone who's new on the scene. Now I want to do that because I wanted to kind of get people hyped up, right? Yeah, yeah. And kind of get people like, wow, you know, you know, wow, community, nice. But yeah, this is very damaging um, because if you're a smaller content creator and you don't have like a big audience and you don't have people who can fund that sort of thing and help you out, then 
how on earth are you supposed to compete? Because now what I've, what, what, when you do giveaways, you change it from competing over content over competing who has the most money in the game. That's the way uh, the world works though, my friend. Money is speech. It is, the, it is the way the world works. But again, this is where we can talk about kind of like the morality. Is that necessarily a good thing? I would say no, right? And you know, yeah. well, that, we, we really don't want to go down this road, I think, because you, you then you can talk about the way a lot of various political systems work and how money is involved in those, right? And, uh -huh. and I think a lot of people would agree that, yeah, having, having a lot of money involved there can be a little bit of a yikes. But, you know, this is a video game, so we don't necessarily have to mirror real life perfectly. Uh, I think, and this is mm. where I think giveaways can be very, uh, can be very a bit of a dangerous precedent. I think in moderation, again, they're completely fine, nothing wrong with them, and yeah, you know, you can use them to like draw ice attention cream. to a cause. Or it's okay to have some ice cream, but don't make it mm. your diet. Yeah, and be and cognizant of how much make, you're having. And I think you you do need to be mindful of the effect it will have on the community. You do not want Guild Wars Two, the Twitch and YouTube scene, to be a giveaway community. You yeah. want it to be a content community, and there are giveaways there sometimes as well that give back. But if it becomes the primary content, then you're in a lot of trouble. Um, and because the second you stop, it's over, right? It's over for you, right? Um, and you can't, you can no longer, you no longer have an audience because you have to keep doing it. Yeah. And then once again it comes down to muscle. At that point, it comes down to who's got the most gold. Whoever's got the most gold is going to get the most views, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that is incredibly dangerous because it means you've changed, again, you've changed from a system based on merit, on vaguely how entertaining you are, um, you know, what you're doing as a streamer, what kind of videos or YouTube, you know, Twitch streams you're making, right? All that sort of stuff, which is how it should be. And you've changed that into who's got the most gold is going to get the most views. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is... That is the, in my opinion, the very, very negative downside um, of giveaways. Amen. So, uh, maybe we could sum this up by saying, engage with giveaways. Urge everyone to engage with giveaways, whether you're deciding to give one or to participate in one, with awareness. Yeah. Get in there and get some free stuff. <laughs> the first day I do a giveaway, someone's going to link this back to me. I'm going to eat my fucking words. This is not a healthy stance for my channel to take. But then again, pretty much nothing about my content these days is about trying to get the most people. In fact, four-hour videos, I'm not sure where the market for it is. But I do because I love it. Well, I mean, podcasts are very popular. Yeah, I suppose. Popular compared to what, though? Well, I mean, what about Joe Rogan? Yeah, I mean... H3H3. Okay, okay, okay. Yep, fair, fair enough. But how, do, how does their content do? The most successful podcasters do... Versus the most successful short form video creators. That's, you know, honestly, that's a great question. That's a really, really good question. I would actually argue that um, I would I would actually argue that in terms of influence, Joe Rogan is like bigger than a lot of like the more trivial content. Does it yeah. influence? Right. Like who who making like a short Fortnite highlight clip uh, has had um, you know Elon Musk on the show? Right. Right, or Bernie Sanders. Right, and you know, smoke else. weed with, yeah, and, and Bernie Sanders, right? And, and all these incredibly influential, you know, thinkers, politicians, yeah, yeah. right? Um, all that kind of stuff. Like, so maybe who, smaller in views, smaller in views, but bigger in influence. Yeah, sure. And it all comes down to what you value. Yeah. Right? Yeah, sure. Maybe, you know, maybe each podcast isn't, say, getting 10 million views. But to be honest, what would you rather have? Would you rather have 10 million views or would you rather have like a massive uh, kind of impact on the world mm -hmm. by having conversations with incredibly important people? And, that, that, and, and the thing is, that is entirely up to the creator, right? And to mm -hmm. the beholder, right? Like, what do you think? Well, I don't know. You tell me, right? You know? Like, yeah, we're working that think? out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've definitely cast my lot there. 
it's an interesting discussion to be had. Um, I love podcasts. I think like the the main question, I think kind of similar to you, and I don't want to make this about me too much, but the, the main question I ask myself when I sit down to make content, because I don't have to make content. Like I have a day job and a career and a wife. I have lots of other stuff going. Making time for this is kind of a pain in the ass. I do it because I need to do it. I make the content that I want to see for the most part. Why doesn't this exist? Why doesn't this exist? Why doesn't this exist? I can't find this. I said, finally said, screw it. I'm just going to make it myself. And here we are. Yeah, I love to see it. Well, let's love to see the next topic. Nice. Okay, I think this is going to be fun. Recently, we had a great news blast from ArenaNet. After months of the Icebird Saga champions, the Dragonstorm, the death of Primordus and Jormag, who just decided, screw it, we're going to try to bite each other. We heard signal, massive signal from ArenaNet letting us know about changes in leadership in anticipation of End of Dragons. And they, I think, quite effectively sweetened the bad news of an End of Dragons delay alongside it. First question for you, Teapot. End of Dragons delay, good or bad? Good. Okay. Content drought before delayed End of Dragons releases, good or bad? It sucks, but it's for the best. And I think ArenaNet's done some good job. They've done a good job mitigating it. Uh, alliances, uh, the story re-release, um, hopefully some balance of, to- you know, all the torment stuff, like the Torment of Legends they added in, right? Uh, DX11 um, coming as well, Legendary Armory. I think they've done a good job, and I- I'm expecting to add- see them add more features and pat- fairly major patches before the expansion to fill the void. I think they've, they very intelligently planned this out, I think. Okay. Marionette okay. is another good example. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so one of the... the- things about that announcement that I just I just picked up um, a little bit myself was the leadership announcements. So Colin Johansson, the original hype train conductor, is returning to ArenaNet as game director. Um, and we're also seeing alongside him, Josh Davis, Grouch, come back to be the head of live operations. Very exciting. What is your take on, let's talk about Colin first. What's your take on Colin's return? Well, this is kind of an interesting one. I mean, I, I have to be a little cynical here when it comes to Colin. I think Colin, okay. is, he's a good front man. He's a very good front man. But I think uh, he, he definitely has to prove himself here because the only other project we've seen him work on after Guild Wars 2 was Crucible, which yeah. was an unmitigated disaster. And in a way, it, it, what's a bit scary about Crucible is that it, it suffered from some of the flaws that Guild Wars 2 suffered from, actually. Uh, oh, yeah? They didn't really... Yeah, like it was a you know team shooter game basically with no way of communicating. There was no chat whatsoever to communicate with the other players. This is such a glaring oversight that it's like, wow, how is that even possible? Like that, huh. if, if you'd showed me that game for one second, I would have told you, wow, where is the chat? Where is it? Why, why you made a team game with, with no team making, no team building. Yeah. Th- that's such a glaring error that you've got to think, what the hell happened in that in that dev studio? You know, like what were they thinking? How could they mess up to that degree? So Colin, uh, I think he's a good guy. I think he's going to hype it up. I love to see it. Uh, and obviously he did a lot of good work with Guild Wars 2. You know, he was on the original team um, for the ArenaNet and they made a good game. But I just hope he hasn't lost his mojo. Uh, and what we see happen with Crucible does not happen with, with, with Guild Wars. A little more context on Colin. I did some research prior to a video I did a couple weeks ago on Colin. So before, after he left ArenaNet, but before he started working on Crucible... 
he worked as a product and as a senior manager for product management at Amazon for about two and a half years before starting work on Crucible. And during that time, he was a project lead for a project called Stream Plus, which built the first prototype of what ended up becoming Twitch extensions. And Twitch extensions are a real thing. Like those are out in the world now. You can engage with Twitch extensions. He also apparently um, was the project lead on a kind of broadcast studio for Amazon Game Studios. I don't know anything about that, but the data point that I found is that it apparently it turned a, a, a return on its investment in the first year, which for any live streaming investment is, I think, pretty pretty cool and impressive. Apparently, he was also nominated for um, some leadership uh, and graduated from some, some, some leadership program at, at Amazon as well. Um, so he wasn't just working on Crucible during the time away. He actually came on to Crucible in January of 2019, which after it had been under development for like four years... I'm not sure how uh, we know that with games, most of the actual putting things together comes at the very end. Right. But my impression of it is that he didn't come in at the ground level on this. He came in pretty late in the game. Um, that doesn't mean that he's not responsible. He did have a pretty high level role franchise lead. I don't know how much bigger you can get than that for a game. Um, so not just responsible ostensibly for the game, but potentially future games and developments on the franchise. Um, and yeah, it came out in May 2020, was yanked back to beta next month, and then cringingly was killed altogether four months later. Um, we know that Colin came on to ReadNet in January of this year, looking at his LinkedIn, which means that there was a two-month period from when, from when Crucible was killed to when Colin came on, where uh, John Taylor, our, our enigmatic profile hey, with a question mark next to it, uh, game director uh, for the last few years uh, contacted him and I guess collaborated on what this role for Colin will be. Um, you know, one interesting thing I noticed from that announcement, Teapot, is that it kind of suggested that Colin would be partnering with John on Guild Wars development. But if you actually read it, it doesn't say anywhere that Colin's here to work on Guild Wars. Um, this is here to co-lead the studio with John. And John is in, ch in charge of Guild Wars. And it kind of suggested to me that Colin, which would make sense for someone like him, um, it makes a lot more sense thinking about career progression for someone like him to come back to work on whatever else is going on in the background at Arena. And maybe there's some contribution to Guild Wars. I think we're seeing a change in communication that is a lot more in line with what we saw under Colin. But I think that Guild Wars fans could do themselves a favor by acknowledging the possibility that Colin's not here to just work on Guild Wars 2. What do you think of that? I mean, I, I think that um, Arena is it. They are they're a pretty mature studio. They know how they know the deal. They know how yep, it works. Yep, yep. And I think they're almost certainly already thinking about what are they doing that isn't Guild Wars 2. Like, what are we doing after Guild Wars 2? Mm -hmm. I think that they'll already they're already thinking about um, the next project, right? Like, because of course we knew that they were doing this for a while, right? They were working on um, these other. You know these other projects, these other games mm -hmm. that ended up getting cancelled. But I think almost certainly they've got something in mind um, to think about that as well, right? Like almost certainly, yeah. They're they're probably doing they're probably in the similar process right now where they're going, okay, what are we going to do alongside this? Yeah, and I think they are certainly looking to expand their horizons yet again. Okay, and with Colin, do your do your um, does does your cynicism about his time as Guild Wars Two game director from launch till twenty sixteen also extend to his involvement in future projects? What do you think? Um, 
I no, I mean, I, I mean, uh, I, I don't think so. Um, uh. I think Crucible. I mean, I, you know, it's fun. Fun thing about this. I mean, I was actually in the Crucible um, Alpha and some of the okay. alphas and stuff. Yeah. To be honest, like I, I, I knew that game was going nowhere. Like it was mm. trying to cash in on the whole battle royale thing by doing a different spin on it, but it was way too late, right? Like it was way too late. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to get in on one of these new crazes, you've got to either bring something very, very new to the table or do it quickly, right? And Crucible didn't have. It didn't have any of those things. I, I think the execution of it wasn't very good either, which was another big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, yeah, uh, I no, I don't think there's anything to worry about with them um, with with Colin. Cool. I'm I'm relieved to hear that because I like Colin a lot. Yeah, I think that um, as long as everyone's playing to their strengths, it it, it won't it, it it shouldn't be too much of a problem. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think I think it's you you can't really you can't really say oh you know. Colm was on this project and it failed, so it was all his fault. I'm sure there was a lot that went into something like Crucible that caused it to be a bit of a disaster. Um, yeah. And, and it, yeah. it won't have been just on him, right? Um, and I think he knows what he's doing. He's also a very good communicator, and I think that's yeah. that can be a way he can be very, very effective, actually, is that he's very good at talking to people. Yeah. And communicating with the community, which is kind of what Guild Wars 2 has lacked for a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. I think one of the hardest things that happens in game creation is having figuring out how the dialogue between the studio and, and its audience can work. Um, and we saw a statement in that in that leadership announcement that um, they were making a commitment to communicate. Um, I think at, 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 actually that was in Grouch's section and Josh Davis's section. So maybe um, maybe that's a pivot to Grouch. What do you think about his return? This one is, I think, probably the the more cataclysmic one actually, because Grouch is a player who's very interested in, in a way, slightly more competitive play and competitive, yeah. but also just more more engaged play, more high level play. Uh-huh. He likes stuff like PvP. He likes World versus World, right? He likes the idea of players being good at the game and and you know pushing themselves in the game. Yep. I think that could really signal some pretty interesting developments there with mm-hmm. where ArenaNet might take the game. Are you optimistic about those or pessimistic? Very optimistic, yeah. I think um, I think I'm expecting great things from Grouch. Yeah, Grouch was the the brand manager and PvP team lead, is what I have for him. Um, I have heard a lot of stories from different creators talking about how he stepped up um, for the community at a time where it was very difficult to get to have um, to get help from the studio on community led events. I'm hoping yeah, we see absolutely. a major return to that. Yeah, I think Arena does, does this a lot better actually. Um, you know, they offer stuff like titles, gem support, all that sort of thing. So they yeah. actually do offer a lot of support, I think, now. Uh, but back in the day, yeah, like Grouch was the one who'd kind of been, would be heading that up a lot. And you'd have to mm-hmm. kind of go behind uh, go behind the lines, right, to actually um, get the job done sometimes. Yeah, uh, a couple quotes here I have from him in that section. that Bridging the gap between players and devs. So it neatly describes that. And also, yes, he's the one who said that the benefits of communication outweigh the risks which is a flip, I feel, from what we've seen in the last few years of Guild Wars. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, th- I think um, if you don't communicate, you can't control the narrative whatsoever, and you let the player set the narrative. And if you do that, that's incredibly risky. I think not communicating is insanely risky too. Communication does have its risks. If you mess it up, obviously you can get punished for that. But I think, conversely, if you don't communicate, I think the risks are honestly greater than even getting it wrong sometimes. Because mm-hmm. if you get it wrong, it can be it can be devastating actually. Like if you mm-hmm. if you don't communicate, and I think why the, one of the reasons why there's just so much misinformation 
about Guild Wars 2 is because ArenaNet just refuses to set their own narrative around their game. Just like, lets the players do it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like I'm looking at a bunch of other games. I don't think there's any example of a game I can think of that has where the where the studio has control of the social media narrative. I think every single game I've seen, the community is in control of that narrative. It's not really a place for the studio to be in control. The the, the problem is when they're absent. It, it, it's when they're absent from the social media. Um, at least where the people are. I think that is debate. That is debatable. I think actually. Um, we debate it. I think that you. Well, I mean, you, you can if you want. I mean, this. this um, I I I think that the I think that the the company does need to set the tone for the dialogue. Uh, mm. I think that's actually a big response. I think I think managing the community and managing where the community's at and where the discourse is. I think that's that is literally what a community manager does. Okay, I don't think that the company should be completely at the mercy of players who might well be assholes. Right. I think they have to be able to say, right, this is how it is. Right. This is what we're doing. I'm going to explain it to you. Right. And this is what's going on. Uh, and I think that just relying on the players to do that is a very, very good way uh, to get horrible information about your game uh, and just not really have an accurate representation of your game in the minds of not only your own players, but players who don't know your game either. Do any examples of successful community management come to mind for you? Um, Path of Exile on old school RuneScape. Okay. Can you give me some, but help me flesh that out. I'm not familiar. What do they do? Uh, that so works? the, uh, these, they are very directly involved, right? Like the okay. key thing is direct involvement. There are clear lines of communication. Uh, decisions, uh, are very trans. There's a lot of transparency okay. in these companies, right? Like they will say why this happened, what was going on and where things are going. Right. And if things go wrong, they'll address it. Um, uh, for example, um, like part of exile, uh, something went, something went a bit wrong. Okay. Uh, with, with the game, one of the, one of the leagues didn't go quite as planned. And okay. instead of just being total radio silence, which is something that you might have in Guild Wars too. Uh, one of the, the, you know, one of the producers, right. The developers there, Chris Wilson is very well known from, uh, GGG, which is of course the company that develops part of exile. There was a very, very long post but essentially not not i wouldn't exactly call it an apology but it was kind of like yeah we screwed up we messed it up right mm -hmm. and this is what we're going to do to fix it taking responsibility yeah. taking responsibility and setting the tone on how the dialogue is going to go right that is what it is with control the narrative because that means there is no question there's no there's no like oh they don't care oh the devs don't care oh the devs are stupid they don't even know right because right. it's been explained by the developer the developer mm -hmm. said, yes, we do care. Yes, we messed up and we're going to fix it. Right? right. And that's kind of what you don't have in Guild Wars 2. Like all the time I hear, uh, you know, people go in my chat and say, oh, yeah, Arena don't care about the game. Right? This is not true. Right. And now we know it's not true because, um, you know, the developers, you know, have, have kind of spoken on this. Right. They've talked a lot about uh, a lot about this. Right. Um, in the yeah, there's, there's no such thing as a game that, that gets made without care. Yeah, of course. Not caring is, is not making why a game. Is it? But, but why is it that people say this about Guild Wars 2? It's because the developers just don't ever refute this. This piece of information is just out there. And no matter how hard I say that, oh, yeah, you know, of course they care. Don't be ridiculous, right? Um, people will, will, you know, well, you're just you. You know, why would we ever listen to you, right? It's because it has to come from the actual source, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I guess I have the sense that this conversation about saying that the developers don't care my sense is that this happens in every single game, not just Guild Wars 2. And I don't know if I 
just tend to gravitate towards games that experience neglect or what. But I don't think I've seen a community that's unaffected by this sentiment. It's just a matter of degree. And I'm not sure I necessarily follow the idea that Guild Wars 2 is a is particularly in a bad state compared to live service games in general. Well, I think that this is a very common problem in the industry, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it shouldn't be tried. To, you shouldn't try and solve it, right? I agree. I mean, yeah, that, that. Yeah, yeah, that. I, I would say this is true, right? For sure. Um, I think a lot of games struggle with this. Um, you know, I, I would say that WoW struggles with this a lot, right? With transparency and communication. Yeah, hundred um, percent. But again, you know that that you know that means they yeah they should fix it, right? Uh, that's a big problem. Yeah, I'm not saying don't don't pursue a better way. I'm just suggesting that Guild Wars Two is is not unique. Hey, stream. Guess whose power just went out? We're back. Unreal. <laughs> uh, okay. This is the content that the internet didn't want you to see. Right Things here. Things have folks. conspired against us to, from speaking the truth. Yeah. But we carry on. The truth is worth the pain. Is everything working, actually? Yeah, I think I think we're just fine to continue. Okay. What were we talking about, Teapot? I can't remember. I'm getting uh, tired, man. <laughs> You were almost ready to wrap this thing up? I thought we were going for seven hours, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think these, that... I'm, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be, man. Like, these, <laughs> these long streams, they wear me out, okay? <laughs> okay, Mr. 12 Hours. Yeah. I think that I think that if we want... I think the, the longest one I've done was like four hours and 20 minutes with... It might have been with Sam. Sam Ageste. I can't remember, but we're not quite there. But that's okay. We don't have to. We don't have to do this for length. I guess what I wanted to. We were. Let's at least punch up this topic, right? And I know you can't see me yet. The the, the technology on my side is still falling into place. The stream can see me, but Teapot cannot. Oh, probably a value add, honestly. Uh, we were talking about community narrative, community management, and I think what I was doing was trying to acknowledge you know like when you're doing a really complicated task and then and then your significant other your brother your sister your mom your dad comes into your room and is like hey i have something you need to deal with and try to get back to that task and it just takes like half an hour to get back into it i think that's where i'm at right mm -hmm. now yeah <laughs> need to need to warm up again first to go around again oh, i cannot pick up the thought thread i know that the whole community thing I think the sense that I have, Teapot, is that no one's doing it well. You know, one of the, the examples of, of community management that I was really inspired by for a little while was with the, with the Warframe community and what they were doing. But Warframe is a game where the community is completely... You need the Guild Wars 2 community has bad vibes infecting it. Check out Warframe. There are some mega bad vibes overflowing in the Warframe community. Is the game good? I mean, yeah. There's no way for a game to get that, that level of attention without being good. Uh, well, it could have been a start out was a good game, then ended up being very, very bad. Well, like, I mean, that's always a possibility. Like, I mean, you know, you know, the Guild Wars 2 community was kind of like this, right? Like the Guild Wars 2 community was very, very positive at the start of the game. But as things started to decline, um, there were a lot of people playing it, but people started to complain about it a lot, right? It's still a good game. So there though. is always that possibility. It is still a good game. Yeah. 
Um, but I mean, like, you know, if, if things have gone downhill, then there can be some, there are plenty of complaining to be done there. Yeah. No, and that's, that's, you know, I, mean, I, I think, it, I think if there are, I mean, what, what do you mean by bad vibes? Like why, why are there, why are there bad vibes? Well, there's just a sense of, um, um, broken promises, um, inability to execute, um, uh, and a, kind of hopelessness about the future of the game is the sense that I get from Warframe. Well, did they break promises? You know, I think so. I'm not as tapped into it uh, as I would like to be to answer these questions in real depth. Um, Warframe is a game that kind of, it's kind of strange the way it's built. It's kind of constructed based on, yeah, they create new content, but the way they actually make money is by creating new Warframes. Um, new different kind of pl characters you can play as with different powers. They're kind of like mini, mini classes or professions. You can think of them that way. But all these classes have unique powers and their own progression paths, and you can buy premium versions of them. And um, it's a, uh, my sense of it is that it's just a good game that, that eventually started, that, that eventually became too involved in the business of, re of repeating its success rather than of working on the next success and people are bored of it. Well, if, if that's the case, then they should just not do that. I mean, ultimately no amount of community management is going to save you from broken promises. Like, you know, this is the thing with Guild Wars 2, all this communication right now, are people really happy to see it? Yes. But is it actually enough? No, of course not. Uh, Arena, I mean, how many times have they said, yeah, we're restructuring internally to make more content or, oh yeah, we're doing that. We're doing this alliances, right? Like, yeah, hundred percent. Like this is right now, Arena's in the talk phase and, and talk is nice. It can be encouraging, particularly when you've had such a huge communication vacuum for a long period of time. But ultimately, like, uh, the, the community does not trust ArenaNet right now. Sorry, ArenaNet, they don't. Um, and how do I, great example, Legendary Armory. People thought it was going to be monetized, right? And when ArenaNet- Everyone thought it was. Thought it was. They, didn't <laughs> they didn't believe them. And can you blame them? Right? Can you nope. blame them after build templates? No, of course not. Of course you can't blame people who would think that. Um, ArenaNet also communicated kind of badly there, but that's another thing entirely. Um, but, you know, yeah, sure. Like, this is- yeah, that this is exactly what's going on. Um, you have to actually deliver. You can't just sell words. You actually have to do stuff as well. Yeah, I guess the the kind of argument I'm trying to make, Teapot, because I agree with you, um, is that I kind of feel like this problem is bigger than Guild Wars Two. I think that the business of the business of repeating past success is one that pretty much all live services games are engaged with to some extent. I don't. You, from what I, from what I can tell from the outside in, I don't really even think OSRS or uh, what's their game you mentioned, Path of Exile, are really exempt from this problem. Sometimes it's, it's just a matter of time um, or a matter of competition about whether these dynamics play out. Um, you know, the, the crash that's happening in World of Warcraft right now is something that could have happened ten years ago. Um, it was. It, I see it as kind of an, an inevitable problem, and I I guess I'm wondering what rather than forestall the is the only hope that we have is to forestall the problem by keeping people distracted with new things to, to pay attention to and with with or is there a way to i need to condense this argument down to something more concrete um it's because of the way people engage with the game i guess i'm MMORPGs. like of course like if, if you play uh, you know if, if you watch let, let's say you watch a tv show okay and you watch it once cinematography errors 
or, or like a, a bad delivery of a line or, you know, may, maybe the set wasn't quite right. Or maybe there's a reflection that, you know, you, you can see the camera. You can see yeah. like, sorry, you can see like the audio rig in yeah. a reflection somewhere. It's like, oh, the, the illusion shattered. You're not going to see that the first time, right? Are you? You're going to, but you, would you see it like the hundredth time? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. Like this is inevitable with with games like this because the way you're engaging with the media in a way is somewhat unhealthy. Like you know, it, you know, MMOs in some ways have disadvantages that can't be worked around. Right. Like the you you know, the, just because of the way they are, you're going to find the flaws. Right. Because the game isn't perfect and never will be. Those imperfections will eventually become so apparent the longer you play the game. Yeah. So this is inevitable. Yeah, it is inevitable. So if, um, if, if if imperfections are inevitable, how can how can communities and developers interact in a way to make people accept them? Because I think that's the trick: is not to resent the inconsistencies, but to accept them. Well, I mean, you just have to do that. I mean, just just do that. Yeah, you you have to <laughs> just do it. The game it is easy. Yeah, no, I mean seriously, though, like the players need to ha not have unrealistic expectations. They have to, you know, the game isn't perfect; it never will be. Um, so you need but to go expectations are, are set externally of the player though they're set by the game and by marketing and all kinds of factors it's a bit of both i think i think a lot yeah. of players do have very unrealistic expectations for games i think they do expect that the game is i mean look people you know people expect the game to like release new content for hours and hours and hours all the time constantly right this is a pretty big prevailing thing right i, I would say with a lot of uh a lot of the player base and i do think yeah their developers can set expectations but you know i think players also pretty heavily go into it with their own expectations too um and and it's it's a twofold thing the community needs to go oh yeah okay we need to not have ridiculous expectations and then the developers need to demonstrate the fact that they are looking at the concerns of the player uh, they communicate that they understand the concerns of the player and then act on those concerns. Right. And if you do that, then you can have a healthy relationship. That's how you build trust. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. No, totally agree. Um, it's it's ju just like a human relationship, right? You have to reflect an understanding of the problem. If an apology is necessary, you have to actually apologize. And then you have to explain what it is you're going to do about it and then actually deliver on those things. And that can change over time. Like if, if the thing you thought was that you were going to do to fix a problem ends up be, taking longer than you thought or ends up being different than you thought, you have to keep the communication. Like the tragic example is uh, alliances. I know we're maybe finally getting them, but um, I, I think one of the, you know, you and I kind of clowned on the Icebird Saga announcement last time you, we, we did a podcast together, um, rightfully so. And uh, one of the biggest things about that is the fact that they mentioned alliances and that they're going to be telling us more about it in the future and it would have been way way better for them to have just not said anything like the fact that they once again gave us something to, to be let down on um the, the absence of a signal would have been better better on better than that than none but games are like the hardest thing in the world to make um in the world of creation and art there's nothing more complicated than a video game not least which because the experience to varying degrees is always as kind of as you suggested with the, the players expectations that get brought in they're formed more by the player's agency than any other artistic medium yes we all bring something of ourselves when we watch the latest avengers movie when we go to an art gallery when we listen, when we listen to music like definitely that's true but there's just another level altogether where the music doesn't actually go forward unless you're actually navigating actively like in a video game the game doesn't move forward unless you're actually engaging with it um 
I think that what what I'm maybe appealing to generally to you here, and maybe it's just too general, too broad, is that um, I think that there are good reasons for people to have the expectations they have usually, and that that problem may be bigger than the game. It may be a gaming industry problem. It may be an even bigger problem than that. Maybe there's a problem with the idea of front-loading so much content in MMOs where people are busy for 100, 150, 250 hours, and then and then they go into this mode of waiting months for 10, 20 hours of content. Maybe we shouldn't set up games with the expectation that they should have a huge content drop at the start. Maybe it's just start with that, with that, you know, kind of live services model. I don't know. And uh, certainly there's virtue in pursuing a better way of communicating. Um, but we also have to acknowledge that when developers are communicating on behalf of a game, they're speaking at a, at, with a different level of, of ability to be honest than gamers are, right? You and I, Teapot, can say almost anything we want about the game, more or less. There aren't a lot of things that we can say that are going to blow back on us, that are going to affect our ability to make our lives. But for developers, um, both on an individual level when being on social media, and there are a few examples we can talk about that for, and also um, at the, the level of these kinds of um, these big announcements where we're speaking, where it's coming from a company platform on the company blog and um, it gets covered in that way. Um, the, level of, the level of risk involved in that communication requires a level of competence. And um, I don't, it's so high. It's so high, it staggers me because, you know, I, I'm someone who, the the art of conversation, what you and I are doing right now, is something that I, um, I've taken a lot of instruction in. I'm not literal. Like, I've met people in my life who have helped me interact better with others, um, help help to reflect my understanding, help to validate what people say, and help to um, make space for what they think in a conversation. And the question of how to make space for gamers in the conversation about games without putting a studio in a position to set itself up to fail is a problem that is so difficult it beggars my imagination. And I have a lot of sympathy on behalf of studios like ArenaNet who make choices to let the work speak for itself. Because even though I think it's not the best way to do it, it is a way to do it that protects the people who are doing the work. It, it protects the developers. It prevents them from putting themselves in a position to say something that ends up being false. Um, I think well, it's it, it's I'm, an inherently I'm, it's an inherently sympathetic uh, decision. Uh, I don't know. No, no. I've got to no. Me consumer, me player. Look, the, the, this is basically saying that if they say nothing, if they screw it up horribly, it doesn't blow back. That's correct, but but don't screw up. Right? Look, I'm sorry. Welcome to capitalism, okay? Welcome to a meritocracy. If you mess up, you get punished for it. And that is how it should be. And yeah, a lot of ArenaNet's, um, a lot of ArenaNet's difficulties have been from them horribly screwing up, right? Like they've alienated their player base over the years, almost systematically, right? Um, you know, they, they, they could have barely done it more if they tried, right? That is the harsh reality. Sorry, Anet. It's true. Um, and yeah, sure. If they had just never said anything, then it probably, you know, then then maybe people wouldn't be so annoyed uh, and, you know, like so mad about this stuff. But I mean, on the other hand, you know, we, we have to, these developers, you've spoken to some of them personally. I've spoken to some yeah. of them personally. They're mm -hmm. nice people. But 
I think it's important to also understand the what what the actual relationship is going on here, right? Mm. Like at the okay. end of the day, we are the consumer, they are the product seller, right? We are buying what they are selling. And if the product isn't good, if they have problems executing with their product, then that is on them, right? Um, and if people don't like them for breaking their promises, miscommunicating, then they should have communicated better and they shouldn't have broken the promises. Yeah, I agree with the last thing you said, that people should be held accountable for for their, their words. I'm not saying that shouldn't be the case. I guess the thing, Teapot, that I'm reflecting is the more that I learn, the more I appreciate how difficult that is to do. And I don't think that there's really, I don't think that there's any interest in the gamer community. Um, and may, maybe this is, this is a, this is a weird take. Um, but I think that consumers and producers of content is only one thing that the people who are involved in this are. Yeah, I, I consume Guild Wars too, but, um, and yeah, as people I talk to may make Guild Wars too, but we're all a lot more than that. And I think if you boil boil things down to that level of simplification, then you're losing a lot of the realities of the situation. I'm not saying that accountability is not needed. It totally is. All I guess the reason I go down this path is to try to understand. And if all we do is say, it's bad, I want more, then we're cheating ourselves of a broader understanding of a problem. And maybe people don't want to have a broader understanding, but that's the way that I engage with it. It, it, the thing is, though, I mean, look, I'm not being hostile here, by the way. It's not hostility. I mean, I completely understand. It's very, very difficult. The thing is, is this is just, this is not the prerogative of the player. That's not the dynamic of the relationship, right? Um, the dynamic is, is that these are, this is a video game and you're spending money on it and they're providing a service or a product. If the service isn't good and then people complain about it and if they fail to deliver on certain things that they said they were going to deliver on, then ultimately that's that's exactly what should happen. And you can be honest. What should happen? Can we be more specific? Oh yeah, sure. They should. They should um, get shit for it. Okay. Like, what does that mean? Should it? Should Um, individual devs be be called out? No, of course not. No, the company. No, never individual devs, but the company itself. Okay. Okay. No, I think going after people personally is a horrible way of doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, um, the company should be held accountable. Like, look, in the very extreme example, and and by the way, this is not controversial. Everyone agrees with this. Um, If a company is not delivering, that company should go out of business. Yep. Totally. That is a fundamental thing. If a yeah, company it's immoral to keep a business that, that, right? that's providing no value yeah. in business. It's immoral the, the, to do you know, that. I agree. This is not a charity interaction. If there is a, I'm not talking about Arena here, by the way. If there yep. is a business that exists and it is not, you know, it is not doing what it is not doing well. It's not delivering on what it's supposed to be doing here. It's not, um, you know, respecting the consumers uh, and, you know, interacting with the consumers in a positive way. Then there is absolutely no obligation for the consumer to continue to prop up this business or even to say nice things or be understanding, right? Uh-huh. Like this, this is the, this is the nature of reality here. Um, you know, if, uh, if th- there's something going wrong here, uh, then ultimately it needs to be uh, communicated and it needs to be rectified, right? Uh, and there's no way around that. It's not a hostility thing. It's a, uh, this is the nature of our relationship as a player and as a consumer with the company. Okay. Yeah, what you're doing, Teapot, is kind of offering a retort to my suggestion that we should care about how the sausage is made. And what you're saying is that all we do is eat the sausage and that's all we need to care about. And I think that, I think that 
that might be where it can end for some for for many people and that's fine um maybe it's just a personal pursuit to understand um i don't really think that there's an example of a company that's figured this out and i think guild i think arena is just one more company that could do better in setting expectations um about what people can expect when it comes to a live services video game and i guess i was interested in, in, in examining those dynamics but at the end of the day, you are correct. If if they say you're going to get X and we don't get X, then yes, we should say a reading that but that's on promised them. X and didn't. It might be that's us. on them. Yeah, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be empathetic. In fact, one of the the things that I really encourage people is to be empathetic. Okay. Um, but the thing is, is that that empathy should not extend to the point of just being delusional, right? Um, and and basically giving people a pass for screwing up, right? Um, you know, if 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 you if you screw up, then you're going to face consequences for that. This is just that happening on a larger scale. And again, you know, look, I I have a again I have a similar perspective in you on this because I've taught with a lot of devs over to, over the years, right? Uh huh. I I know some of these people, you know, to a decent degree. And as a result, yeah, I don't want them to fail, but ultimately I'm not going to lie, right? Um, if if there's a problem with the game, I will say, uh, you know, to say to Ben, right? Or to Darkbringer uh, or to CMC, yeah, sure. this was a screw up, right? This was a screw up. And in a way I view that as respect, right? Um, not even, you know, I don't view that as rude. Like if someone, if I do something wrong and one of my friends says, Teapot, you shouldn't have done that. To me, mm -hmm. that's respect. Right, that's what you should do. If you can't do that with your friends or with people that you know, then something's gone horribly wrong. Actually, that's um, a higher sign of respect than protecting their their ego. That's yeah. that's the yeah. kind of thing that you would do to someone who who's a kind of like a child. Yeah, you protect exactly. them from their mistakes. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and that's exactly right. And that I guess is why I was suggesting that Arena's past tendency to to. Uh, not communicate, to be insular in terms of expectations, um, to be opaque, is an act of an act of sympathy on behalf of the people who work there, to protect for everyone there to protect themselves from those mistakes. And I'm not saying that it's the highest good. I'm just recognizing what, to the best of my my ability in the context I'm aware of, um, can perceive. Because yeah. Um, it isn't everyone's best interest. I mean, like if you don't say there's a big problem with the game and you guys screwed this up big time, then how are they supposed to know that they screwed it up big time? Like if you don't go, if you don't do this sort of thing, then how can they make their game better, right? Like if they if they're unaware of the issues um, in the game and they don't know, you know, they don't know what's going on, um, then how are they going to be able to prevent themselves from just doing the same thing again and screwing up again and making the same mistake? Well. I don't disagree with you, but to play devil's advocate, uh, they have metrics. They know what people are doing in the game. They know what, people, what content people are engaging with. When people stop playing, they when do. they log out. And that's what, yeah, metri metrics are a good way of, uh, metrics can help. Like, they absolutely can. Metrics can definitely be a useful thing, I think. Okay. Um, but th I think there's more to it than just that. I mean, I think there are things that aren't, that can be sometimes not immediately obvious um, when things have gone wrong, right? There might be a few things that are not necessarily as obvious, certainly with regards to communication. And also, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to kind of hold, you do have to hold people to account. You do have to hold, um, you do actually have to hold companies and people to account. Otherwise, they'll just, you know, kind of just go about their business, at, you know, as as normal, right? Which, I'm, which I don't think is a very desirable outcome. 
but yeah, metrics are definitely useful. Right? And I'm sure they, and Arena is a company that definitely uses metrics a lot, right? They, they really do. Yeah, the thing that, that the, the player feedback can provide, the creator feedback can provide is a narrative around the metrics, right? Like we see these data points, but what do they mean? Let's listen to the community and see what they say. Oh, this, this matches up to what we're seeing here. Has like a reinforcing effect. At least that's how I imagine that could work. That's how I've used reinforcement. I mean, sorry. That's how I've used data metrics in my own work. Um, you see a trend and then you search for a narrative to explain the trend so that you can engage with and respond to. Um, I guess uh, part of the reason I'm interested in this is actually not necessarily on behalf of Arena, but um, there's just a ton of discussion right now swirling around Asmongold and uh, his critique of World of Warcraft, how it's being received. There was this uh, supposed leak that went around about World of Warcraft recently, talking about internal sentiment within the company. I'm not sure if you saw it, but um, one of the things that was called out is this kind of this this culture war that may may or may not exist. I don't know. When looking at creators like Asmongold, and you have the the kind of old school guys who are like, "Yep, they're just he's telling it like it is," and we just gotta accept the feedback for what it is. When there's this kind of new school approach where they kind of believe that he's on some kind of crusade to personally to personally destroy uh, the franchise, which of course he's not. Um, but the role of of uh, I, I think that the overall problem of the way that the way that the internet has empowered us to give signal back to the people who are making these games um, is one that is full of opportunity for improvement. I think we can agree on that. Um, yeah. I mean, for sure. And and yeah, there's plenty of bad feedback, right? There's loads of trash trash feedback about the plays. That is certainly true. Uh, and, you know, and, and this is part of the difficulty, right? The, the, a huge part of the difficulty is, you know, how do you determine, like, how do you determine what's good feedback? How do you determine what's bad feedback? Like, who's telling the truth? Mm -hmm. Well, you have to try and figure out. You have to kind of look at what people are saying and determine if it's reflective of reality. And yeah. if it isn't, um, then you you have to determine what feedback to listen to and what feedback to discard. Right. Context, right? Of course. So if you hear Mighty Teapot say something, how do we how do we hear that feedback at the baseline because of context we know about him? If we know that he's he's someone who loves the game but is willing to tell the truth, then we should understand that when we see what he's saying. But if we see this kind of feedback from from some other person who is really um okay, this is kind of somewhat risky feeling territory for me to go into, but I said I was here to write on the edge of chaos, so fuck it. Um, one of the things that I've I've heard from from folks at ArenaNet, particularly on the narrative team, is that there are some some creators who they really look to for feedback about how their narrative content is landing, um, and it tends to be the creators. Uh, I've, I haven't really heard names, but it, it seems like it's creators for whom they're kind of engaged with the game in a very like a bubbly positive sort of fashion they're there to create kind of good vibes and positivity and um my sense is that there's a real attraction to um signal that validates um that validates um over signal that's uncomfortable to 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 consume and i think that there's a potential argument to be made there for finding better ways for the communities to give feedback where um beyond just the expedient of calling out. Um, because even though communities, sorry, not communities, companies are accountable for their work and for their output, the people who are acting as the arms and legs and eyes and ears and brains of those companies are people, they're humans. That's, oh, the, end of, yeah, that's okay. the end of it. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. Uh yeah, this this yeah, that that that's true. Um and that I mean if there <laughs> I mean I think that there there is that sounds like an interesting statement there as well. That is a bit of a spicy one for me. I mean, yeah, I mean if, if you're only looking from people who are feedback from people who are always positive, you're very likely to only get positive feedback. I mean, that doesn't sound like a very good way about to do it, but I mean, sure, yeah, like learn you you can you can obviously you know choose where you get your feedback from you know you can choose uh, we all you know, choose who you listen to there as well as I mean, you were saying so I guess there there's there's like not all feedback is created equal and uh, you know I think that there's probably uh, without, without I, I don't open up a whole new topic so I'm just gonna leave it at that but you know what teapot and, well, you, it is thing as well. Yeah, yeah, look, this thing about backlash here, responding with backlash okay. uh, caused people to shut down. Well, I'm sorry, okay? These are adults. These are these are people who do this professionally. They don't have the option to do that, right? They need to understand that people are going to react very, very strongly negatively sometimes, and they need to be able to handle that. If they can't handle that, that's a problem, right? I'm not, again, I'm not necessarily saying that it's a good thing that, it's like this, but this is reality, right? There's always going to be very strong negative reaction to some of this stuff. If you can't handle that, that's a problem with you, right? And that's not just um, if you're a game developer or a games company. That's if you are anyone. If you can't handle criticism in a way, in, in a way that you might not necessarily like, then that needs to be resolved. Like then you've got you then you've got a problem there, in my opinion. You know about court jesters? Yeah. The whole idea of court jesters. Like uh -huh. the whole like historical idea behind a court jester, the thing that makes them interesting, is they're ostensibly there to entertain, right? And specifically, they're there to entertain who? People who are in charge, people who make the decisions, people who change reality. And the, the benefit that court jesters provide is that they can tell the truth to people in power in a way that others can't. In a joke form, in comedy form, they can soften the blow of harsh truths. Things that people who are in power need to know, but isn't comfortable for them to know. And the thing that distinguishes a good jester from a bad jester isn't their, isn't their handle on reality. It's their art. How do they deliver the message? How effectively can they make the truth land? Can they make you laugh while digging in the knife? That's the real trick. And I know, Teapot, you're focused on how people hear feedback, how developers hear feedback. I respect that, and I agree with you. I've been in the position many times in my own job of handling very negative, ignorant feedback. And I've had to do exactly what you're saying. Put myself to the side, hear the feedback, and respond, not in kind, but with professionalism. And I'm not saying that's not needed. It is. I think that there's also a calling for people who are in a position to speak for the community, to find more effective ways of speaking back. That's one of the things I'm trying to explore. Yeah, I, and people should definitely, uh, no, this is definitely true. I mean, the, the community does often provide horrible feedback, but you know, I, I don't know, like th this, is, this is basically like one of the risks of the job. Like this is going to happen if you're a game developer. This is gonna happen in basically every field. Right, like people are gonna give you stupid, useless feedback. Like, trust me, when I read my YouTube comments, I go, "Wow, these people are idiots." Okay, uh, yeah, this happens um, a lot. By but the way, th you know, this is all of my YouTube commenters the, yeah. are geniuses. I love all of you in the comments. Don't listen to this guy. I, th this is absolutely just part of the job, right? This is part of the risks. Okay, and yeah, you do get good comments, and sometimes I do get things like, "Oh yeah, okay, that is a good piece of feedback." 
and it will happen a lot. People give me feedback on my stream all the time that's useful. And it helps me approach what I do in a better way. But, the, you know, I don't think, I don't think if you have placed yourself in the career of being a game developer, right, you have the ability to say, I don't like it because the player something mean about our video game, right? Or, you know, they reacted angrily, right? This is... I don't know, like, this is like playing tennis without the net, right? Like, you know, you can't do that. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, you, you it's... Uh, oh, there's an analogy. Like, there's an analogy. Yeah. You can't make receiving feedback as a developer like playing open world content as a Guild Wars 2 player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, there it is, right? Yeah. yeah. And... Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's right, okay? Look, okay, I would love a universe where everyone was like, oh, yes, you know, oh, let me allow, me allow me to give you this feedback on this content that you have provided, good sir. Allow us to engage over a cup of tea and discuss the very ins and outs of this game. Yeah, that would be great, but it's never going to happen, right, okay? Like, it's just not going to happen. I agree. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, if you're putting yourself into this industry, you mm -hmm. are essentially signing up for this, right? Yeah. Like, you are signing up for this. Right, you know, like if you go into a raid in a guild in Guild Wars Two, you are signing up for an environment where you might die and you might have to do DPS, right? And you might have to do mechanics. If you go into a raid and complain that you have to do mechanics, well, what were you expecting, right? Like, what on earth were you expecting? It's the exact same thing with this. If you go into um this type of environment and you make a game and people are mad when you make a decision or you screw up, then I don't know, make your game better, I guess. I don't. Know. <laughs> You're talking about teapot. Let me see if I'm get if I get this right. I really want to make sure I hear you. It sounds like you're talking about the kind of um, the expectations we should have of our environments when we go out to engage with them. Is that we shouldn't expect that everything, all of our experiences out there, are there to make us feel comfortable. We should expect negative and positive feedback, and we should develop. It's 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 incumbent upon all of us to develop an ability to receive negative feedback because if you have that ability then you can extract the value from the negative feedback. And what you're saying is this is something that all professionals have to do in any field is find a way to behave professionally in, in the face of negative or ignorant feedback. Does that sound like a fair reflection of what you're suggesting? Of course. And like, again, it's not like a, it's not a, and not it's not a simple thing here as well like, because yeah. it's not just about oh this is the only thing that needs to happen i completely agree like and the dialogue needs to improve over time but the reality is it isn't now and it's going to take a very long time for it to actually get better right like this is just the nature of it um i i i, I and honestly if you look at the internet and how it's evolved over time it is undisputably far better than it used to be if you if you <laughs> if you even look at twitch if you look at twitch you know just like a, just like a few years ago right how edgy it used to be compared to how it is now and like all it's much the, more mainstream really, you know pretty pretty questionable stuff that was you know getting spammed all over the place yeah like it's way better now but the thing is is that you can't just pretend you, you can't just say, oh, it shouldn't be this way, so I'm not going to engage. You don't have that option, right? You just don't, right? Um, you know, you, you can't just deny reality because you don't like it. Uh, um, you know, and this is particularly true if you're trying to make money, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's think this through. Like, if you're in a position, and whether you're a company making a video game, or let's say a, a person who's doing a, a an individual job um, where you get feedback, if you are 
if you choose to ignore negative feedback because it makes you feel feel bad, what is that, what happens then? It puts you in a position where you can't benefit from that feedback, and you're, it's possible for you to make the same mistakes, right? That's the kind of implication. Um, yeah, sure. I think that is the thing, and I, I really want to address these things in the chat here, actually, because I think yeah, these, the chat these are is really scrolling, good. man. Yeah, these are what really jumps good. out at you. Um, yeah, I'm, um, honestly, all these here. I work in emergency rooms. That means okay if I get punched by a patient. It's not okay, but yeah, that's part of the risk. Absolutely, right? Um, if a soldier gets shot, okay, and they die, is that ideal? No, but is it part of the risk? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah like your your job in emergency rooms. That is absolutely a, a a job that does carry risks with it, and you signed up for that there as well. Okay, does it make it right? No, but does it mean that you should be prepared for that? Yes, you should absolutely be prepared for that. Um, you know, in, in all these situations, and then Jeb thing here as well um with sign up for a raid absolutely you can definitely do that jebra okay but unfortunately we live in a pretty goddamn cutthroat uh system here with this uh if if a if a read net want to sign up to like you know uh, only positive feedback allowed only like you know not even positive but only very friendly feedback allowed okay then they can all you know th they're essentially reducing their effectiveness within the market right and unfortunately with the way the system works that's not really an option for a business, right? Like, it, you know, this is a very, very competitive environment and you do not want to handicap yourself in any way. Yeah. ArenaNet can say, if you want to, you can do that, like 100%, but you are you are reducing your ability to compete with other products, right? Again, I'm, I'm speaking from a very cold analytical perspective here because I think this is the perspective uh, that ultimately needs to, <laughs> this is the, this is the language of money, right? Because these pill guys, we, you, we're talking about how the developers are real people. Yeah, you're absolutely right, guys. They need to eat, right? They have families they need to take care of. And that means their game needs to be good uh, so they can sell copies of it. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it would be fair to say, don't, don't, it's not okay to be punched in the face, but it might be useful to consider the possibility that it could happen and well, to be prepared. If, if you if you go into an environment where something like that can happen, you need to be prepared for it and you need to be able to handle it. Yes. Uh, almost everything that people are saying here, I completely agree with. Like, is it okay? It, do, do, I, do I like it when I see a developer get abused for their game? No, absolutely not. That is unacceptable and it shouldn't happen. But will it happen? Yes. Should we try and prevent it? Should we minimize it happening? Yes. But will it continue to happen? Probably forever because humans are kind of dicks online. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, it will. Okay. So if you're if you're a developer in that environment, you do have to be able to handle it. In the same way that um, as a streamer, I get negative feedback. There are people who have said very mean things about me. Um, will, will I stop being a streamer or will I ignore this stuff like purely because um, will I you know stop listening to feedback completely um, because people say mean stuff about me? No, of course not. Right. Um, you know, like you know, sometimes they're even telling the truth. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes people will say mean things about me or rude things about me and they're right okay and this yeah. is the important and you need to well. hear those things if you ignore yeah. those things then you risk the potential to improve you risk exactly. a perspective that you need to improve yeah actually so like one of my favorite people who i interact with online um in not the guild wars community but the planet side community is this guy named lex i've had him on my podcast before he is a, a he is a major asshole to almost everyone he disagrees with uh, just rips people to shreds. And he's he's an incredible player. He's very, very good. Um, so he can back it up. But um one of the one of the reasons that 
that people tend to ignore what he has to say is because he's just kind of an asshole. Um, but if you actually listen to what he has to say, if you can get over the insult, then he actually has perspectives that are really interesting and worth hearing. My first interaction with this Lex guy, I'll tell you about it, actually. He did a video reaction to my podcast with a guy named Commander Sirius, who I interviewed, and ripped me to shreds. That's what he did. And I knew at the time that he didn't know me well enough yet, but that he had interesting things to say. And I demonstrated the ability to receive negative feedback in order to improve my perspective. So yeah, in that that's a situation where it was useful for me. I'm giving an example from my own life, trying to relate to what you're saying, Teapot. Tell me if you think this is actually describing what you're what you're trying to suggest. I know you're watching the chat. Chat, you're uh, distracting I mean, Teapot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, like this this um this is essentially it. Yeah. I mean, like you just, you know, sometimes like, you know, getting negative feedback or feedback that, you know, you don't like the way it's delivered, it can still be valid. Right. And this is a very, very tangential thing here as well. Right. Like it's, you know, I'm not saying that it's okay, guys. I think a lot of people kind of got me twists on that. Like, no, why, why would I ever say that? That's, that's ridiculous. Right. Um, and when, if one speaks with the community, um, when providing negative feedback, well, Anyone who says anything is speaking in the community. I, I don't think anyone can really claim to speak for the community. But can you can you say something? Yeah, you can say something, right? Um, you know, you you can have you can have an opinion, um, pretty much no matter what. Uh, and you know, are you speaking for the community? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, like it depends. Like there have definitely been times when the community has been very positive in Guild Wars Two and very negative uh, in Guild Wars Two. So like both of these things can even be true simultaneously. Um, but yeah, sure. Like it, it's, it's just something that's going to take a while. It, it's something that is, has to be this constant ongoing dialogue, I think, uh, okay. between all the players. Okay. Let's, let's bring this back. So I think that we, we can all agree and hopefully y'all in chat think the same thing too. Let us know that, um, negative feedback is a part of life. It's a part of being in the world. It's a part of not, not living in the garden of Eden. Um, and, ha and having a, Resistance, or at least an ability to consider negative feedback, is important and very, very useful, and something that a lot of successful people do very well with. I think. Now, if we were going to see ArenaNet respond more, respond to negative feedback in a way that is an improvement, what might that manifest as to you, Teapot? What would you like to see in terms of responding to negative feedback in a way that's different? I, I actually think they, they, they are doing a really good job right now with what they're doing. Just mm -hmm. communicate and addressing the issues. I mean, um, the legendary armory was a great example of this, right? Uh, a few issues have been pointed out with it um, and stuff like, you know, not being able to disable Aurora Vision and so on, right? Um, the effect, disabling the effects, that was pointed out as a problem. And I said, yeah, we want to do that. We got uh, a great response right for now. that. We're looking at it. Yeah, that's what you need to do. So yeah, we're aware of this issue. We understand and we're looking at it. We couldn't do it, but don't worry. You know, it, it could happen in the future. Great. So more of that. That's exactly what they need to do. Yeah, more of that. Yeah, that's exactly what needs to happen. Yeah. Okay. Right? Uh, and if they go in that direction, it's going to be perfect. Yep. Love to see that kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. Also, if I can make a selfish suggestion, more devs on podcasts. <laughs> I think that kind of communication can help. Like, but, but you know, podcasts or whatever. I think having developers around on streams or directly involved to it becomes more personal is good because the thing is, it's very easy um, to say this company is shit. This company is terrible. It's very uh -huh. easy to say that, right? But it's a lot harder to say 
Ben P is a horrible person and an incompetent developer, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a human being. It's a real person. And I think that if you, if you do personalize it a little bit, yeah, 100%, you can mitigate the effects of people's anger because it's very easy to be angry at a thing. It's much harder to be angry at a person. Yeah, I think the thing that I've kind of realized in doing the podcast and other explorations too is like as complicated as uh, a company is, there's nothing really more complicated than an individual person. And when you group people together, things get simpler in a way. And if you take someone who helped make something that maybe you like or you don't like, and you blow up one person to the resolution of an individual human, suddenly it's a little harder to simplify your opinion and your judgment of of the work. And I think that that's a useful way for people to question uh, their assumptions and maybe take some negative feedback of their previous of their previous understandings or expectations and incorporate it. I really like that that pursuit. Yeah. And it's that's why I talk to, to you. Like, I think people want to know about you, Teapot. What makes the Teapot tick? <laughs> yeah, I just like doing stuff. I like making things work. What, why do you I think like, that is? Uh, what is it about you that, that drives you? I, I, the, the, I mean, the real core idea is that I like exerting my influence on the world. Like is that an example stuff. that you had set for you when you were younger? Or is this like a, res- like, what do you think? And by the way, tell me to fuck um, off if you don't want to answer that question. That's an interesting question. I, I, don't, know, I don't think I've ever really thought about it. Mm-hmm. I know that's just kind of how, uh, that's how I've always been to an extent. I'm not sure if that's necessarily influenced by anything. How did that uh, come I out before streaming? Were you involved in sports and stuff? Like... Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was big in sports, swimming, uh, a lot of swimming. Um, and okay. Okay. Uh, I swam competitively, like I was working out in the gym, like nearly every day, uh, swimming every day, nice, like, all this kind of stuff. Right. I was like, God, super hardcore uh, on swimming. It was also stuff like, uh, you know, learning programming, learning development, um, you know, self-taught uh, learning how to do stuff. Right. Yeah. Self-taught programming, uh, you know, making things in Roblox, making games in Roblox. Right. I mean, like this is one uh-huh. of my claim to fame. Right. Yeah. Like um, I didn't know yeah, that back, back in the day. Back in the day, um, yeah, I had the, I, I, well, there was a, there's like this concept of the front page in Roblox where like uh-huh. all the, the games with the, with the most players uh, who are currently playing uh, were listed there. And uh, yeah, for a time, my game was the most, in fact, twice, twice, my game was the most currently played game uh, on Roblox. It was a Hell very yeah, long time. brother. Things have moved on a bit, but yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've always liked making things and doing this. I've, like, you know, I always like the electronic Lego, like the Lego Mindstorms and stuff okay. like that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, like, just making things, making things work. That was my first true experience with, with programming and, and, you know, uh-huh. hardware software interfacing was Lego. Yeah, it was Lego. Um, and, uh, and you could basically program your, your, Lego, your Lego computer to mm-hmm. be able to react to bumping into things, uh, to light, right? Like all this kind of thing, even to different colors, right? And all that sort of stuff. And yeah. even temperature, right? You could, you, could, you could react to the temperature. Like, you know, and that was, that's kind of how it's always been for me. I like making things. I like things that work and I like doing stuff. Kind of a like an engineering mentality, making stuff happen. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And that's and, the that's the that is the philosophy that drives me uh, to do everything. And now your engineering community. Yes, I am indeed. I have a silly question for you, man. Like, you clearly can turn this this engine you have on other on different things. You turn it on to swimming. You turn it on to Roblox. Turn it on to whatever else. Why Guild Wars two and streaming? Um. To be honest, it, 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 I'd love to give a good answer for this 
But the answer is, I'll just tell the truth. It was just opportunistic, pretty much. Um, like uh, okay. a, a very long time ago, I made a YouTube video. I was I made used to make loads of different videos, like random videos about different games on my YouTube channel. And then one of them got picked up and it got posted onto the, onto the Guild Wars 2 subreddit. I was like, oh, these people like this. I should do more of it. So I just started doing more of it. Uh, if, if it was essentially ra random chance, if it, if that had happened for any other game, I probably would have done the same thing there. Is there a that's, chance? That's the honest truth though. Yeah, it makes I sense. I like the game, don't get me wrong. I really like the game, but I also like other games too. But the reason I picked this one is because, yeah, like it worked here. I succeeded here. Yeah, there is a need. Is there, what, what would it take to, to see the, the, the engine that is Mighty Teapot turn on another, on another game, on another task, on another challenge? Uh, if it, if, if I go and play another game and it goes really well and people are interested in what I have to do and I find success there, then I'll dedicate that. Then I'll dedicate my resources to it as well. Um, you know, uh, I do, I do definitely want to finish up here with Guild Wars too, but if I find another game that I really, really like, uh, and also, you know, my, my efforts and people like what I have to do, then I'll also put in work there as well. Anything that, that shines your interest? At uh, this point? New World will be the next one. New World is a very interesting game. I think that will be that will be a fun experience. Yeah, I'm looking forward to New World. It's got it's got some interesting stuff going for it. I'm a little worried about its identity because um, it started life as this like like apparently very PvP oriented experience, and it's now it's like okay, we're making a sandbox. I mean, we're making a theme park PVE MMO. It'll be great. Um, I'm hoping that it doesn't suffer from any of the same problems that Guild Wars 2 seems to be suffering from, where you have a PvP system being applied to a PvE game. Yeah, it's, it is, uh, you know, the, the more you look at New World is, is the more you realize how much it mirrors the story of Guild Wars 2, actually. It's absolutely bizarre. Um, huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So are you going to be streaming it when it comes out? Yeah, I will be. I might even play the, uh, I might even be playing the... The beta? Um, the beta, yeah. At the cool. end, but I, I, I might not have time for that. Uh, if I don't, then then I don't. But I'll try to. Okay. How does Heartstuck figure into New World? Do you expect that that community to come over and play with you, or how's that going to work? Do you think? Hard, well, this this is where Heartstuck really comes into play because a, a big component of Heartstuck is that I've, I I do want to actually push into other games and move into other games. In fact, it's built from the ground up under that assumption that there will be more than one game. We don't want to just be a Guild Wars 2 community. We want to be a gaming community um, in, you know, in all different games, right? Like maybe even stuff like WoW, Final Fantasy, Guild Wars 2, New World, Ashes of Creation, and more. Excellent. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, I, I uh, You know, it's been interesting watching uh, Asmongold kind of uh, uh, take a, a trip to other games um, for his stream out, out of World of Warcraft. And one of the things I've I found myself when it, when I see his content from time to time, especially when he when his complaints is a wish for him as a person to try new things, to do new stuff, try new experiences. And I think it's a good thing for us all as human animals to take on new things. So I'm really pleased that Hardstuck is not going to be Hardstuck in Guild Wars 2, even though Guild Wars 2 is a great game yeah. and I love it. It is a great game, and I don't expect to ever quit the game. Truth be told, I, like, I can honestly say that there is nothing that would make me quit Guild Wars 2 at this point. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think they could, they could do it um, because it's not really about the game for me anymore. It's about the community. And once <laughs> you've got to that point, then nothing can really phase you anymore. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, no, yeah, very much so. Like Hard Suck is built from the ground up with expansion in mind. It is a very long-term project because the, the, the real thing about Hard Suck was that 
I mean, again, it's just one of those. It's one of those things that has a certain level of purity to it. I mean, um, like something like Hard Suck is basically just me trying to make sure that I always have people to play video games with. Because Bro. one thing that um, one thing happened, and I'm serious, but I'm completely serious. Like this is this is coming from a very Hard Suck is like almost like a very almost like a very personal thing. It's a very yeah. in a way um, self oriented thing. Because what happened is that when I went to play Classic WoW. Um, when I came back, everyone in Guild Wars who had quit, my, you know, everyone who I played was gone, <laughs> right? Um, and I didn't even go for that long. I went for about six months to go and play Classic. Yeah. Um, and I left Guild Wars 2, and then the entire Gildan community just died that I was a part of. And I just thought, wow, that kind of sucks, huh? Uh, and I just wanted to be in the position where I could play any game I wanted, and I'd have people to play with it. There are other motivations there as well. I do, you know, again, I, I do want to actually try and build communities and fix and address issues that I see in MMOs and in particular in <laughs> Guild Wars 2. <laughs> but a big part of it is that, yeah, I, I wanted to have kind of like a, a stable ability to do stuff. Because one of the things I think is really helpful, this is kind of like when it kind of feeds into the streaming as well. I think one of like the big limitations that you can sometimes have when you're streaming is that if you don't have people to do stuff, you just can't do anything, right? Like you're very limited. Right. Um you're very limited uh, in what you can do by if you have people to actually play with, right? Um, and I think that I want to avoid that. And that's another motivation of making answer because I just, you know, I want to have people to play with. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem a lot of gamers are trying to solve, man. That, then there ain't nothing wrong with that. By the way, shout out to Josh Foreman for the raid. Welcome, Josh. Oh. Famous designer of Super Adventure Box, Chalice of Tears, and much more. If any of y'all have been banging your head off of the chalice of tears in the last week this is the guy you can thank for it <laughs> all right uh josh says sorry everyone <laughs> okay well as long as we're on the topic of other games can i ask your hot takes on a few other titles oh yeah sure hit me um okay uh ashes of creation any potential there i think that is actually the game that has the potential to change the industry the most Tell me why. There are, there are going to be two. There, well, uh, there are, because it is being developed by a. It is being developed somewhat free from the idea of actually caring if it's going to be a popular game or not. Um, mm -hmm. The the creative director is Stephen Sharif. He is a big fan of old school MMOs. He is a big fan of, in particular, Arcage. Uh, and he's basically making, in a way, a spiritual successor to that game, and he doesn't care if people like it or not. He's making the game from himself, for himself a lot. I think there's a lot of community... It's a very old-school well. approach. I think um, that's how like the original WoW was designed, a lot of these old-school yeah, games. Yeah. It's the game they want to it, see. It, it, yeah, exactly. It very It's the game that he wants to see, and I think that means it's going to have a very, a very strong creative vision behind it. Okay. And... It, well, the, the 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 problem with this is that it is going to be developed by you know inexperienced devs, so it has the possibility to have a lot of issues. Maybe not being that polished, maybe not getting finished in time. Features reach not working, exceeding grasp. That's like, what I'm worried about. Yeah, man. like it, I think it's a very I think it's a very scary I think it's a very scary thing for the devs. I think they've got some serious balls to go for such a strong design um, it, it, with with the approach they're going. There's a lot of features in that are insanely ambitious. So two things are going to, one of two things are going to happen. Like either uh, it's the best game ever made and everyone loves it. And like, wow, Ashes of Creation, what a great game. Or it's going to crash and burn horribly uh, and then it dies. Honestly, I don't <laughs> think there's going to be much in between. I think it's going to be one of those two and there won't be anything in between. I don't think there's, I don't think there's going to be this like halfway success. It's either going to be a massive success or it's dead, right? Like <laughs> that's pretty much what's going to happen. Interesting. 
That's interesting. It's so different from my take. I'm, 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 I, you have me now questioning my opinion about it. I don't know. Like, I think a lot of MMOs can survive with a very niche market as long as they can, as long as they can find a niche of people to appeal to. I think Guild Wars Two is kind of one of those in a way, where it kind of has its niche that it's its base that it appeals to, and you know, as long as as much as us out here in the creator community are making a stink from time to time, like I think I, I saw a great article that suggested that like eighty percent of people who play video games don't engage with anything outside the game whatsoever. Um, you know, we're like the five percent people who actually show up and comment and make videos, talking to the twenty percent about a game with where where most people who play aren't even involved in the conversation um oh yeah of course i i guess i can see a future for ashes where it coalesces around a few parts of it around a few of its promises deliver something robust there for people who want it and my sense is that that vision is not actually a mass market vision like they aren't trying to to get everyone maybe i'm wrong though well i mean the thing is is that mmos are incredibly expensive so you kind of have to have a certain level of mass appeal. If you don't have a lot of people playing your game, you're just going to lose money. Uh, and you know, like you can definitely survive on a, well, on a, you know, in in a smaller way. But I don't think that's really what I don't think really think, I don't think that's what the developers want. I think the developers do want to have like, yeah, this is going to be like a big deal, right? Like, look at the way they're marketing the game, right? They, they are definitely saying that, yeah, this is the MMO. This is going to be a big deal, right? So I I don't think that necessarily, yeah, you yeah, I, don't, I think they do want to see some big success out of it. Yeah, but I do think it has, I think it's probably like it's going to have a huge amount. Of, it's got a huge amount of potential. It's not going to come out for a long time though. It's going to be it's like, got a massive amount of coverage. Two, two so whatever years, happens, like, we'll all know. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of hype. Okay, there's going to be a lot of hype one way or another. <laughs> Let's see if it actually works out. Yeah, we'll all watch with interest. Okay, next game. Uh, Riot's got? working on an MMO. We don't know anything about it yet, but I think there are a lot of um, arena alums working at Riot on, and ostensibly on this game. Any thoughts about that? I like Riot Games because I think Riot Games is a hungry company. And I think a hungry company is a company that's likely to do something good. Hmm. Uh, I, I look at what Riot's doing right now, and they're looking at Blizzard like a diseased old gazelle, right? And they're like a <laughs> hyena or a tiger. Okay? They want to be Blizzard. They want to have that Riot.net launcher and have all their titles there. They want to be the studio that everyone knows. Taking over the I world. think Riot's coming. Riot's coming for the gaming industry in a big way. They want to dominate the game industry. So I think they're hungry. And I think they're hungry for success. So I think the Riot MMO, we obviously don't know anything about it just yet, but I would definitely keep an eye on that one. That would be my take on it. Yeah. Yeah, actually... Um, of everything that we know that's that's being worked on, that's the one that I think is potentially the most interesting for industry relevance long term, um, because of everything you just said. I have a similar take, and it doesn't surprise me that you, you of all people, would be excited about Riot being, as you said, a hungry company. That seems to be uh, something that you can re you can really relate to based on everything you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think hunger, you know, that that desire for success is is key. Right, mm -hmm. you know, like the, not even it's not desire for success. Actually, it's not desire for success. That's the it's the you have to come at it from the other direction. It's the lack of satisfaction with the way things are. Right. That's what generates great things. It's yes. not about wanting. Yes. It's not about necessarily like, um, you know, you know, not having enough. It's like you know, you want you. It's not good enough now. Like you want more, right? You know, you want to come for more, right? That that's mm -hmm. that is, I think, the true motivator for pretty much everything. Like that is motivation, right there. Hell yeah. 
that's what that's what armors you to go out into the realm of chaos and pull back benefit for this and improve the status quo. It's good shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if you have any knowledge about this, but I kind of see this game as, as kind of an MMO in a way. Uh, Destiny 2, Bungie, another studio that has Arena Net alums because they're also located here in Bellevue, Washington. You follow this at all? No. Okay. I have no take on it because I know nothing about the game. Okay. You can ask well, my brother, though, because he plays it. Oh, yeah? Where is he? Yeah. Is, he, is, he is he in the other room? <laughs> uh, no, I'm afraid not. I could call him up, but he's probably asleep right now. <laughs> yeah, getting late, getting late. Okay. Um, yeah, I won't really add much about that, but Destiny is, is an interesting game that seems like it needs to be an MMO, but doesn't want to accept it, and some interesting stuff going on there. They've had some level-ups on the way that they deliver narrative in recent content that I think may be at least partially attributed to folks who are from ArenaNet. So I think that's pretty interesting. Anyway, next title. This is the, the last thing I'm going to ask you about game-wise. Um, okay. I, I guess I'm looking for your one-paragraph take on WoW Retail and Burning Crusade Classic. I can give you... I can give you two sentences that tell you everything you need to know about Blizzard. Boom. Edit. You think you do, but you don't. And don't you guys have phones? This is a company that is just, they think they know everything. They are disconnected from their audience. I think they're complacent. I think they have some big egos there and they've got to squash them. Otherwise they're going to keep losing. Okay. Harsh truths. There you go. That is uh, and that's the, most... the, the classic WoW Blizzard. That's the classic WoW Blizzard paragraph there. Yeah. I'm not going to go into that because that's something we could spend a lot of time in. We'll save it for next time. When Wrath of the Lich King Classic is coming out. Oh. That'll be a fun one. <laughs> I think it's going to be very interesting to see how people are going to feel the closer it gets to retail. Because once you start getting to Wrath, uh, you're kind of getting there, right? You know, like Wrath Cataclysm. Then you're getting very close to where retail is, I think. Yeah, yeah. I am very interested in that that at that point too. Um, the point like six months after Wrath Classic comes out, and people are like, "Are we gonna get Cataclysm Classic?" And that's uh, kind of a weird that, thing, right? Like that'll what, be a what, fun know, conversation to watch. It will be. I'm I'm very curious um, what they what they're going to do with that actually. Because at what point do you just not bother with making it? Because you know you're just basically re-releasing the same game at this point, which is a very unusual thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's um it's definitely worth one. It's one worth watching actually. I, I think um. Uh, you know, Blizzard, Blizzard is just a lot. I, I, I was, I was very uh, quippy, right. With what I said there. And I, I do stand True. by that, but I, I do think, I do think that to an extent, they're a lost company to, to put my empathy. Hat mm. on, I think they don't know what to do. I think they are lost. Right. Um, and I think they've got a lot of problems with their game and I don't think they know how to fix them. Yeah. Uh, so I think they need to have a proper sit down, look at the feedback, understand the issues, see what's wrong with their game, and then properly like eat some humble pie and address them. Um, that would be my, you know, my my, you know, my my less quippy, you know, less sassy take, I suppose, on yeah. Blizzard. I don't think they're they're not bad people. They're not a bad company. I mean, look, some of my, you know, greatest memories uh, in gaming are from Blizzard, of course. You know, like playing Warcraft 3. Like one of my first, yeah. first games I ever played was, was Warcraft 3. StarCraft 2. I still consider StarCraft 2 to be the greatest eSport that has ever been made. Maybe mm-hmm. ever will be made. Um, it is a brilliant game. Um, it really is. World of Warcraft is a... World of Warcraft is why we're even s- sitting here. Okay? Without yep. World of Warcraft, you don't have 
the the industry or may, without blizzard you don't even have the gaming industry is as it is right now they're one of the most important companies absolutely to have ever graced the gaming industry so like we can't just disregard them uh, because they're kind of screwing it up now um but you know like i i'll be harsh to them because of how how good i know they can be or how how good they've been in the past um so they need to get back to, they need to get back to that do that again <laughs> there's a great um steve jobs clip I, I don't know what the context is but he's talking about this problem that occurs with companies that have successful products is that what will happen over time is the decision making will transition away from product people to sales and marketing people and eventually and this is a problem that happens to almost any successful product and it's an anomaly when a product person can kind of stay in charge in a way um i wonder if that's kind of what's going on with 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 blizzard i mean you see them like uh that do you not have phones that's kind of the classic one i actually read a little bit more about that story apparently uh, the guy who was standing up on stage, and I wish I could remember his name, but I can't. Um, apparently that guy was like the face of Diablo, was the face of Diablo Blizzard. And if you know more about this, please correct me. Um, and he had just finished a project. I don't know what it was, but apparently it burned the hell out of him. And he was looking to get, and he was trying to figure out what he was going to work on next and wanted to bite off something a little smaller than a AAA console PC game. And the idea of a mobile Diablo came up, and that seemed like something that was small enough that he wanted to work on. Um, so at, that person's story is pretty interesting and sad, but we can understand that while also understanding that putting out a mobile Diablo was a misread of the audience. It, to your point, that's some negative feedback that Blizzard needs to try to understand how to receive, right? Yeah, and they. Uh, this is a great example. They responded pretty badly. Um, you know, they 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 responded incredibly badly, right? Like, you know, if if, if you, I, I and I know this sucks. Like, this is just another kind of like unfair thing here, right? Like, if if the players say we aren't happy with this, and your response is, "Don't you guys have phones?" or "You think you do, but you don't." This is. You know, you might want to be quippy with people, but this is just not a good way to engage, right? Like, th this is again a, an inherent in unfairness with the imbalance in this relationship like, yeah. between the uh, between the developer uh, and the and the player. Like, the developer to an extent has to be held at a higher standard, right? Like, the developer has to be better than the player in in dealing with this with this extent, yeah. which is be, a bit unfair. Be the professional, but that's just the way it is, right? Yeah, you have to be yeah. the professional. Josh is in chat saying this is called the innovator's dilemma where the product people lose control, lose control of the product over time could do to success. It's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Yeah, there's indeed. a whole... We could spill a lot of words about Blizzard, man. Um, I especially have a lot of opinions about not Blizzard the company, but the people consuming Blizzard content. But I, I think just generally that the problem is that oh, it, it seems like... Yeah, I don't want to speak too out of turn, but... You know, I was talking about incentives earlier. What incentives are being pursued? The thing that's natural for every entity in the world is to pursue incentives that are short-term and validating. And you look at some of the decisions being made, the push to mobile. Um, you, you, you can look at these decisions and understand why they're being made. Um, but the thing that they don't relate back to is, an, is a reflection of what is actually wanted by the audience that's been cultivated. Um, Ooh, that 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 is questionable um i think that as a as a pc gamer 
you have to accept that most people actually don't want to play on PC. Most people do want to play on mobile. And most people don't want a hardcore experience. Most people want a casual experience. Like that then, is that is true. If that's like, the that case, then then why was the why was Diablo Immortal received so poorly? I actually think that when Diablo Immortal, um, because the kind of person who goes to a Blizzard convention is the kind of person who doesn't want a mobile game. Right. Like someone who's a casual gamer who plays mobile games, they're not going to like BlizzCon. Like, why would they ever do that? They're not invested enough to do that. Yeah. The thing is, is that the way people engage, the way people engage with um with video games now is is just so different, right? Like now, um, now people aren't like you know before. If you were a gamer, you were a sweaty basement dweller nerd that the media was telling. Um, was telling everyone that you're probably going to go shoot up a school. Not the school was, shooting thing, though. Right? Okay, right? Like, this, this, is, this is exactly what's going on here, right? Um, but nowadays, gaming is incredibly mainstream, and it's a very, like, normal thing to do. You're not, like, a, you know, you're not considered a complete weirdo if you're a gamer, right? You're just like, oh, you know, you just play some games, right? Like, on the side, great. Um, so as a result of that, you, you still have, like, really dedicated people who are going to do stuff, like... Um, go to these conventions and get involved and be really, really engaged. And obviously, like, those are the people who are going to be more vocal. But ultimately, numbers don't lie. Uh, and it turns out that mobile nearly crushes PC and console combined. Oh, yeah. Right, okay, like, Easily. in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, the industry size. So this so, is kind of... Like, this is how Sorry, go ahead. This, this is yeah, similar to the argument I was making earlier um, and, and on a different topic about... Remember I brought up the idea of the court jester? And I think the thing that makes a gesture successful isn't how correct they are, it's how artful they are, how good they are in their craft delivering harsh news. This is kind of similar in, in, to, to this situation, is this was not a correctly, artfully delivered piece of information. This, this was uh, inviting people over to a barbecue and giving them salad, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but the thing is, um, in a way, it, it's because they didn't they they invited the wrong people right um because i can guarantee you look i, I you know I, I i said this when the when the announcement happened by the way and i'll say this here now as well okay. i can almost guarantee you that if you look at uh, diablo immortal for what it is it will probably be a really well-made game oh yeah uh, it will um, probably no be doubt. a good mobile game right it will probably be a good mobile experience will it be what diablo fans want no absolutely not but will it be a, and to kind of like follow your analogy there will it be a good salad yeah, it probably will be a good yeah. thing. But the thing is, everyone who everyone who like was at the announcement for this, right, wanted barbecue, right, uh, and this means that yeah, obviously it's going to go down very very badly. But the thing is, it what, what if then it turns out that um, you know outside of that, the audience of barbecue enjoyers, like most people, actually wanted salad the entire time. Oh, right? and the then well, exactly right. And I think this is kind of the thing that, you know, as a PC gamer, we have to accept, like th this, mm -hmm. this is how things are. Like most people, uh, no longer are like super hard, you know, a, a lower percentage of people care about PC games and more hardcore experiences. It is certainly a much more casual oriented market and a much mm -hmm. more mobile oriented market there as well. Mm -hmm. So again, it, it's, it is it was a little bit tactless to do it to do it like that particularly seeing as there was no pc port honestly they could have probably resolved this if they spun it differently if they'd said yeah there's going to be a mobile version for the new diablo game and it's going to be also playable on pc yeah honestly i think people would be fine yeah they'd, they'd have bought that right yeah. okay that's not an issue 
But the thing is, is they just completely, completely missed the mark on the way they communicated that. Right. Or if they were shipping it like alongside another title, right? Like as a companion, then it would be fine. Um, but again, like they just miscommunicated very, very badly and misunderstood like mm-hmm. who was going to be at BlizzCon. And that, that reinforces the narrative that you put out there, that Blizzard is just out of touch institutionally with their, with the segments of their audience they're trying to reach. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Well, okay. Let's talk about the most important release of all. Let's go. End of Dragons. All right. In, what day is today? It's the 14th. So two weeks from yesterday, we're going to be getting the actual announcement with some details. Finally. Mana in the desert. But ahead of that, I would love, Teapot, for you to hear some, I'd love to hear from you some hopes, some fears, and maybe a couple predictions. I want to actually remind you of a couple of predictions you made last time we talked. Mm-hmm. The first is I asked you, Guild Wars 2, End of Dragons, next expansion or last expansion? And you said last expansion. And then the second one was Guild Wars 3, a thing or not a thing? And you said a thing, mm-hmm. and probably the expansion will transition into it. I wonder if you've updated your thinking since then or if you still feel the same. Yeah. The reverse. Um, the the reverse now because uh, of this completely renewed leadership and also because of DirectX 11. Uh, I think it, it now we probably won't see a Guild Wars 3 and you'll definitely see more than one expansion. How many do you think? Uh, pff, minimum two. Uh, could be even more than that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they're now back on Guild Wars 2 big time and they're looking very far into the future. Yeah, uh, and as it when it comes to like hopes, fears, fears are really easy. Hope, uh, fears, they, they just don't say anything. Like they do, Ice Brood Saga announcement where they say literally nothing. That's the mm. only thing that I think would be scary mm-hmm. in terms of what I think they're going to show. Um, uh, well, uh, predictions and stuff. Um, uh, I I just hope that they show features. I want to see what's the mastery. Yep. Uh, what are the new elite specs? Yep. Uh, what give me like an idea of like the well in fact well it, it, i feel like i'm cheating here because they literally told us what they're saying actually. that's true that's true they didn't give us a sense of what to expect but what about <laughs> let's 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 make this harder on us then let's let's think about not what will be the announcement but what will materialize in the expansions what what are your what are your expectations that will for what will actually materialize and know that this is all just fun speculation because we're going to learn more in a couple weeks how many maps are we going to get event design that's more like Heart of Thorns or more like Path of Fire? Raids? I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Earlier in the conversation, you said we're going to get one more raid. I'm curious where that thought comes from. Uh, I, th- I think they, they want to give it another try. I think they want to give it one more try. It's just a hunch, um, I think. That's funny. I, think that I have that same big, hunch. And I can't justify it's a big, it, but continue. Um, it's a big headliner feature, I think, like all raid, right? And I think they do care about the veteran players. And a lot of the a lot of the players who, again, if I had to guess, who have like very high retention rates are probably the hardcore raiders, like the veteran raiders right. are probably a very high retention, if I had to guess. Um, so that's probably like a big part of that. Um, but so I think they'll do one more and see if it works or not. If it does work, then they'll probably do, you know, they'll go further and maybe try another one. Uh, but that's that's my prediction there. But I'm expecting to see Strike missions definitely are going to come back, I think. Uh, I think we're going to see elite specialization reveals, or at least one or two. I think well, though, I think um, a Redinet strategy on this, or what I would do anyway, is probably just like drop drop some very vague hints and then do reveals over yes. time. A bit like a bit like uh, how they did with HOT, right? They had like a week where they talked about each one on a stream, talked about mm-hmm. Reaper, talked about Tempest. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the approach um, 
uh, they might go for again, kind of mirroring Heart of Thorns. Uh, I think we're going to hear about the mastery, the feature, probably some of the events, like how the maps are going to go. In turn, th there's one really big, I wish that, I'm, I'm, I'm not even saying if I would say this is likely, but this is something that I wish they do. I want them to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, kind of, this is kind of one of the wishes I would have. Okay. I want to see a completely new, new player experience. Ooh. And when I say completely new, I mean Guild Wars 1 style. So, to, so for those who don't know, in Guild Wars 1, when you played Factions, right? This, the first expansion, you started in Canther. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you played Nightfall, you started in Nightfall uh, or rather in Alona. So each, uh, each expansion had its own set of new player quests, new player experiences, new zones, low level zones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really want to see that with Guild Wars 2 because um, in my opinion, the way players engage with MMOs is that they don't want to sit around playing like hours and hours and hours of old content mm -hmm. they want to get into the action where the new stuff is mm -hmm. where their friends are like where everyone's going right they True. want to be True. where the high energy is where the people and in my are opinion, the, yeah, exactly and and guild wars 2 just has so much content right and I, I know it's like a bit of a meme but guild wars 2 really does have a ridiculous amount of yeah, content yeah um you know like to actually get through you know you're talking about uh you know you, you've got stuff like uh, you know all the living world like all the core game the expansions right there's so much going on right uh, in guild wars 2 there really is mm -hmm. um so i think i would like to see that I would love that too, brother. And the fantasy, the dream, is to package it in with a new player race, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people would like a new race. Um, I don't, I don't really care about that sort of thing. I think it's a, I think it will be a waste of resources because it isn't really content, in my opinion. But yeah, that would be one way you could go about doing it. Yeah, it's a perfect to way to deliver it, though. Anyway. To say, um, you know, buy into dragons, roll a tengu, start your journey in Cantha. Um, not, not well, I only. Think, yeah, I think. Yeah. I think it actually kind of introduces problems because the, what does that mean if you want to make a, a new character in Kantha that isn't a Tengu? Well, let's say you can. I'm, I'm not saying it would be restricted. I'm just saying that's like, that's the thing that they market as the selling point. That's like the thing to be attracted to. I'm not saying restricted at all. Um, I'm both and, I guess, would be my answer. But I love the idea of having a, 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 a way to start your experience in Guild Wars 2 that is not either A, leveling through core or b using a level 80 boost i would love to see a middle ground where yeah. you're and that would be that would, i would love to see that and i'd like to see that as a result of that kind of go to more maps right so like maybe eight maps i mean we might be talking like big fantasy stuff honestly because i imagine that why the, not there's some serious well, because there's some serious resource bottlenecks here okay like of we course. can be realistic like you know like it's you know look I, I I do actually think you know funnily enough this is a really this EOD is super interesting for me because mm. I think this might actually be the first Guild Wars two expansion that actually has a full development cycle. HOT was pretty rushed in my yeah. opinion. I think well I think everyone would agree with that. I think a ReadNet would agree with that. Yeah. Um and Path of Fire again had a pretty short turnaround when they made it. Mm -hmm. I think EOD might actually be the Guild Wars 2 expansion that's actually had the most development, especially with the delay now as well. So I think there I think it is quite likely that there will be more than we've seen before from previous mm -hmm. expansions in EOD. Mm -hmm. I think that is actually very likely. Yeah, I like that idea. We had four open world maps with a bunch of big, robust, repeatable meta, meta events, but maybe arguably less exploration, less like little story moments to pick at. And in, 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 uh, Heart of Thorns, just talking about open world. Path of Fire, we had five maps. Um, 
with a ton of like single consumption content, interesting stuff to poke poke around into. Um, way more focus on the story compared to Heart of Thorns, but less less interest in the repeatable uh, community uh, event participation. Um, End of Dragons could be very interesting as a synthesis of the best of both of those two expansions. Um, also, the best of let's be honest, the Living World because we've seen some pretty amazing stuff from the Living World. I think about like um, the All or Nothing and War Eternal releases, uh, not uh, not for core systems necessarily, but just for the, the the content quality and what they were able to hit there is pretty impressive. Um, going back to the idea of uh, a new level one player experience, even something as simple as you have a zone, one zone. This is a one to eighty zone. You level all the way up to eighty. And it gives you all the gear you need, maybe a couple different options. It walks, it, make, it make, makes you go through all the mechanics, dodge rolls, break bars, and it has one, some one sort of multiplayer event piece, like a strike or a dungeon or a fractal, something that is part of that zone and part of that zone story that people maybe they don't have to go through, but that they're really heavily encouraged to go through, so that when they hit eighty, they're ready to actually participate in what what in what the game has. Um, that's something I've wished for Guild Wars 2 for a long time. Because I think when you get someone new into it, my impression is, and you have a lot more experience talking to people who have dealt with this than I do, is that it's kind of hard to seduce people into Guild Wars 2 by the way it treats, by the way it introduces new players. Unless you're someone who wants to just experience all the content chronologically. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I would boil it down to a much simpler idea than that. Okay, I think okay. it's just, I, I I don't think it needs to be again necessarily that complicated. It's more like people want to do the new stuff. They don't want to do the old stuff, right? Because why would I play something that's one outdated in the way it's designed? Two, also outdated in the fact that no one's playing it anymore. Significantly less people are playing it anymore because it's old, right? So, I mean, yeah, that, that's that's just the way I see it, right? It's just, yeah, like the content is old. Less people are playing it. Um, so of course, yeah, like less people are going to want to be engaged with it and they want to go to the new stuff. They don't, they're not here to play Guild Wars 2 Heart of Thorns. They're here to play End of Dragons. Let them play End of Dragons. Amen, brother. Out with the old in with the new. Okay. Do you think that we're going to get any, I, I floated this idea out to someone I was talking to. I can't remember who, um, when thinking about, I think I was talking to Raka actually, when thinking about lead to End of Dragons. And I was thinking about how cool it would be if they actually end there are some major retorts to this idea. Look, this isn't a, this isn't like necessarily the wisest idea for the studio, but if I'm a if, if, I'm, if I'm a Guild Wars two gamer trying to stay engaged and stay excited about End of Dragons, especially through a delay, how interesting would it be to have like a prequel episode for End of Dragons, like a serious like a serious living world release that gave us something, something to look forward, something to engage with, maybe that had a little more of the repeatable stuff just to keep us all busy because this content drought that we're facing is looking a little worrying i think they they even going to hint that they would do something like this that there might actually be a release at some point i don't think they necessarily need to do this i think it's okay um if they don't but it would be nice yeah for sure uh, i think what they're, they're planning on doing is to keep people occupied is kind of re-releasing old content and also adding features to the game which i think is arguably better than adding um mm -hmm. new content in a way like doing stuff like oh yeah we're gonna add dx11 oh we're gonna uh, add alliances we're going to add the legendary armory like this is these are pretty significant patches like these are yeah. big yeah they're like, big. This is not like nothing they're foundational so, um 
I think this is that's that's an option too. But yeah, I mean, I, I would like a pre. I, I would like a prologue, almost like give us a flavor of what, what give us a taste of how the expansion is going to be. Yeah, but I don't think that's actually necessary. I think I think it's fine if they choose not to do that and just go yeah. into the expansion as well. Like, how about a little story on the Zaishin Isles, something like that? That would be fun. Yeah. I think the, the the one thing that I think is missing right now is that what there's no bridge right now on going to Cantha. Right. Um, the the story just ended. Right. Like Icebridge Saga just finished. Yeah. There's no epilogue. There's, there's, there's no, there was no context on like what's going to happen next. So I think uh -huh. that is a bit problematic. They dropped a few hints in some of the DRMs about the Tengu and that sort of thing. So I think the access point to the expansion is going to be through Tengu. Um, but yeah, like I think that we could definitely use some broader, broader Domain of Winds. That actually looks like. Domain yeah, exactly. of Winds. That would be a hell of a prologue zone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Teapot, that's all I got, brother. Ooh. It's been a big one. Have fun. Yeah, I I love I love memes. I love content, and now we are content. <laughs> That's right. We are the world. We are the content. Teapot, where can people find you? Well, you can look below my name on this podcast. See mm. that, guys? That is mm. my name. If you go there, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube slash my teapot. Boom. There you go. That is how you find me. Go and watch my videos. Go and subscribe. Go and like all my videos. Engage with my social media in a productive way mm -hmm. and leave whatever comment you like. You can flame me and I'll like your comment and I'll reply to you and I'll flame you back. So get in there right now. Don't delay. Give there him that go. negative feedback. You know he loves it. He loves exactly. it. Exactly. I, I love to see it. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, make my day. Let's roll. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Teapot. This has been a real pleasure. Um, really great catching up. I'm thinking think we should do this again when there's been enough time elapsed. Um, of course. Anytime, man. Y'all are already here on my content, but I'll give you my pitch. I'm Deeg. I do conversations with people who have interesting things to say, especially around gaming. Um, just search for Deeg in places. Uh, links are going to be below wherever you're watching this. Um, Thanks, everyone. Thanks, chat, for turning out. This has been really fun and, and active. Uh, thanks, Teapot, for the debate. And uh, I will see you next time. See you later, guys. Thanks for watching.